When I first saw you I knew I had to take you home My friends, they argued I couldn't raise you on my own But I was sure that You were meant to be with me my angel set from above to set me free let's get in my car and I will take you for a ride go to the bar and greet all the customers inside Forget all All that you've done for my life My only hope is You're up there chasing butterflies Well, I just looked into your eyes Now I don't know all Of the love you felt inside My only hope is You're up there chasing butterflies Chasing Butterflies by Jordan Schneider. This was a song written and performed by an independent musician five years ago. He wrote it in honor of his very sick and old dog that uh, passed away a few months later. He released the song on the day of the dog's death in November 2016. And this song I played to open the show to honor my dog Otis, who passed away on May 31st. 2021 at around noon pacific time he was 16 and a half years old so this was not a surprise and he was not in very good shape in fact 
I was under pressure from certain people, no one in this house, but from certain people to put him to sleep because he didn't look good and uh, he was clearly sick, but he was walking, he was eating normally, he seemed to still enjoy to be alive, so I couldn't bring myself to do it yet. I knew I'd have to do it soon, but I didn't want to do it yet. And on uh, May 31st, he passed away in his sleep after he had eaten his uh, favorite meal about eight hours beforehand. That wasn't what uh, caused him to die, obviously. He was uh, old and sick, but uh, he did have his his favorite meal just kind of by coincidence before he passed away in his sleep on May 31st. So now I'm especially glad that I didn't uh, bring him to be put to sleep because it's un- very unpleasant, not just for the owner, but for the dog. You know, their last experience is being brought to the vet, which is scary and uncomfortable, and then getting a shot to put them down. Even if the shot isn't painful, uh, it still is not a good last moment. Here instead, he got to have his favorite meal and uh, die naturally in his sleep. Probably didn't even know he was dying. Probably just happened before he even woke up. So uh, anyway, he was 16 and a half. He was born in early 2005, so long ago that I didn't have a bracelet yet when he was born. I didn't know Otis in 2005. In fact, I didn't know Otis until 2015. In 2015, Otis was brought to me by my girlfriend, and uh, he was not a young dog. He was brought to me in December 2015. I woke up, and uh, the house was empty. And then she came back, and uh, she had a dog with her. It was a pug. He was almost 11 years old, and he was coming to live with us because uh, some circumstances had changed for the person he was with, and uh, she brought him to us. So I did not object to this. I was happy to take him in. He took an instant liking to me, which helped. Like, the way he acted within a day or two was like he had known me his whole life, like I was his owner his whole life. He took an instant liking to me, and I liked him. So I felt like he had been my dog for a long time, not a dog I'd only had for a few days. But the sad thing was that I knew that as soon as I'd get attached to the dog, that uh, pretty soon after that he would pass away. The average male pug lives till about 12 and three quarters years, and he was almost 11. So that left less than two years if he were to reach the average lifespan for a male pug. But he was twice the size of an average male pug. He was a very large pug. He wasn't fat. I mean, he wasn't thin either, but he wasn't a fat pug. He was just big. He was just very large for the breed. He was just naturally a large pug, as I said, about two times the size of what you'd normally picture a pug to be. So I figured, okay, being about twice the size of a normal pug, that would tend to make me think that he would fall on the lesser side of average regarding lifespan. So I didn't know how long I'd have him and be kind of sad. You just get used to having the dog and then they're gone. I would have never pictured that I would have been doing this tribute to him at the end of, uh, actually, the beginning of June of 2021. 
This was in December 2015, and he was coming to me as an elderly dog. So he lived five and a half more years from the time that I received him. And I never would have guessed I'd have him for five and a half years. And he was in good shape for about four and a half of those five years. Actually, close to five. He's, a, he's just starting to show some signs of deterioration in the spring of 2020, but he was still very good. In fact, if you've seen the picture I've been posting of him on social media and on Poker Fraud Alert, this was taken in June 2020, and you'll see he looks great there. So he was just beginning to show some signs of deterioration. Uh, in 2021, he looked substantially worse, and he felt substantially worse. But as I said, he could walk, he could eat normally, he enjoyed being alive, and that was true up to the end, and I could tell that. So while I know there's some pet owners who are unrealistic about keeping their pets alive long past the time that they should, this one I felt, despite the fact that he had clear health problems by the end and didn't have much long, much longer on this earth, I, I wanted to let him live that out. At least uh, I, I was going to do the deed soon if it didn't happen naturally, but I wanted to give him a little more time. And now I'm especially happy I did because then he, he got a much better ending this way. He got to eat a burger. That was his favorite meal. Went to sleep and passed away. So, rest in peace, Otis. 16 and a half years, a great lifespan for a dog. If I make it to the equivalent for humans, I'll be very happy. I don't think I will, but if I make the equivalent of 16 and a half years for a dog, even for a pug, that's uh, that'll be great. Okay, let me put on someone else here who I know... Loves his dog, and I know he has an elderly dog that uh, had some issues. Uh, Calwat, hello. Hey, doing rough. Listen, I'm sorry to hear about Otis. Well, thank you, thank you. How's how's your dog doing? The one that uh, I know had some uh, health issues is, uh, is that dog still well, okay? I, I, yeah, I mean, I I definitely know what it's like because we've had um, we had uh, one dog that we had two dogs that ended up having cancer, right? So. We had to do cancer treatments on both dogs, and we lost one dog, uh, not this past Christmas, but the one before. We were actually were away on vacation, and we had them boarded, and uh, this was after he had, we got another couple of years out of him. I know it's tough, man, because you know the dog is, is not looking good, but you don't want to put him down. But, we, you know, one of the things we had a big talk about was... You also don't want to keep him alive like a zombie just to make yourself feel better, you know? So it's tough. I know it is, I know it's like it's tough to make that call and it sounds like the way that Otis passed was probably the the best of possible things that could have happened to, you know? Yeah, it was. If the dog's yes. favorite meal is a hamburger, the dog lived a pretty good life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so so uh it was funny because I almost took out dog food that night and I go, "Wait a minute, we have a hamburger left over." You know what? I'm going to give him mm-hmm. the hamburger. So I gave him a hamburger and rice. And uh, heated it up in the microwave, put it out. He ate the whole thing. He was very happy. And uh, about eight to ten hours later, he was gone. So uh, he he enjoyed his last meal, and he died under the best circumstances, as you said. Much much more pleasant end than uh, being brought to the vet to be put down. So yeah, I mean, our the dog that I'm talking about, we were on vacation in the British Virgin Islands and got the call from the vet, and you know we we had had a couple of scares with him before, so we weren't really sure whether it was important or not, you know? And my wife was, you know, was just like, we should go back. We should go back. And I'm like, wait till I talk to the doctor. 
then I talked to the doctor and it was super clear that this was not the same. You know what I mean? So we were uh, two days into our vacation and we uh, canceled everything, flew back and came up there and made the made the really tough call to put him down. It was a pretty clear case where he was suffering and it wasn't going to get any better. And, uh, you know, it was time for that. But there was uh, there were lots of tears that were shed by, by everyone then. Um, but the other dog, the dog that you're asking about that I was driving to have cancer treatments done, she's still going strong, man. Oh, she's good. She's 15, 16 years old. Wow. She's a Weimariner. And, uh, you know, she's she's not, she's like any anyone who's that old, you know, a person or a, a dog. She's got issues, but she's doing pretty good. Mm, good. I'm glad that dog is uh, doing well considering everything. Anyway, thank you for coming well, on, Cal Watt. I want to tell everybody we have a free roll tonight. It's beginning at 10.05, so it hasn't started yet. But we have a free roll at 10.05 p.m. Pacific time. It is a $75 free roll. It was given by uh, Hutmaster. We actually got a lot of money this week. I, I held over some of it. Uh, Rumdick, who's a forum poster, he's not even really a radio listener, but uh, Rumdick, uh, a forum poster, he uh, donated 100 as well. So uh, we're going to hold over that money for the future. And the Hutmaster 75 is being used this week, so... The prize pool, uh, $75, split three ways. 40 will get first pla- for first place, 22 for second, and 13 for third. 40, 22, and 13. Go to pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase, to understand the requirements to win the money, which I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin Cash, by Bitcoin if the fees are low enough, and by other methods you might be able to think of and... I will get that to you. It's real cash money, though, not uh, poker site money. It's a very important distinction here. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, which has always been our number. You can text that same phone number anytime before, during, or after the show, and I will respond to you in most cases. If you do it during the show, though, I might read it on the air unless you ask me at the beginning not to do so. If you do it after or before the show, then I won't. And remember, there's never a time too late or too early to text me. I'm always happy to get your texts. The Mount Charleston line. It is an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin. It forwards to me wherever I go. You cannot text the number, but you can call it during the show. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line that we've also had since the beginning. The call to listen line is a number you can call and listen to the show. It does not require a smartphone, a data plan, a computer, the internet, a good signal. No, 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 none of that stuff. Just very simple. You call up, you listen. It's a great way to listen to the show. It never freezes and it never buffers. I promise you that. The phone number is 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736. The call to listen line or the alternate number, 641-741-1095 is the last four. Very good thing to use to listen when you're in your car if you're streaming the show. And when we're not live, you can listen to our streaming reruns, which is go. It just goes on and on, repeats uh, or selects a show that uh, is from our archive of hundreds of shows we've done over the years. Just picks one at random, runs it in full, and then picks the next one until we come live on the air. That runs on the call to listen line when we're not live. It runs on the radio tab, which you can use now to listen to on any device. So that's what you can listen to. A lot of people do listen to this. We have people listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio 24-7. It's very rare that I look and I see nobody is listening to the show. 
even though it's old shows most of the time. And we also have a chat room. If you're listening live, you can go into the chat room and you can chat with people who are in the live show. Calwatt, uh, I want to brag to you, it's not a flash chat, so it actually works with any device. It's it's uh, It predates flash chat, so I didn't exactly get into the 2020s, but nevertheless, it is a chat room that... <laughs> Is not Flash, so at least I got that done. And so we, you replaced it with something older. Yeah, than so we Flash. actually we actually went back. Yeah, it's it's actually a two thousands chat. It's a cha- it's a two thousands chat room. I'll say that, but at oh least it's not goodness. the nineteen hundreds. At least I'm at least I'm in the twenty first century. <laughs> it works. It works with every device, though. That's the the upside, and it's it's fully integrated with the bulletin. There's no separate login process. That was the most important thing to me. Is that you you click that chat button and it just ships you in there with with your existing Poker Fraud Alert forum credentials. That was the big thing to me, and something that's just simple to use. And I, I stripped it down. I did some work on it to make sure it had a lot of extraneous features that it tried to imitate IRC, and I, I don't know. It was too uh, too IRC like for my taste. So I stripped a lot of things out to it was just a very simple, straightforward chat room and there we are. We've had this since like uh, I think October. Anyway. I'm, I'm a little bit scared, but I'm going to take a look. Okay, I'm going to dip, my, look. I, I'm I'm dip my toe in there. I'm scared to hear your reaction. Okay, I'm not going to say a word, I promise. <laughs> Here's the agenda and then we will get going. Landon Teese or the Tice, I don't know, but he's playing a uh, Bill Perkins in their stupid heads-up match, which is really just for attention, if we must be honest about it. I mean, pretty much all of them are just for attention, but this one even more. So we'll talk about this match. It's gone with two sessions, to my knowledge. Maybe they did a third today. I didn't look yet, but we'll talk about the first two sessions, and I'll do a quick look to see if there's a third. Zenith Poker. I bet you guys haven't heard of Zenith Poker. I haven't heard of Zenith Poker. It's not a poker site. It's some kind of poker YouTube channel. And they posted pre-flop charts from poker coaching programs on YouTube. So you may think, why am I talking about this? Well, because that could be a copyright violation. And the poker coaching sites, like Upswing Poker is one of them, are very angry about this. They think that this shouldn't be allowed, that basically the guy is giving away some of their best stuff for free on his YouTube channel. So we're going to discuss this. I'm not going to play any of it. I, I, I played it a little bit. It was very boring. And it's like an hour 20, so it's not a good thing to play on radio. But we're just going to discuss what they're doing, and we'll discuss the ethics on doing something like this. Sean Perry, I'm going to give you an update about him. Remember that young poker pro that Daniel Coleman alleged scammed him for seven figures in a very, very obvious and elementary scam, if it was a scam? Well, he's still in poker. He's not hiding his face. He won a high roller event. So we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about the likelihood of whether that money is going to go to Daniel Coleman. Daniel Negreanu, at that same event, accidentally, so he says, accidentally in quotes, destroyed the plexiglass that was up to protect people from COVID. He actually destroyed it after a bust-out. So we'll discuss whether it was intentional, whether it was accidental, whether it was kind of in between the two, and uh, just kind of a general discussion of Negranu's behavior lately, because he also lashed out at a listener of Poker Fraud Alert, who had some critical comments, not even about the plexiglass, but about uh, a tweet that Daniel made. So we'll talk about Daniel's behavior there. Bovada is leaving Calwatt State. You know that, Calwatt? You will not be able to uh, use Bovada going forward very soon. They have uh, left the New York market, or they're about to. They've 
posted a notice they're leaving the New York market, but Ignition is staying. So how do we explain that? Why is Ignition staying and Bovada leaving when they're essentially the same site? We will discuss that. I will give you the answer to that one. And uh, I'll tell you if you need to worry about Bovada leaving your market if you are a frequent player on there. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on with my state, Druff. <laughs> First of all, I mean, Bovada leaving, but I found out recently that there are only five Tesla dealerships allowed in wow. the entire New York state. That's weird. And the, Well, the reason is some law was passed in 2014 to kind of like a protectionist thing for other car companies. So legally in New York State, they're not allowed. I don't know. It's all sorts That's of weird shit weird. going on. It's a pretty large state geographically, too, so it's kind of strange. Yeah, it's like the third largest state population-wise. Yeah, population-wise, very large, and then it's pretty much tied with Florida for second. I mean, it's very close between the two. So, yeah, it's a very big population, and geographically, it's not small. So that's strange. And tons of money. Like, it's yes. amazing to me that they could just bar a car dealers yeah. from selling. I mean, <laughs> that, whatever. That weird. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So a legalized sports book has opened at a stadium. This is the first time it's happened. I know it was being discussed about uh, an opening of a uh, Caesars book, believe it or not, in uh, Chase Field of the Diamondbacks, but that hasn't happened yet. But an actual sports book now has opened at a stadium in the United States. This is the first one ever. I will tell you which one and which city. Brandon plans to come on. He's probably sleeping now, but uh, he plans to come on and uh, he'll do his usual Vegas topics. It's been a popular segment we've been doing towards the end of the show where he comes on and just hammers us with various Vegas topics that we discuss, some of which I'm not even aware of until he gets here. So we'll do Brandon's Vegas topics provided he comes and we'll try to get a call from Sharif, the Nigerian scammer who uh, I sent him remember last week we were supposed to send him a form to sign. I did send him a form to sign. I will uh, also read you what I wrote in the form for him to sign, which he signed by the way. And then I'll give you a status of where it is, and we'll see if we can get him on the phone again. We're going to try to extend it even further, I think, because people are really enjoying these segments. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from people that they're enjoying the us stringing the scammer along. So even though the original plan was to do the big reveal this week and drop the ball on him that we have been screwing with him, I think we're going to try to stretch this a bit longer. We have two coronavirus topics, including... One that's good news. So that's the show for this week. So let's go to the Landon Teese and uh, Bill Perkins thing right away. The free roll, by the way, you still have plenty of time to get in. You got uh, 25 minutes of late registration, so you have till 1030. It's only 1008. So it's plenty of time to get into that free roll. Anyway, uh, Cal White, are you familiar with this heads up match? I know nothing about it, but if it's Bill Perkins, I'm sure there's plenty of money involved. Yeah, there, there kind of is. This was started because two people who really wanted attention uh, decided <laughs> to get in on the whole attention via heads-up match thing. And So basically everyone on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Landon Teese, do you know about him? No, I don't. Okay. Sorry. He, he, see, he's 21 years old. You may, you may actually be happy you don't know about him when you hear me explain the whole thing. He's 21 years old. And he appeared on the poker scene pretty much in, like, late 2020. And before that, no one had heard of him. In fact, before that, he really wasn't anybody in poker. He was a 
fanboy, a big fanboy of Joey Ingram. In fact, I remember he did some kind of volunteer work to, to transcribe some of Joey Ingram's videos. Like, that's the type of stuff he was doing. He's like a fanboy saying, hey, Joey, I'll do this for you. So he was really just like a nobody in the chat in, in Joey's videos. Then he had some uh, poker success once he turned uh, 21. And uh, he started to think about uh, being a professional poker player. Before, he was really just a poker fanboy. So picture what would happen if a young guy who really didn't think that he was going to be a poker pro at first and was just kind of a poker fan. Think about if he suddenly had success and said, hey, maybe I have some poker talent. And keep in mind, he didn't – I don't know when he turned 21, but his first cast – was in the uh, WSOP online series for 29K, sixth place, on July 18th, 2020. And uh, then his big score was a 201,000 first place win at the uh, MSPT event, uh, Deep Stack event, on uh, November 13th. So, Is this the storied old tale of a tournament donk that think he's, thinks he's amazing at poker? Well, it might be. So he was, he yeah. got, anyway, this is like a very, very wide-eyed, excited kid of like, oh, poker is so cool. Wow, wow, poker, poker, poker. And it's like, so all these uh, older players who've been around, even the ones who are like in their 30s now that have been around since the 2000s, they, they've, the, the shine has been rubbed off for poker. It's just kind of a thing they do now. <laughs> It's a, yeah, there's exciting moments if you win a bracelet or if you make a final table in a big event or you win a lot of money. Yeah, you still get excited. But like you don't look at poker on a daily basis like it's this new, super exciting thing that you're super jazzed about every day. So that's the way he treated it. And some people were kind of turned off by this, especially some of these like guys who were young back in the 2000s but are now like the uh, old, uh, grizzled uh grinder types and when i say old i don't mean like chronologically old i mean kind of like they've just been in poker a long time so they they didn't have much patience for this like jared jaffe was one so he was just going off on him and then there, there were other people kind of like him with like similar personalities that were bashing him on twitter now at first i didn't really agree with these critics i said okay you know let, let the kid have his fun let, let him enjoy this let his, him enjoy this moment because he's new to the whole thing he broke out he used to be a nobody he used to have no money he's had some good initial success. So let's let him enjoy it. Yeah, unless the kid's a, a total douche. I mean, yeah, it's it's good to have some enthusiasm, right? I right, mean, so, that's, think. so that's how I saw it at first. Now, yeah. Willie McFML, who's a uh, forum poster, also a listener to the show, I've known him for a long time, he didn't like Landon. He was saying he's an attention whore. And when Willie said that, I thought, you know what? I like Willie doesn't usually just say this type of thing lightly. He usually has a pretty good judgment of this sort of thing. And I'm like, you know... He kind of is, but still, he's only 21. Like, if he was 40 acting this way, I'd have a different opinion, but he's only 21. And so, like, I I still kind of dismissed it. However, as time has passed, which has been, like, the last four months or so since I really thought about this, I've kind of come around to agree more with Jared Jaffe and these other guys because Landon constantly sucks up to, like, every poker pro, every name poker pro who will give him attention or talk to him. And it works, too, because they do give him attention. And they do promote him. So I'm not even saying it's necessarily a bad thing he's doing for himself. And I, he hasn't done anything bad to anybody. He hasn't uh, scammed anybody. He hasn't done anything shady. Uh, he hasn't really done anything mean to anyone. So it's not like, it's not like he's done something that's shady or asshole-ish. He's just kind of annoying in that he's constantly seeking attention, especially from the bigger name pros. And it kind of gets grating after watching it for a while. And I so I don't th- I don't hate him or dislike him, 
but I'm kind of getting irritated by him is the best way I can explain it. So if he were female, you know, he he probably would be sleeping with everyone in the band. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I, I bet he would be. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but since uh, since he's a dude, uh, he's he's going a different way. He's he's been very good at it though. I'll give him that. He has been very good at getting this attention, getting these people to promote him, and getting these people to uh, retweet him and take pictures with him and all these things. And even talk about his match. He fell in with the Matt Berkey and uh, Christian Soto group on Sulfur Y Poker, who were actually uh, co-defendants of mine in the Postle case. Not anymore, because that case is gone. But I've not gotten along with that group all that well. They're kind of like this this new-agey, kind of uh, touchy-feely group, both in their approach to poker and life. And I think some of it isn't very sincere, there's just I, I've I've even had some arguments with them, not nothing very serious, but kind of just some disagreements on Twitter with them. I uh, him falling in with that group it makes it even easier to kind of like be irritated by him because that group kind of irritates me too. So that's who is believed to be backing him somewhat here. There's also a rumor that Phil Galfond has backed him, though I, this isn't confirmed. Someone on Two Plus Two said that it was both. Uh, Berkey slash Soto and Galfond doing it, that Berkey actually didn't have enough faith to back him in this high-stakes match. So he uh, only partially backed him, and Galfond put up a lot of the money. Anyway, the big thing with this match, the the most interesting detail here, is that there's a tremendous refund coming back to Perkins in the form of uh, big blinds returned per 100 hands played. It's called BB per 100. So for every 100 hands they play, Perkins gets back nine big blinds, which is huge. That's a, a very big handicap. So they're, My God. they're playing 200, 400, no limit. So that means the big blind is 400, which means every 100 hands they play, 3,600 goes back to Bill Perkins. Now, Bill Perkins is a recreational player. Bill Perkins is not an elite heads-up player, but he's also been studying poker. He's gotten coaching. He has, he's obviously not a dumb guy. This is someone who's made a lot of money. He, it's not like he's just some dude who inherited a ton of money. You know, he, he had a successful business. He's made a ton of money. He lives out in the uh, Virgin Islands. He's, uh, now, he loves attention, too. So you may say, well, what about Perkins? This guy is an older attention whore. This guy's like in his 50s. He loves attention. He uses his money to get attention. All true. However, he also does good things. For example, he's the one who's been backing Veronica Brill's defense in this Mike Postle lawsuit against her. He has been generous many other times with his money about things. Like he's, Yes, he's using this somewhat to get attention to himself, but he is actually doing good. He's actually, uh, through his attention, there's also generosity attached to it, and he gives action in high-stakes games. So this is definitely a guy that's good to have in poker. And not just, though he's not as good as the top pros and he's donating, but he's someone who steps up when people need money for things. And, and I, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Struff, I mean, attention whores can be annoying, but there are lots of worse things that you can be in this world. Yeah, <laughs> and that's know? what I'm saying. He's like, he, this yeah. guy wants attention, He obviously, but he at least he's doing something positive in the process of getting this attention so it, the, well, i mean it, even if he wasn't you know i mean you're right that that makes it better but i'm just saying attention horrors i mean they can be annoying but there are lots of worse worse things yeah, that's, that you can that's, be in this world i think you know generally my feelings that's why i don't i yeah. don't hate 
either of them. I don't even dislike either of them. I, I'm a little annoyed by Landon. Perkins doesn't really annoy me because the good kind of outweighs uh, the attention-seeking part of it. So, But whatever. I, I, I don't love either of these guys. I don't hate either of these guys. I'm more kind of just watching, you know, how's this going to go. Um, it's kind of like a dog that constantly humps your leg, you know. <laughs> at first you appreciate their enthusiasm, but at some point it just gets irritated. That's, that's a good description. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Bill Perkins getting nine big blinds per 100, a lot of people raise their eyebrows because it's not like he's playing Doug Polk. It's not even like he's playing Phil Helmuth or Negreanu. He's he's playing someone who's fairly new to the game. Even if the guy has some poker talent, I'm talking about uh, Landon, uh, is he really nine big blinds per 100 better than Perkins, who isn't a dumb guy, obviously, and has access to the best coaching and the best tools and whatever he needs to prepare. And they took some time to prepare. They They announced this back in February, and they're just starting. So Perkins prepared for this, obviously. So can Landon really beat him nine big blinds per 100? Now, you remember the Polk and Negranu match? Believe it or not, had Negranu uh, gotten that from Polk, Polk would have still narrowly beaten him because of Polk's good finish to the whole thing. It would have been close, but Polk still actually would have uh, cleared that. But most of the time, he would not have cleared that. Most of the time, he was not nine big blinds per 100 ahead. And I don't think long-term, if the two of them played, it would end up a nine big blinds per 100 difference. So, again, we're not talking about Polk, who has a tremendous reputation of being a great heads-up-in-the-limit player. We're talking about a, a kid who has holes in his game, and in fact, we saw one of them in the first match. So, that was announced in February, and I kind of forgot about it, because I'm not going to say I was excited about this whole thing. I, I, I heard about it, I covered it on the show four months ago, and then I forgot it existed. Well, they started it. They started it on June 2nd. So on June 1st, Landon tweeted, just to reiterate again, and put that emoji of the monkey covering its eyes, tomorrow, June 2nd at 2 p.m. Pacific, day one, we fight. 200, 420k hands. I paid nine big blinds per hundred, 720k for the entire challenge. Let's go. So yeah, he has to finish 720k ahead of Perkins in this 20,000 hand challenge which may take a while to complete because Perkins is a busy guy and uh, I don't know how long it's going to take him to get that done. So anyway, they finally got going on June 2nd. A lot of variance in that first match. Landon started off getting clobbered, absolutely clobbered, and was down about 130K. Then he had a big run-up and not only erased that 130K he was down, he was up about 100K. And then he made a bad call, and when the whole thing was said and done, he finished up 18K after 623 hands. Remember, they're playing 20,000 total, but they one ended with 623 hands played, uh, 18K up for Landon, which isn't very much given the size of the blinds here. And also, if you factor in the nine big blinds per hundred, he's actually down because from just those 623 hands... 22,400 goes back to Perkins. That shows you how hard it is for Landon to win this. So any kind of close result like this, it's actually Perkins who ends up winning. The big hand that everybody was talking about was one that Landon, I didn't like the way he played it. I'm not a heads-up, no-limit expert by any means, but of course I have some decent idea how to play proper heads-up, no-limit hold'em, and I, I don't think this was it. So it was good hand against good hand, I will say that. Landon was dealt ace-king, and Perkins had nines. 
And Druff, you know, it's been a while since I've played poker seriously, but 9 BP per 100 is a pretty amazing win rate online. It is, I mean, yes. <laughs> that's the thing. What's it's, the it's, deal? It's, it's, it's how, a, how do you give that away? I don't know how you give that away. That's that's what people were saying. Anyway, so yeah, he was he was in the big blind with Ace King, and Perkins turned out he had uh, nines in the in the small blind. Starts off the small blind, of course, being acting first. So uh, the small blind is the button here. So Perkins starts off raising to uh, two point four big blinds. It says in this hand history, which is you had to multiply by four hundred. So he raises to almost a thousand. Then. Landon made it uh, 9.5 big blinds, so he made a substantial raise over this 2.4. He already, this is almost uh, four times. And then uh, Perkins called. So there's already uh, 19 big blinds in the pot. It's already close to uh, $8,000 in the pot. The flop comes 6.26 with, uh, looks like, two spades. So then Tease uh, fires out. Remember, he was the, the three-better pre-flop. So he fires out on the 6-2-6, obviously hoping to take it right here, missing it. And then uh, Perkins calls. The turn is another deuce. So then Landon checks, and then Perkins bets 17.63 big blinds into a 44 big blind pot. At this point, I was going to let it go if I were, if I were Landon. Is that what you would do here if if uh, if, if you're going to check there? I think I think it's better to either continue firing and then give up after it if they call you or if they raise you of course or just check fold. But uh 6262 six, two, if you're checking and the opponent's betting, I think you've got to fold here for uh 18 big blinds. I mean, you know they probably don't have he probably doesn't have a 6 or a 2 there. So you can say, well if I hit the ace or king, I'm good. Is it worth calling uh Seventeen point six three big blinds into a, a forty four big blind pot. I, I think I just laid down there. What, what would you have done on the turn there, Calwat? I'm with you, Druff. You, you can't win every hand. You got you got to go in with that mentality that there's going to be. Ones I mean, like this, this that, is barring any dynamic. I mean, who knows what's going on if they're playing heads up? You know, yeah. Barring any dynamic or read or whatever, you know, in a, in a vacuum, yeah. But who knows? Maybe there was some dynamic going on with the the game. Who knows? So here, but that that wasn't a terrible call. I'm not saying that was horrible. He he only called 18 big blinds into a 44 big blind pot, and there's a good chance if he gets the ace or the king that he's good, and he probably will get a call if he bets it, as long as the bet's not too big. And so, and hopefully maybe has plans even if he misses. Maybe he's seeing something. You know who yeah. knows. So the river's a nine, obviously huge for Perkins, who we already know as pocket nines. So Perkins now is very emboldened by that. He was Perkins obviously was worried he's facing a higher pocket pair. Then once that nine hits, he knows he's golden. So Landon checks again. Now the pot was short, uh, slightly short of 80 big blinds. It was slightly short of uh, $32,000. Then Perkins fires 150 big blinds into it. He didn't just fire I mean, pot. He fired <laughs> double pot. <laughs> now, okay. did, did Landon have 150 big blinds to call? No, but close. He had 137.3 big blinds to call. So basically, Perkins put him all in for far more than the pot. So there, there was 100, uh, 137 big blinds effective in play there. And Perkins bet the whole thing. Obviously very confident, but uh, Landon called it with Ace what? High and saw the bad news. So a wow. 354 big blind pot there which uh, obviously is huge when the big 
blind his uh, 400. That's the old stack-a-donk move. Like, yeah. just, oh, <laughs> my God. So 141000 dollars there i mean that's insane One hundred forty-one thousand in that pot now yes half only half of it was from landon but that really kind of made the difference there between landon finishing up the 100k he was around this time and finishing up 18 because he lost over 70 in that hand so that uh now landon had a good sense of humor about it afterwards he made a little meme for himself showing have you seen that meme of like a car that uh is like skidding towards an exit on the freeway where there's there's a sign with straight this oh, way, yeah. right this way. So he put the uh, straight folding right uh, calling ace high versus a 1.5 times river jam. And he and he puts me on the car that's skidding towards the exit with the call. So yeah, I guess he took it in good humor. But that was – when I see plays like that, I think that unless there's really some kind of reason that he really thought this was good – and remember, they're not playing live. They're playing online, so there's no facial tells or anything. So unless there was some... They were playing ACR, in case you're wondering. Unless there was something that Landon picked up there, which, of course, was incorrect, but unless there's something Landon picked up there, I would let this go. I would have let it go on the turn, but if I didn't let it go on the turn, I would have let it go on the river. Now, is there a chance that uh, Perkins could be screwing with me and hammering also with ace high? Maybe even worse? And that I'd be holding back. Almost never the case. Yeah, but it's never the case, right? Because look, Landon called him with ace high. If Landon had jacks, queens, kings, aces, tens, he's he's calling this obviously because he called the ace king. So there's a lot of hands that are still going to call there when you when you hammer like this if they've got got over pairs. So like like the nine, you could think, oh, maybe my opponent has ace nine. And he's he's trying to overbet it and make me fold an over pair. So you've got to call that there. In most cases, so uh, does he ever have an overpair there though? The way the hand played. I well, mean, y- y- oh, oh yeah, with the check. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think about the check on the turn. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't usually have an overpair. So I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. What, I don't know what he was thinking uh, with, with that rough. with that call. But uh, th- this is just showing kind of an experience. That's the point. Is that it's uh, now if you placed me in a heads up match that everybody's watching. I shouldn't say everybody's watching. That's an exaggeration. But that is being watched by the public. Shall I say? I got to tell you, Druff, I was not watching. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Sorry. Either, but, but if you want, if you put me in like a semi-high profile heads-up match that is being watched like this for a lot of money, I would not play perfectly. I would probably play hands that people would show the history afterwards and say, wow, this guy sucks, or what was he thinking? That's, it would probably happen, especially because I'm not a heads-up no-limit specialist. But I, I would tell you that I wouldn't do this. This this would be one I can tell you for sure I would not do. So. This this isn't to clown on Landon and say he sucks. I'm not even saying that. I'm saying that uh, this shows you that it, he's probably not a nine big blinds per hundred favorite over Landon uh, over uh, Perkins if he's doing things like this. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna guess not. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, so so he's, he's still ahead though if you don't count the handicap there, and if you count the handicap, it's virtually even. Day two, however, didn't go so well. Day two, they played around 300 hands. They didn't get an exact count. And Perkins won almost $80,000 to put this at uh, around 61 and change that Perkins was up after close to 1,000 hands. Now, they're only about 5% done, so that's nothing. However... Just as, as a side note, Druff, I find it hilarious when these when these grudge matches are played and the 
the multimillionaire is the one that ends is like just stacking the pros money i find it hilarious <laughs> well that's why i thought i thought this will be really funny if perkins not only beats the nine big blinds per 100 handicap but but if perkins actually outright wins the whole thing like that'll be a little embarrassing after you give the guy nine big blinds per 100 and then just lose outright now we're very far from that point with with 95 percent of the match to be played but of course, it's on people's minds now, given that Landon has played almost 100 hands against him and is currently down about uh, 61,000, which is 150 big blinds. I don't know what to uh, think of what's going to happen for- going forward here. I know there's a lot of variance in this. And the truth is, if that hand had never been dealt, that weird... Which I know you can't just say that, but let's say that hand was never dealt, that just never took place, there would be 70,000 more and Landon would be a little bit ahead. So I know like a few big hands can mean everything. Sometimes it's a cooler. Sometimes it's just one guy playing bad for one hand. So I know there's a lot of these factors which can jump back and forth. Look at the Negreanu Polk thing where at one point it looked like that Polk was going to destroy him. Another point it looked like that Negreanu was actually going to win this thing. And then when it all was said and done, then uh, Polk won pretty decisively. So yeah, you can't say much about a thousand hands. And I know that. But I think that my guess is that Perkins is going to be able to lose fewer than nine big blinds per hundred. And really, it wouldn't shock me if he outright won the whole thing, especially if he got some good coaching. Landon got coaching as well. You might be able to guess from where, from Solve for Why. From his investors. Yes. Solve for (laughs) Why, you know, like I, I got in a little bit of a tiff with Berkey on Twitter where I was mocking that he described the course as holistic and he said, Oh, you know what? Free range too. (laughs) organic. He said, why don't you, you I invite you to come down during the world series. He meant 2020 is before coronavirus. He's like, come down during the 2020 world series. Yeah. You can sit in on it. I want you to give your honest opinion. Like he was, he was, uh, he was, he even mentioned on some, some, podcast or some video show he appeared on that uh you know todd whittles was criticizing my course saying about the term holistic <laughs> so he, apparently it stuck with him but <laughs> doug polk really doesn't like berkey and unlike the thing with negranu where they've kind of made up i'm talking about uh polk and negranu like with all the long history they have the like after this match they kind of i wouldn't say they're good friends but they it seems like they get along a lot better and don't actually hate each other now Polk and Berkey, I could never see that happening with. They, they they just truly do not like each other one bit. And Polk always mocks Berkey for trying to intentionally use big words on Twitter, always intentionally uh, tweeting to come off uh, uh, complex or deep-thoughted or intellectual. And, and he's totally right. Like, you read every one of Berkey's tweets, it's like that. And, and that's kind of where my criticism was for the whole holistic thing. But as far as the quality of the course, I don't know. And I, the weird thing is I've heard mixed things. I've heard people saying, like, it's a lot of uh, gimmickry and a lot of uh, pseudo-intellectualism. And I've had other people raving about it, saying it's a great course and it really makes you think differently about poker. It makes you so much better. So I don't know what to think. And, and I haven't examined the course, so I'm not going to try to judge it not having seen it. I'm telling you that I've I've seen and heard various totally polar opposite reviews of the Solve for Y training program. Some absolutely love it and think it's the greatest thing ever and some think it's terrible. So it's, it's weird. I've never, I, I can't even think of a, pro, of a training course that has such a polarization. I, I've heard some courses that are said to suck. I've heard some that are reviewed and, and people really like. I, I've even su- seen some where 
people generally like the course, but they don't like the person putting it on. They criticize the person because of that reason, but they don't really have fair criticism for the course. But I, I've never seen the course itself that has such varied reviews from people. But I, that's what I've seen from Solve for Why. So for Berkey and for Christian Soto, who's also uh, a partner in Solve for Why, this would be embarrassing for them if Landon ends up losing here because he's kind of like their prodigy. He's this young guy who's thought to be this uh, raw poker talent that maybe rough around the edges, maybe needs some coaching, maybe needs some help, but someone who's like a true raw poker talent who might be huge in the future, and they're helping shape him. So if See, he Griff, goes, uh, Like I was saying before, I, I appreciate his enthusiasm and all that stuff, and I think that's good for the game, and it's great to see people enthusiastic about it and everything, but come on, man. Like, you, you don't know anything about how good someone is at poker in a year, let alone if it's just uh, the result of a few tournaments. You know what I mean? I yes, mean, yes, that's that's very true. And and how? Yeah, yeah. So so they're they, but they've put a lot behind him here regarding like pumping him up. They've they've he's officially part of Solve for Why now in some way. He's not just a student there. He's a he has some role. He's there. their mascot. Yeah, kind of. So he's <laughs> so the the point is if he loses this outright, if he doesn't cover the nine big blinds, fine because he, you can say, well, that's such a ridiculous amount to have right. to cover that uh, he was just trying to get Perkins to play him and uh, and gave him a little bit too much back. So okay, if he still beats him decisively, then that still looks pretty good. But if he loses outright here, even which may not be a big criticism of Landon if Perkins just learned to become pretty good at heads up no limit. Which is possible. It's not. It, you can't just automatically say, "Oh, Perkins is a fish," just because he's I mean, rich. From what I remember of seeing Perkins play, his biggest problem was he just had so much money. Like I think he would get bored and not care. But he wasn't. He wasn't a complete idiot. You know, he's definitely with. He made some cringy plays, and he was kind of an action junkie. But you know. I don't know. Right, and and he took coaching. Here is the point. So he may have improved yeah. a lot. He may have, and he he may really want to win this just so he could uh, surprise the critics and not only overcome the nine big blinds, but actually outright win. That would really look great for him. That would give. I'm mean, talking about attention in poker that he that he wants. Imagine getting the attention that he's given such a big handicap, and then and then wins wins outright. So. I think, I think is, he won just by being given that handicap. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I would be bragging just for, for that reason. Yeah. You know? So, so Perkins, uh, I, I you know, if he wins this, I'm not even saying that Landon should be humiliated. I'm just saying that uh, this could be very embarrassing for Saul for why if their golden boy prodigy loses outright, which again, is way too early to say is a likelihood or anything like that. We're just at the beginning here. Just, just something worth discussing. There's, there's more to this whole thing. There's more dyna- dynamics to this whole thing than just uh, uh, a young attention whore versus an old attention whore on Twitter. So, uh, it's just a pile of whores pushing <laughs> money around. <laughs> <laughs> now, Landon is playing for 10% of himself, supposedly. That's what someone's claiming they heard on a podcast. So... Someone's saying on 2 plus 2, and again, this isn't verified, but this is when someone claims they heard this, where Landon himself said he has 10% of himself, that he's playing 2040, is the way he described it, rather than 200-400, and that the backers, whoever they are, have 90%. The funny thing was, someone posted on 2 plus 2 
that they were actually rooting for Perkins big time because they thought this was Berkey's money. And once they heard it was Galfon's money, then they felt bad and they kind of don't want him to win anymore. So they, this is someone who didn't like Berkey but liked Galfond and now feels bad for rooting for uh, for Perkins to win here. Yeah, so, Drew, if I don't want to go off on a, a tangent to your, your story here or anything, but I, I was watching a, a video online and Ask Me Anything with Dwan, Tom Dwan. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy, the guy said that he didn't think he ever had less than ninety percent of himself in any of the televised poker games he was playing. That's insane, given some of the stakes that we saw him play. I mean, that's just crazy. So, Dwan himself said this. That's what he said. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. He was a big degenerate. I mean, he really oh just—he had no bankroll management skills, and then eventually, that uh, Chinese mobster took him under his wing and was backing him, but. Uh, and that's kind of what he needs. He kind of needs like a massive role behind him so he doesn't have to uh, deal with bankroll issues. But that's just, that's just ballsy, like having 90% of yourself in, in those lineups. I mean, I guess he, you know, I guess you're right. I guess he was kind of degenerate. But yeah, 10% of this guy sounds about reasonable, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm not criticizing the 10% either. And if that's that's what he could afford or that's where he could comfortably play with, that's that's totally fine. Uh, yeah, and most of the that's why the Dwan thing is so exceptional. Most of these guys would would peace out all over the place, you know. Yeah. So we will see here. Now it's actually good for Landon and his play that he doesn't have a hundred percent of himself because he doesn't have to worry about like, oh my god, my entire bankroll is <laughs> on the line here. He he can know that he's playing something still probably bigger than he normally plays, but not huge. Whereas uh, if his two hundred four hundred big blinds with the role he has, then that would be devastating if he lost and every pot could be devastating potentially. So it's good for him strategy wise that he doesn't have to worry as much about the, uh, the stakes they're playing. Obviously Perkins has all of himself, but Perkins has a ton of money and throws it around. So he doesn't care. So we will see, we will see what happens with this. It's going to take a while to complete. Now, let me see if they played one more time. I, I should have checked this before the show, but I forgot. No, but here's another hand history he posted, which I hadn't seen before. This was actually where he had uh, pocket jacks. Now, this one is more understandable the way it went down, but uh, it was pocket jacks and uh, Perkins. It was the same thing where he was on the big blind. So Perkins opens then to, for $960. Landon popped it up to 3960 and Perkins called, and the flop came 10 10 6 so Landon bet 2600 or so. Perkins called. The turn, a two. So right now there's two hearts and two spades on the board. 10, 10, 6, 2. Uh, Landon bet uh, 8677. Perkins calls. River, a four. And at this point, Landon's thinking, uh-oh, I wonder if he's had a 10 this whole time. <laughs> so, so Landon checks. And then Perkins hammers in 60000 into a pot of about 30000 But uh, Landon only had forty five k left at that point, so it was really a forty five k bet into a $30,000 pot. So again, about 1.5 times the pot. And again, Landon called, and it turned out that Perkins flopped a boat with 10-6 suited. So, okay, that was a cooler. Like, there, that's something where it's, Hard to get away from that, from those jacks there. Yeah, I don't find that nearly as remarkable as that last hand history that you. Yeah, you it read wasn't off. because because uh, there a lot of things could be going on. You know, like for 
what what if uh, Perkins was calling down with 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 a spade draw? What if he was calling down with a six? You know, what if he's calling down with with pocket sevens or pocket five? So there's a so yeah, it's with someone like Perkins who you may think has a lot of money, you may try to push you off after you check to him. Okay, call that you know you can call that, but yeah, the Ace King's a different story. But that was, that was it's funny. It was similar the way the bet sizing went. It just uh, was different in that. He had an overpair there versus just Ace King High, but that was just posted this morning. But that was from I think session two. There is no session three yet, as I thought. So you can check uh, Landon Tease is his Twitter is uh, just Landon Tease T I C E Landon L A N D O N T I C E and Bill Perkins. If you want to look at his, it's a B P twenty two B P twenty two. That's his Twitter. So you can take a look at there. Tweets, looks like since they've gotten two sessions in within a short period of time, maybe they'll be playing some more soon. I don't know when the next one is. I don't have much more to say about it. In the chat room, I see Dive Bar Dave is asking, any comments on Brandon's various malapropisms from the last show? What he's referring to is where Brandon says certain words incorrectly. Brandon does a lot of that on purpose. I don't have any comments about that. If you've been listening to the show, Dive Bar Davis, I know you have. I'm sure you've heard them before. I know Brandon's not on every week. He has been recently, but he's not always on every week. But, yeah, that's kind of just his trademark. So I I have no comment beyond that. So he said he said caveat for caveat. Yeah, I, I heard that too. I didn't bother, I didn't bother to ask about these things. I never know if Brandon's really, really mispronouncing it or if he is doing it on purpose because there are ones where he does it on purpose. And as I say that, uh, Dive Bar Dave logs out in shame. Like right when I said that, it says, Dive Bar, Dive Bar Dave has been logged out. So there, I showed him. Actually, it said he timed out, but I'm going to stick that I showed him. All right, so let's go on to the next topic here about uh, Zenith Poker. And this is really just more of an ethical issue. Zenith Poker is something I'd never heard of before. Have you heard of them? Never. No, it, was, it's, it seems like just a YouTube channel. I don't think they're uh, very prominent. Listen, my kid has a YouTube channel. Who yeah. cares? You know? <laughs> so Seriously. On 2 Plus 2, it was reported on May 28th that Zenith Poker posted a video which is supposedly an evaluation of preflop charts of uh, popular coaching courses. So it's posturing as if it's innocent. It's posturing as if the guy's just reviewing, as as if the guy's just going through these various courses and telling you which one he thinks you should buy. So it's like, okay, here's the preflop chart of upswing. Here's the the preflop chart of this one and that one. And here's what I think of each of them. And now you can decide which one you want. So that's that's the tone. It's not, hey, here's some free stuff for you, or hey, you normally have to pay for this. I'm giving it for free. He's uh, he's doing this supposedly with good intentions to just review these courses. So this person named KVND on Two Plus Two wrote. So in the stream below, Thomas from Zenith Poker reviews preflop charts offered by a Rage Converter, uh, Upswing Poker, Bluff the Spot. Uh, Overnight Monster, Alvin Teaches Poker, and others. 
Various people enter the chat affiliated with above sites, scolding Thomas for revealing this information for free. Thomas is very harsh in his reviews of their ranges and consistently compares them to his own offered ranges, which have a ton of different sizing and mixed sizing strategies. Ah, I see. So this is pretty much to trash the other courses and then say his is great. He claims to have paid for all these charts himself for a free live stream that doesn't have many views. However, he says in the video he was given some of the charts by people in his Discord. He also says stuff like, if you give me the Canoe ranges, I'll take a look at them. I've got more ranges coming in as people give him ranges and access to ranges on Discord. This seemingly contradicts his claim that he paid for all of them. Thomas claims he's reviewing the charts falling under fair use since he's critiquing them. So before we go on here, fair use is a concept which allows you to play clips of other people's content either audio or video, for the purposes of creating a new work. A new work meaning not necessarily a work similar to theirs, but like playing a clip of a movie to do a movie review. So if I were to do a movie review of the all-female Ghostbusters that came out a few years ago, and I play you... Fucking uh, terrible. Yeah, like we already got our review here. But if I were to do a review, which would be the same thing, and I were to play you a clip of it, whether audio or video, and then were to discuss the movie, then that would be considered fair use. Now, if I were to play an hour of it and then discuss it, that would not be fair use because I'd be playing you most of the movie, even though I didn't play the whole movie. If I played an hour of it when it's an hour 45 or whatever it is, that would not be fair use. If I played you two minutes of it, even five minutes of it, then that wouldn't be considered fully fair use. It would be considered fair use because five minutes of that movie which goes along with my own original criticism, is not a substitute for the movie itself. Because it's a very small percentage of the movie, and I'm doing it for a purpose that makes sense. I'm doing this for a purpose to create something else where playing a piece of it would go along with that. So that fair use, as you can tell, I'd love to have uh, Eric Benzamokin on here to discuss this further, but... Fair use, as you can tell, is not concrete, and that's been a problem with it in that when there are lawsuits for uh, regarding copyright infringement and the side that is accused, the defendant says, oh, this is fair use, there's yeah. no concrete standard that can be pointed to to where we can tell what is or isn't. It's always a judgment call, and that's, that's why... That's what I was going to say, Druff, because I've, I've been involved in quite a bit of intellectual property. I'm obviously not a lawyer, but there is no, there, it floats around online like, oh, you can only use 10 minutes of it and then it's fine, or you can only use this, that, or the other. But no, it's it's really, it's up to, ultimately, up to a judge to decide whether it is or is not fair use. So there's no hard and fast guidelines there in terms of what it's going to be. Yeah, and so what, uh, that's exactly correct what you said there. What, Zenith is claiming here is, well, this is fair use. I'm reviewing these. It's fair to post a little of their content to review it. And this should be fine. And if they're unhappy, too bad. But what the critics are saying is that, wait a minute, you're presenting a major part of the course because pre-flop ranges are obviously very big in any kind of uh, no-limit hold'em training course. So, if you give that away for free, then it doesn't make these courses totally useless. There's still more you're learning beyond pre-flop charts, but this is a major part of the game. And by looking at these charts being provided for free that these sites don't provide for free themselves, 
then you have learned a lot of the strategy without having paid a dime for it. And he did not get permission to do this. So the, the question is here, would providing screenshots of these charts be considered fair use, whether he bought them or not? I don't even think whether he bought them matters. Maybe it matters a little bit, but I don't think it matters all that much. It more matters of that he's presenting it to... It doesn't public. matter whether he bought them or not, because it doesn't change who owns the copyright to it. It makes right. no difference. Like, well, I, when I said a little, it's because it could be said, well, uh, at least he's showing something that uh, he bought rather than that someone gave him that he didn't even pay for in the first place. But I agree yeah, that but for the I don't, copyright, from a legal point of view, yeah. I just can't imagine it matters. No, for know? copyright infringement, it really wouldn't. So it'd be, it would be like if you were, like you said, the example before, reviewing a movie. You know, whether you bought the movie yourself or or rented it, you know, or didn't buy it, or just were borrowing a friend's copy. Like it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. you still can't play the whole movie. You know, yeah. or whatever, whatever it ends up being. So, so this is would be an interesting legal battle because while he is presenting something that's a small portion of the training course from the standpoint of uh, like how long a video would present this, he is presenting something which could be argued as a substantial portion of the most important content that these courses present and something that they do not make available to the public who does not pay. So they got a lot of uh, hate for this. Now, the, the uh, video doesn't have a ton of views. It was streamed on May 27th. You can still see it. And it has 3,800 views. And I had to wonder how many of those came from the 2 plus 2 thread bringing attention to it. So I'd love to know how many were had viewed it prior to that being posted, which was the day after the stream. Uh, someone... On 2 plus 2 named Juggler97531 says, I'm not a lawyer, but in my world, this would be clear copyright infringement. Even though I believe a range shouldn't be copyrightable, I think the compilation of ranges in an organized document can be, and the video seems to be sharing big chunks of them to be easily screen scraped. It's over an hour long video where over and over documents with ranges are being shown on the screen. Sometimes he shows a directory full of ranges where the thumbnails are so big he can clearly read them from the screen. And by going through several random points in the video, the critique seems to be universal. Oh, only this exact range size? What if they play any other range size? Why exactly 5.4 big blinds? Will everyone always open with 5.4 big blinds? I'd be very pissed if I were selling some PDFs and someone would make it an hour-long video where he just browses through a big chunk of it and keeps saying, oh, still Comic Sans, what crap, let's see what the font is on another page. So so basically this guy is saying that the the criticism is really very light and frivolous and he's more just doing the criticism to make an excuse for showing this stuff and also possibly to direct them to his own program. It does say right here for Zenith Poker, join Zenith Poker to get free access to advanced poker theory, cutting edge, preflop ranges, post-flop solutions, and group tutorials. So to me this looks like he's reviewing them, saying they're all shit and then kind of directing everybody to buy his course which also, I would think put hit, would put him more in legal jeopardy because they could claim that he is doing this for commercial purposes to promote his own product, basically giving giving away their product for free, bashing their product while giving away for free, and then promoting his own, which he claims is better. So he gets people over there to get their free content and then say, if you want a better version of this, come to me. I'd be curious to hear what, what Eric says on that because, again, I, that's another area where I wonder if that actually matters. 
from the perspective of copyright infringement, I'm not sure it does. I mean, it's it's kind of like motive, you know, if it were a murder trial or something, it's motive, but it, I don't think it matters, your motivations for copying stuff, because there there have been cases where people copy stuff and they make no money at all from it. And people copy stuff and they make tons of money from it. And it made no difference in terms of the prosecution, you know. But in any event, what I'm wondering is, did he really? Did they really need to show the preflot charts to evaluate them? I mean, couldn't you make reasonable inferences or critiques of it without actually showing it? It right. doesn't seem and like I, you I, actually I thought the need exact same to, thing. to do what they did. Yeah, I know? thought the exact same thing. I thought that if he really yeah. wanted to do a critique here, he could not show them and then pick small portions of them to discuss. So he he could say things like, Doug's chart here shows that you 3-bet 8-7 suited uh, in this spot... 18% of the time. And I think that's a big mistake. See, that's the type of... That, that's, I'm just making this up off the top of my head. But yeah. like, like something like that yeah. where he picks out a few hands that he thinks that these charts are presenting incorrectly while not showing the chart. and then Or even, gener- even more general. Like, I think it's too tight. I think it's too loose. I think... You know, I think the the curve, you know, it, you know, or it favors these hands and doesn't favor the. I don't. There's no reason, other than just being lazy. Like, there's no reason why I have to show the whole chart. You know. Yeah, and I I also have to wonder, aside from the obvious commercial motive here, if when he showed them, if he really had in mind, ha ha ha, they're going to see these and say, okay, well now we don't need those courses. Let's buy the one we can't see. Let's let's buy the one that costs money that this guy's promoting that is not available on this video. At least I don't think it is. I didn't watch the whole hour 20 here. Pretty much where he makes the value of these courses to a potential buyer less once they get to see an important part of them for free, that maybe they will be more likely to buy his feeling like they got the good stuff already from all the others without having to pay anything. So I I do wonder if he thought that or if he was just kind of ignorant and just thought he was going to post a bad review of these courses and didn't really think of the fact that he's giving away proprietary information for free. It's possible that is the angle that he believed he was going. Like, he didn't think he was really giving stuff away. He really thought he was just reviewing and trashing them and directing them to his own course, and then people brought it up, and then at that point he defends it by saying fair use. So, I don't know if there's going to be any actual legal action but it is interesting because there was also the discussion, as this one guy mentioned that I read from 2 plus 2, about how copyrightable is a preflop range. Forget the actual screenshot of the course like this guy was doing. I'm talking about just the range itself. If, if uh, I decide to come up with my own preflop chart, and it's similar but not identical to the one that Upswing Poker does, could Upswing Poker sue me? Or could I say that, no, I just happen to agree. I happen to play a similar way to what Doug Polk is recommending or whoever is teaching the course on upswing. I just play a similar way to them. And look, it's not identical. I think I'm different here, I'm different here, I'm different here. But yeah, we're going to have a lot of similarities. Like you get dealt seven do soft suit under the gun. I'm folding, he's folding. So of course, there's going to be a lot of things that we both do all the time the same way. And there's only going to be certain spots where we vary, and I happen to agree with them. I, ha- I have a similar play style to them, and they can't copyright their play style. So that's a that would be a tough one, I think, to explain to a court of whether a preflop range 
like how much of a preflop range chart can be proprietary as far as others making similar products to it yeah and again there that would be a judgment call at some point but i'm i'm sure it could be argued that there is uniqueness in the arrangement of it and all that kind of stuff Re- regarding their motives in doing this i mean i'm a big fan of hanlon's razor which basically says, yeah, never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by stupidity, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I'm just, uh, a lot of the times it's not malicious motive, it's, it's just people being idiots. Well, yeah, I always use that razor when I'm at Caesars. Yeah, well, you have to. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'm kind of 50-50 on this one of whether this really was some kind of devious plan to show all the charts or whether... He just did this thinking that he's going to trash them and wasn't even thinking. Well, here's the thing. You said they don't have many views on YouTube. Does their channel have many subscribers or anything like that? Let me take a look here. Because YouTube is one of those things where, man, like everyone and their brother literally has a YouTube account. It's actually really hard to get lots of people to, to see a YouTube video just because there's so much out there. And it's just it's not easy. Let me see how many subscribers they have. Maybe can they hide this now? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't you see can. It. You can hide how many subscribers you have. Usually, people do that when they don't have many. Oh, also, <laughs> but, well, they, they they must not because I'm looking at some of these other uh, videos they have, and yeah. none of them have all that many views. So there's one with 252 views, one with 962, yeah. one with 1200, and one with 542. This is the most popular video with 3800 views. Now, these are all fairly recent. These are all within the last two weeks. So it's not a channel that's okay. been around a long time. Uh, it's also Listed as being located in Australia, which could make suing them a lot more difficult. That's another yep. problem. So who knows if uh, if they can even take much action. Also, they may decide that this is something that's not enough of a threat if it's just not getting many people seeing it, if it's just not getting a lot of views, if Upswing and the others are not losing much business from this, even though they're annoyed by it. They may choose not to do anything. In fact, I, I've heard that discussed before. Like... Uh, I remember Steven Crowder, who is a uh, big conservative YouTube personality, he was discussing that he actually had seen various channels like ripping off clips that he had done and just posting them with like no other commentary. They just say, uh, Steven Crowder this, Steven Crowder that, and they were getting uh, a fair number of views, but he decided not to go after it because it just wasn't that big. They just He could tell they weren't making very much money from this, so it was just kind of like whatever unless it's uh, – something that really attempts to grow big off of my name, then I'll just let it go. Even though he could take action, he chose yeah. not to. Okay, let's let's move on to talk about Sean Perry. We talked about him on a previous show where he was accused by Daniel Coleman of having scammed him for over a million dollars for, quote, seven figures. And this wasn't a long time ago. This accusation was brought out on May 7th. And today is June 4th, so it's about four weeks ago. We discussed this at length here. Uh oh. Calwater, are you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mute it. Sorry. Oh, no, it kind of sounded like you fell over. Okay, so uh, it says uh, so Sean Perry is a young poker pro. I think he's like 23. He has appeared on High Stakes Poker and other broadcasts. He is the son of Russian born poker pro Ralph Perry and gimmicky Vegas area realtor Mary Perry. And he's had some success in poker tournaments. 
in these high roller events, he, he got to high stakes very quickly, which I always wonder how some of these young guys do that, but he did. And he seemed to be doing pretty well, though not quite as well as they would appear from his Hendon mob, because, of course, he's playing a lot of them in a short time, and he's the buy-ins add up. So you can cash for a million dollars, but if you've been investing a million dollars to get there, then you're even, even though it looks like you're killing it. So I don't know how much he's up or down. But anyway, Daniel Coleman, who's a longtime high-stakes player, he made an accusation four weeks ago. And it was actually a crazy story in that it was shocking how gullible Daniel Coleman seemed to be. If his story was true, which I have every reason to believe is, I, I don't have proof it's true, Sean Perry has not commented on the situation publicly in the four weeks since Daniel Coleman brought this out. But Daniel Coleman's tweet, which told the whole story, started out with PSA to poker community. It's extremely likely Sean Perry is a scammer. Do not bet with him. And if you want to hear the whole story, go back four weeks and listen to the episode we did about that. But basically, they were betting on other people's daily fantasy sports results and they were each picking three players out of a pool of six players that were pre-selected, that they kind of go back and forth picking which one's on their side, then they'd add up all the points, and whichever group of three had more points, that side would win. It was Daniel and Sam Severell, who's another high-stakes player, against Sean. And Sam brought Daniel into it saying that he thinks this is a good opportunity, and yet Sean was killing them. The dumb thing in this whole story was that the six players they were choosing from, remember, these weren't professional sports players. These were daily fantasy sports bettors, daily fantasy sports players on DraftKings that they were betting on their results. So you got to think if you're going to have six guys that you're betting on and how they do in daily fantasy sports that you better not have any relations with them either side or otherwise this could be rigged. So the crazy thing was that while three of the people they chose from were known top Daily Fantasy Sports players on DraftKings, the other three were total unknowns with no history. So, surprise, surprise, whenever Sean got the ones that were the unknowns, they allegedly played really well. And whenever Sean did not get those guys, or whichever ones he didn't get, played really poorly. That was Daniel's story. So, obviously, Daniel and Sam kept losing. It was also suggested, including by Daniel, that Sam was in on this too. That this whole thing was a way to scam Daniel. Daniel claims that he lost over a million dollars on this. And then we heard nothing. He posted this on May 7th. He responded to some various people on Twitter who answered him. Aaron Jones, also known as A.E. Jones, and... uh, Ryan Doubt got involved in uh, the Twitter discussion saying that they had helped Daniel analyze this and that they all believe that Sean Perry was cheating them or cheating uh, Daniel. And then nothing. We've heard nothing from Daniel Coleman on Twitter at all. He hasn't tweeted at all about anything since then. Nor has Sean Perry, whose last tweet was in late April. Now, neither of them were prolific tweeters before this, but they've both gone completely silent on Twitter since. And Sean... He tweeted sometimes. He tweeted more often than Daniel did, and we've heard nothing from him since late April. So we've just never got an answer on what happened here. Daniel, 
is said to owe money to Sean for his last losses, which he refused to pay, which is understandable. And he was saying, not only am I refusing to pay you, but I want you to give me the money back that I've already paid you before, which I now believe you scammed for me. And Sean said, no, I didn't scam you. And in fact, you still owe me that money, so you pay up. If I had to guess, I would say that neither of them paid up. I would say that Daniel obviously was not going to give him a penny, believing he was cheated, and that Sean was not going to give him any money back, whether he was cheating him or not. I'm sure Sean just said, you know, go ahead and do what you can about this, but I'm, I'm not giving you a penny back until I'm forced to. That's, that's my guess about what happened since then. In fact, that was what happened up till then. And I have to imagine in the past four weeks, this has not changed. We haven't heard it changed. Now, it was brought up on the thread about this on Poker Fraud Alert by Jeff Dime, who's a forum poster and listener to the show. Jeff Dime asked, yeah, have you heard anything that's happened since then? And I said, no. And I, I said, I have a feeling that Coleman lost enthusiasm to keep pushing this publicly because guys like uh, Haralabob were making fun of him for falling for a super obvious scam. My guess is that nobody's been made whole because there's so much money involved and because the cat's out of the bag already. So basically, Sean Perry prior to this already was disliked by people. People thought he was a douche. They thought he was obnoxious. They thought he was a braggart. They thought he uh, was just very unpleasant to have at the table. A lot of people tweeted this when this was all going on. So I think Sean Perry already knew he wasn't that likable. And even if he was delusional and thought he was likable, now he knows for sure that nobody likes him and nobody liked him before this. So... His reputation is going to be the same either way. Even if he were to somehow make this right, first of all, that would be indicative that he was scamming him. That's the other problem, is if he makes this right, then that would be saying, yes, there was something shady going on. Here's your money back, which looks bad. And, and uh, so there's really no way to get out of this one short of having a third party analyze it and rule in his favor, which it looks like these third parties like A.E. Jones, who weren't even friends with Coleman, uh, we're very much on Coleman's side. So it really looks like any third parties that review this are probably going to land on Daniel's side very clearly. So it looks like for Sean Perry, there's no way out of this one to save his reputation. So if his reputation is not going to be sh- saved, and if there's a very big sum of money involved, which there is, it's seven figures, and if there's nothing compelling him to pay, if there's no court order or anything like that, and if he's not scared of Daniel Coleman, which Daniel Coleman is not a scary guy, He's not someone who you're afraid is going to show up and break your kneecaps. So why pay him then? Like, seriously, why pay him then? I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that if you're Sean Perry, why pay him? Why, even if you know that he caught you, why would you pay him at this point? So I don't think... I mean, what I'm taking from all this is that Druff is advocating stiffing everybody. Oh. <laughs> so, you know. Well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to be in the mind of Sean Perry. Much like when I play poker and there's a fish at the table, I don't, I don't just think about how I think. I also think, how is the fish thinking? I'm trying to think here how Sean Perry is thinking. If if he did do what was alleged of him by Daniel Coleman, the way he would think, like what what would make Sean Perry want to give a penny to Daniel Coleman? Because another problem is if Sean Perry gives anything back, then that's pretty much an admission that he was cheating him. here. Because if he wasn't cheating him, he shouldn't want to give a penny back. He shouldn't want to give anything back. So I'm just hoping that everyone that plays in that home game that you play in is here in this draft so they <laughs> understand what's going on. So I, I would think that it's either all or nothing. Either he's forced to in some way, like by a court or uh, 
out of fear of something or something like that. Be the only way that he would give this back, or maybe if by his backer, if someone wants him to, if he's being backed by someone and the backer won't continue backing him unless he makes this right, unless there's some external force making him do this. I don't see why he would ever have the motivation to pay, especially because the only thing I think would satisfy Coleman is to get the entire money back. And I don't see, given the sum of money, why he would do that. It's not like he can get out of this whole thing for a thousand bucks. He'd have to pay over a million bucks. So to me, it looks like one of these things where just, no, I'm not paying you, is the answer. And go ahead and make me was probably the answer, and it's probably still the answer. And Coleman, who, he had kind of a weird reaction to all this also. He was basically saying, well, let me read his, his tweet. I read this four weeks ago, but I'll read it again. When Haralabob was making fun of him for letting this happen, and Haralabob uh, said in a tongue-in-cheek fashion, imagine being outsmarted by Sean Perry. So Coleman said, it's easy to, quote, outsmart me if you're willing to scam me. Happy to continue living my life trusting people until they give me a reason not to. Also, considering this outsmarting probably reveals the difference in ethics between the sports betting poker community. So forget about that last part. He's basically saying, I'm just going to keep trusting people. So yeah, it sucks I lost uh, over a million bucks. And I'm putting this out there for everybody to know so it doesn't happen to you. But uh, I'm just moving on. I'm just going to be a trusting guy. I'm not going to let this affect my life. I'm not going to let this affect the way I trust people. So yeah, this may happen to me again because I'm a trusting guy. I'm going to continue being but a trusting Ruff, guy. You can trust people, and you can still do your due diligence. Yeah, you of know course. What I mean? And that's what I, I mean, said at the on. time. I, I I mocked this at the time, saying it's a stupid thing to say. But that'd be, that'd be like a businessman being like, ah, you know, we don't need to have a contract. There's no point. I trust you. There's no reason to do. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree, and I and I mocked this at the time when he said this. But I'm just talking about his attitude. It kind of seems like he might just be willing to move forward after putting it out there that he feels is what Perry did to him and then just move on and take the loss. So if this is true, then Perry is probably like, okay, sweet. I don't love the fact that this got publicized, but, you know, what really happened to me? People didn't like me anyway, and I'm not out any further money, and I can just go forward and whatever. And also, this only affected one person, which is very big. So if if Perry was alleged to have ripped off a whole lot of people, then it's much harder to show your face in public, where there's one of many people who can give you a hard time, maybe beat you up, maybe a bunch of them come together and beat you up, and maybe at the very least they, they, they hassle you in the poker room and talk shit to you. And when it's one guy, which is all it was here, it's just Daniel Coleman, who... Uh, who was calling this out. He looks like he's the only victim here, unless uh, this Sam Several was a victim too. But I think Sean probably figures that if he goes back to the poker room, there's not going to be a lot of outrage. Oh, you're the guy who cheated Daniel Coleman. Like, I, I don't think people are, care that much about Daniel Coleman's money to where they're going to make a huge deal about it. They may look at him and think, oh, there's that scammer, but they're not going to like think much beyond that. So I think that's why Sean Perry isn't afraid to return to play poker in public. And I say this because he did return to play poker in public. And that's why we're talking this about this again four weeks later. So if it's good enough for Russ Hamilton. Exactly. It's good enough even, for even, Sean, even for Russ Hamilton returned. Correct. So Sean Perry decided to play a twenty five K high roller at the Venetian. And he won it for three hundred sixty five thousand dollars. There's just no fucking justice in this world. <laughs> 
So if you believe in karma, maybe you should stop believing in karma. Yeah. Yeah. And, and remember Eric Lindgren when he owed all that money, then he he won a tournament, and Chino Ream. In fact, I think they ended up like first, second in some big tournament. After Wasn't there the, supposed to be like a huge line at the cage when Chino Ream yes. was headed up there? <laughs> so, so Sean Perry won this tournament for $365,000 at 25K buy-in. And what happened there? Was there any mention of the the alleged scamming? No. Was there any controversy? No. Was there any yelling? No. Was Daniel Coleman at the cage? No. Uh, as far as I know, Sean took his 365K and bounced. There was no drama there. In fact, the any drama that occurred there had nothing to do with Sean Perry, which we'll talk about uh, after this segment. But I don't think this is going to Daniel Coleman. I don't think that uh, after winning this that Sean Perry returned home and called up Daniel. Hey, I have good news for you. Uh, I just won 365000 so let's subtract my twenty five I bought in. That's, that makes it three forty. I'm going to ship you three forty, and when I get the rest, I'll get, like, I don't believe that happened. I, I think Sean kept every penny of it, minus whatever he had to give to any backer he may or may not have had, and I think that was that. But No, you're goddamn right. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to give it back. Like I, I, I think even if he won $3 million, he wouldn't give it back. I think if he won $10 million, he wouldn't give it back. I think if he went to the main event this year, 2021, which I'm sure he's going to play, if he plays the main, the World Series main event, wins $10 million, I think he's still not going to pay back Daniel Coleman, even if he knows that what Daniel Coleman said would happen is what happened, because nothing is compelling him to, and it's only one guy, and it's one guy who is not particularly scary. So... This is kind of the reason that a lot of scammers victimized the poker community, because the poker community is not the way it was in the 1970s, where if you scam, that you're going to quickly run into the wrong person who's going to cause you physical pain or maybe even kill you. The poker community today are a lot of people like Daniel Coleman, who will call it out on social media at worst and then just go away. So that so this is a case, draft where people are always going to say, don't victim shame right like don't shame the victim you know what i mean and say whatever but there is a thing in our law called contributory negligence right and i think that that applies in a lot of cases where even here you know what i mean like daniel coleman i mean sure he should not have been ripped off but do you do diligence you know what i mean and pursue the guy vigorously for your money you know what i mean i just think you're you're not being you're contributing to the behavior you know, you're being negligent in the things you could have done to prevent it, but then also the things you could do to rectify the situation after the fact. Well, I'll tell you that when I read this story, I was amazed that someone who is smart enough to be a successful high stakes player like Daniel Coleman was at a young age. It's not even like he brought a lot of existing money into it. Like he just built it up at a young age to all these millions could fall for something this super obvious. Like, let's pick six guys to bet on who are playing daily fantasy sports, and, oh yeah, you have no idea who these three are. These are three total unknowns who never play on the site. Oh, no problem, let's do it. Like, you, you, you can't even stop for a second and say, wait, why, the, why aren't we betting on six known players? Why is it three known ones and three unknowns? And why were these three unknowns chosen? And is there a possibility that these unknowns are controlled by the other side? And we're going to get screwed, like especially after losing a few times. You and, and like it, it shouldn't have even taken this long. Like even losing one time, if you were dumb enough to fall for it, should have made you realize yeah. something is wrong. So I was 
really shocked, and I think that's how Haralabob felt, and that's why he was giving Daniel a hard time. That for sure, and I, you know, again, I, I agree that in general you shouldn't blame people that have been victimized. You know what I mean? Like because it's not their fault, you know, that they got ripped off. It's the the person who ripped them off, and they're the ones who are at fault. But I mean, come on, you know, we, at, at some point. At some point, you are contributing to it as well. And at some point, you can be just so frivolously careless that, yeah, it, it's these people shouldn't be doing this stuff to you, but come on, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting how Sean Perry just has not commented at all. He's just completely been quiet and uh, no comments from his mother, who's very active in the community, even within the poker community. She's not a big poker player. She plays a little bit, but she's uh, she's more of a prominent Vegas area realtor and of course she said nothing like the whole family's just going forward like this didn't happen and yeah this is now appearing in some of the articles though I have to give a big thumbs down to card player here card player did not even mention this in their write-up of Sean winning this which I thought was like really journalistic malpractice it's one thing for them to take a position on it or call him a scammer or something like that but they can say a month ago Sean Perry was in controversy when Daniel Coleman, a prominent high-stakes poker pro, made an accusation that Sean had scammed him for over a million dollars. I mean, you can say that. That doesn't put them in any liability. They're just reporting what someone else said. That was very Yeah, a little call-out box. You know what a call-out is? You know where they carve out a little box and they put some parenthetical stuff in there? Throw that shit in a call-out box. Yeah, like how could that not be part of a card player article about Sean Perry winning this tournament so soon it's not like this is five years later he wins the tournament this is like a month later less than a month later and card player doesn't mention it so i, I will give props to uh, cards chat john sofin at cards chat he did mention this in fact he put like accused scammer wins tournament so i i, I, I will give props to john sofin there for at least making reference to this because it's it, that's really stupid to leave that out and i don't even know why card player did i don't think they are close with the perry family maybe they are but that was a strange omission. There's no way they didn't know about this. This is a big story a month ago. I mean, I, I think what he's probably just banking on is that Daniel Coleman has no way to prove it. And yeah, he's just going to ignore the fact that it ever happened and pretend it never happened. He, he, who knows? His parents, he may have lied to his parents and said, no, this never happened. So, you know, who knows? But uh, yeah, I'm sure his strategy it's just, uh, you know, the, the old uh, head-in-the-sand strategy, you know? Pretend it never happened. Yeah, and this kind of works, and people kind of end up back in the good graces or, mm-hmm. I guess, okay graces of, of the poker community, especially when yeah. there's just a, a, a small number of people that are directly affected. So someone who had a massive scandal involving a, a number of large number of accusers, like Mike Possel is a good example. I don't see Mike Possel getting back in the good graces of the community or even the okay graces because uh, there were so many people involved that played with him over a year and a half. And that, so that's a different story than this type of thing with, with, where Coleman was the only person that he is alleging that he got hurt. Sam Soverell, by the way, he has no Twitter a presence from what I can see so he has not said anything at all and he really I don't even know where he'd be saying it because I can't find him on Twitter so he has not claimed he was a victim and Coleman's saying that he thinks Sam may have been in on it and I understand that I, I would have to guess that too if this if this is uh, if this, the way Daniel told us the way it happened so yeah well Drew, just do yourself a favor if if Perry ponies one two three 
tries to sell you a virtual horse, like just don't buy it. Okay? <laughs> don't do right. it. Don't do it. By the way, the, the virtual horses they, they you still can't breed. You still can't breed, though. Supposedly, in a week after the second drop, you're going to be able to breed the, the horses. Which uh, is this a Mister Hands thing? Why are you so obsessed with watching your horse breed, Drew? Because that's the way I'm going to make money. Maybe. You know who Mister Hands was? Actually, no. <laughs> He's this dude that I don't know. Uh, I, I won't go into it too deeply, but Google it if you want to find out about it. But he he died in a very unusual way that uh-huh. involves being penetrated by a horse. Oh boy. Okay. Well. Yeah, it's not good. No, it's. I don't think I get to watch them breed. I think these Zed Run yeah. horses. You. You, you just, actually got me interested in that. I was so mad at you because I'm like, oh, this is dumb. And then you're talking about. It, I'm like, that sounds kind of cool. But then it sounded like too much work to actually buy one, so I never did it. It was a little bit of work, and that that almost pushed me away from it. And then just one night, I'm like, oh, okay, fine, I'll put the work into it. So I I put the work into it. It wasn't a tremendous amount of work, but it wasn't like super easy either. So it was kind of. Well, you're like, take this coin and then put it here, and then convert it into this coin, and then you'll be able. And I'm just like, you know what? This sounds like getting like Chuck E. Cheese tokens. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to cash in for those. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. So I, right now I'm kind of like even on it where the value hasn't crashed like it did with NBA Top Shot. It's kind of like holding, but it's not going up. And I, I think they're making some mistakes kind of similar to NBA Top Shot. But it does like sound fun, though. I mean, it sounds fun to get a horse and a pedigree and be able to breed them. It yeah, it does. kind of cool. That, yeah. Then that's why I got into it, I thought, you know, maybe I can make money from this getting in early and it's going to be fun anyway. And, uh, you know, once I, once I have the offspring start racing, then I can have Benjamin watch the races with me. Benjamin kept wanting to watch the races and I keep telling him I'm not going to race them until they breed. And, uh, he's, uh, he lost interest because so much time has passed, but I'm sure once, once they start uh, breeding, which should be next week that, He'll get interested again to watch this, so yeah, it, it'll be fun. It won't be quite as fun. Can you imagine that you have a horse that it ends up winning and it has this great pedigree, and you you breed some horses on there, and your online portfolio of virtual horses becomes a significant chunk of your net worth, and you have to not feel like a complete asshole when you write it in your will that you're gonna <laughs> will you're gonna will this virtual horse to your kids you know what i mean like what a world i've had a hard time explaining this to people that i spent uh, three thousand dollars on virtual horses yeah that's that's been hard I, to explain I, to people I, I can understand like people that aren't involved in any of this online stuff you know or bit or crypto or anything like that they will look at you like you're you're insane <laughs> i get it I get now, it. Like, at, now at the time people were giving me funny looks about it i said you know what i could go online right now and sell these virtual horses for five thousand i'm not going to but i right to, if you want to laugh at this i could actually make a two thousand profit right away by just turning around and selling right now now today i couldn't do that today i think it's about even what i'd get back but still you know, at least i haven't lost on it yet and all right so why can't they breed and are you worried that they're going to screw this up the way Top Shot did, and then your horse is going to be worth absolutely fucking nothing. Yes, I, I think that's possible, which is why I put three thousand rather than like the thirty-seven thousand that Chris Moneymaker put into it. Yeah. Uh, I had my I had my limit of uh, stupid spending here. Like I said, okay, I'll, I'll take a shot with this for three k, and and uh, they have another drop coming next week. Maybe I'll buy some cheaper horses to add to the stable. But uh, I, I I'm not that much. I'm not going to invest that much more in this. I'm going to see what I can do with the money I put into it, and if I can have some fun and make a little money, then that's great. Now, Drew, did I tell you that I'm working on a virtual dog racing, <laughs> where you can own and breed dogs and have different pedigrees, and you can you can race them? 
And uh, if you, you know, if you got three grand burning a hole in your pocket, I will, I'd be willing to give you an invite, hmm. so you could be could be an uh, early adopter to uh, to buy one if you want. The sad thing is, uh, this actually might be a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So it, it, regarding Perry, like basically, just he won this tournament. And he's saying absolutely nothing, and everyone's too cowardly to do anything to go after him, and he's just gonna gonna bugger off to you know Central America or something. No, he, that right? No, he doesn't have to go anywhere. We can just stay at home in Las Vegas. He's fine. Yeah, well, good for he's him. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, he picked a good mark. I'll give him that. Okay. Well, here's somebody else who was in that same high roller tournament but didn't do quite as well. Daniel Negranu. Had some controversy at that same tournament. In fact, that got much more attention than Sean Perry winning it, strangely enough. And Daniel didn't uh, rip anyone off or, or do any kind of uh, daily fantasy sports uh, shenanigans. But nevertheless, he did do something that got attention. When Wait, he busted, did he flash his man boobs? Well, did no, his no, hair worse, plugs fall out? Maybe worse what, than that. You can see a GIF that Daniel himself posted, though I think this is on. Uh, it was on Poker Go as well. But when Daniel busted out, and he described this hand, by the way, he said he tweeted on May 29th, 25K, he's referring to the buy-in of the tournament at the Venetian, paid seven spots. I came in 10th. Usually coming in 10th is good in a tournament, not when they only pay seven spots. So he did not cash. Well, op- speaking of that, Drift, what does uh, six pay in the tournament today? Sixth. Let me look that up. I think it's yeah. some pretty good money on this here. So sixth pays um, zero point zero. Okay, good to know. Okay, so anyway, Daniel, he's, he's tweeted that he came in 10th. He didn't cash. He opened with pocket nines. And then the big blind jammed 37 big blinds. I don't know how many Daniel had, but uh, he opened, uh, the big blind jammed 37 big blinds with ace four offsuit. And then Daniel lost, he says. He says, it's starting to get really stupid. That was Daniel's tweet on May 29th. And then he tweeted a gif of him on Poker Go at the end of this hand after he busted. So he says, looks like Poker Go caught my bust out hand. Damn, this plexiglass is flimsy. Oops, and put the laughing emoji. So what happened here? Well, if you play this gif... It's very weird because you see Daniel. It looks like he's climbing up on the table. It looks like he's about to do a uh, table dance, uh, but he's he looks like he's climbing up on the table and using the plexiglass for support, and the plexiglass fell off. And then that's the end of the gif. It's like a few seconds. So what really happened here? Like was Daniel really about to climb on the table and throw a tantrum after busting out with Ace Four against Nines? I understand why that can be a little frustrating when someone puts so much in with a hand of like ace four and ends up beating you with three outs. But yeah, that's poker. Happens all the time. And of course you want players who play bad at your table. More times than not, this is going to benefit you rather than hurt you. Think of all the times where Daniel got in the nines against the ace four where the ace four shouldn't have been in and where he got a lot of extra chips. So anyway, did he really try to climb up on the table and do something up there? Like, why would you ever climb up on the poker table? And, like, why? Why was he doing this? 
has he lost it? And why is he actually showing this? Why is he showing himself? Now, he did say Poker Go caught it, so presumably it'll be broadcasted anyway, but what's going on here? So some people gave him a hard time, and some people thought this is really just like a, a rage tilt on his part after taking that beat to be out of the tournament, three spots from the money in this high roller. Daniel explained later that this was an accident. Now, how could it be an accident climbing up on the table? So Ike Haxton, who often can be very sanctimonious, Ike Haxton, I didn't get to see the tweet, but he wrote some sort of uh, very critical tweet in Daniel's direction. So then Daniel responded to him, said, uh, at Ike Poker, it was a joke gone bad. I was pretending to kick the glass, but when I grabbed the glass, it snapped off. So looking at the GIF again, I think that is probably what happened. Now, you may wonder why was he climbing on the table. I think what he was trying to do is kind of step up and do a fake kick and use the plexiglass for support. And then the plexiglass fell, which you can see. And then he kind of put his foot down on the table for support at that point, so he doesn't topple over. So I do believe him. I don't think Daniel... Remember, he's... uh, representing GG Poker. He's the face of GG Poker now, like he used to be of stars. So I don't think he's going to get up on the table and throw a tantrum. Even for Daniel, that's too much. So I do think it was kind of a joke. Uh, I do think it wasn't as much of a joke as he's claiming. I don't think he was in jovial spirits, and you can tell that from his tweet, where he writes, it's starting to get really stupid. Like, it really was like a whining tweet. It wasn't just like... uh, uh, well, sucks three spots from the money. I jam 9-9, nine, uh, nine, nine, and someone with ace-4 you know, puts in a ton of big blinds against me and uh, and beats me. That's unfortunate. It's starting to get really stupid, he writes. Now, just in case you think maybe he wasn't really serious about it, it's starting to get really stupid. No, he was. Why do I know this? Because a guy who calls himself Software Test on Twitter whose name is Brian. It's at Brian WSOP, at Brian WSOP. He is a listener to this show. I have met him before. He he has uh, approached me during the World Series of Poker, and uh, I met the guy. He's a nice guy. But he wrote uh, back to Daniel, remember when you used to say how great the players were in the high rollers? It's It, it was as if the normal WSOP events were like the minor leagues. So he's kind of taunting Daniel that Daniel used to always talk about how the high roller players are so great, so tough, so good, and just you know, to get anywhere in these things is a huge accomplishment. It's much tougher than the WSOP. And then here Daniel is complaining about a terrible play that a an opponent made with 10 left to knock him out. So this Brian WSOP, a Poker Fraudler listener, asked him, hey, what about them being so good in the high rollers? Remember you said that. So then Daniel comes back with a snide response. He says... Yes, I used to say it. What's your point? I still say it. Until you start playing them, you can kindly shut the fuck up about shit that you know nothing about. That's a pretty hostile response back. Very very catty of you there, Daniel. Now, a good response there, by the way, would be, well, they are very good for the most part. There's a few people in the field who aren't. But the average player skill in this event is much higher than the World Series of Poker. You could write that, and it's probably true. That's kind of how I feel about the 10K events, like the 10K Limit Hold'em. There are a lot of excellent Limit Hold'em players in that field, and there's actually a number of fish in that field. 
So once the fish fall off, then it's a tough event. But there is a good deal of dead money in that event as well. And a lot of it depends on which starting table you get put at, where you can be at an awful one full of really tough pros, and you can be at a very good one full of uh, people who are not very good at all. And in fact, I had both. In 2019, I got put at a very easy initial starting table, and then I got moved to the worst one, including Mr. Negranu. One of these things... Look, Drew, I, I, I get the frustration. I mean, believe me, <laughs> anyone who's played poker for any amount of time has dealt with just donks just destroying their, their soul. You know what I mean? But he's a professional man. He does this for a living. He's done this for so long. And also, he's sponsored. I mean, you got to think about the way this looks to your brand, the the way this looks to the sponsors, and just, like, come on, man. You do this for a living. You can't do this. Yes. You know? so, and he was legitimately angry. You could see that from the way he responded to Brian WSOP by saying, you can kindly shut the fuck up and about shit you know nothing about. That was a good question. I, was- I think it's fair to say that of all all the people that have ever played poker, Poker has been pretty fucking good to Daniel Negreanu. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and of all the people in the world, he's right up there in terms of how good has this game been for him. So to bitch about it, I mean, you know, just get over it. Yeah. And again, this is exactly the type of player he wants in the field. This is why he's been able to win. This is exa- he Does he want people who make the right move every time? Good luck beating those people. He, he played someone who does make the right move most of the time in Doug Polk, and we saw how that went. You want people who are substantially worse than you in the tournament field, and one thing that will suck is occasionally they're, they're going to suck out on you and win a big pot. But I, I, Jeff, I, he knows all this. Yeah, I know. Right? I mean, he, he 100% knows all this. He just doesn't care, you know? He just wants to bitch because he's mad. That's it. Yeah, so Brian WSOP responded back. He said, I wouldn't say I know nothing. I've played with many who play high roller events. Some are very good, some aren't. Many, like Ryan LaPlante, don't necessarily run the high roller circuit, but would wipe you off the table. In the end, it's an unnecessary dig at people who look up to you. And that's a good point, too. Whoever knocked him out there was probably looking on Twitter and, and seeing Daniel insulting him like this. He didn't mention the guy by name, but that, that's another thing is that... Uh, Whoever this was probably was proud that he knocked out Negranu. It probably is someone who isn't a pro. And now he's going reading Daniel mocking the whole thing. But I don't even think there's anything wrong with saying that someone made a play that was incorrect to, that, uh, to knock you out. Uh, they, they called off way too much with Ace-4 and beat you. Like they, Even if the person reads it, they'll think, okay, yeah, I probably made the wrong, wrong play and I'll learn from it and lucky I happened to end up on the right end this time, but yeah, Daniel probably has a point. That's probably what the person would read, but you just can't act like you're pissed about it, especially public in public, especially when you're the face of a site, as you said, and then to go off on people who are questioning what you're saying there or bringing up what you've said in the past about high rollers. So I, I think Daniel comes off much more likable when he does post funny gifts of him trying to jokingly kick the plexiglass and it comes down. Now, again, Given how angry he was, I think he was... I can totally picture this having played with him, too. I can totally picture this. He No, he was not trying to stand up on the table. No, he wasn't trying to destroy anything there. I totally believe that. I don't think this was a rage destruction, like, like he was the Hulk. But I think that he was legitimately angry. It's like, ah! like It was kind of like doing like a fake kick. Not a joke kick, but like a fake kick. Like, he wants to kick the plexiglass... But he's going to, like, pretend to kick it to show his frustration. I think that's really what he was probably doing. And then 
then it came down, which wasn't intended, and then he decided to kind of make a joke of it. So that by itself is not a big deal. If it makes a, a funny clip for Poker Go, then okay, you know, it makes it more entertaining than Daniel just quietly getting up and walking away. But yeah, but Drub again, he's played poker for so long that he. He should have been fucked so many times by poker that he's broken in like a baseball mitt. You know what I mean? You can't complain about this one last time that someone is sticking it in. You know? Come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. It's dumb. Like he, he shouldn't be doing things like this. And he didn't used to be this way either. That's the funny thing. Like it's it's only in the last few years that he's been behaving this way. It's almost like he's learning from Helmuth. <laughs> regarding but even helmuth helmuth doesn't tilt on social media helmuth on social media is really nice that's the funny thing mm-hmm. like the, the helmuth on twitter is is very nice and docile the helmuth at the table and social media two very different things daniel is kind of the opposite daniel is uh, in in person uh he's usually okay uh it's it's it, on social media he has these meltdowns and and he's a very hard time dealing with criticism with trolls and and this guy wasn't even trolling him. This guy was kind of bringing up, hey, didn't you say such and such in the past? And you either ignore it or get, or give an answer that's kind of polite. But yeah, he, he kind of lost it there. So not a huge deal. I mean, this wasn't a terrible thing, yeah. but it's just it's something to add to the pile of kind of the recent. And I'm not trying to be holier than thou about it because I, you know, I definitely have gotten annoyed at stuff like this. But I'm not a professional, you know. I don't I don't do it for a living, and it, poker has not made me. A multimillionaire. You know what I mean? I, I think you can learn to deal with it, Daniel. Yeah, and you guys have seen my updates when I play the World Series. I've had some bad beats to either really cripple my stack or knock me out. And I don't act happy about it, but I, I haven't. Uh, I, you never see me, like, I'm not insulting the uh, yeah. people knocking me out. I, I've expressed disappointment and uh, frustration, but I, I've never been insulting even towards the people who did it. And that's just the way it goes. The only people I've been insulting about are the ones who have been uh, obnoxious to me at the table, people who've been personally combative with me. Then I'll insult them, but uh, not not the way yeah, they play and, poker. And part of that may be your personality. And if you if you are someone that has a more I don't know, tempestuous personality, that's fine. Still, just say you know, nice hand. Think about your sponsorship. Think about your image. Think about your brand. And then, you know. Go into the bathroom and punch a wall or something. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you got to do. I've had it in cash games and like when I lose just a succession of hands and just keep losing over and over and I'm really frustrated. Yeah. And I will get up sometimes and, yep. and uh, walk. You know, people can see I'm kind of pissed off. And I've, I've even taken like where, where I've lost all the chips on my rack and I, just, I toss the rack over to the next table and it bangs around. I, I don't toss it at anyone where it would hurt anybody. I, it's just like... You go look for some butterflies so you can pull their wings off. Yeah. So... Yeah. I, and I even had once had someone at the card room say, oh, don't throw it like that. And I was like, I didn't... I'm not going to hit anybody. I just <laughs> tossed it to the next... I, I was a little annoyed, but I was... I, I, I've, I've never insulted anybody here. I never will. I don't blame anybody for me losing. You know, I, I know it's just luck or... Yeah. And, and that's... Uh, I just... I just tossed that a little bit of frustration, but I made sure where I tossed it, it was in the direction of an empty table and it wasn't too hard. So like, what's the big deal here? Like that's, that's the worst thing you see me do, which it really is. Like you'll never, in all the years I've played poker, you never hear any stories about me having like some massive meltdown there where I'm uh, uh, going off on people or insulting people or calling people donks or anything like, or whining about bad beats. Like you just, you don't, you don't see that. So anyway. I mean, again, the, the biggest thing from my perspective is just, again, 
the game has given so much to to Daniel. It really has. I mean, he's had about you know a point zero one percent or or better career in his chosen field, and you, you got to put that in perspective at some point, you know. Well, yeah, it reminds me of Joe Hatcham shortly after he won the main event, probably like the next year or the year after, and he took a bad beat to get knocked out of like a 1500 uh, event of the World Series, and his last words before walking away was, yeah, that's just always my luck. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous, right? <laughs> the guy who just won the main event uh, for like $7.5 million, oh, that's just always my luck. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I'll, tra- I'll trade with you. I'll trade the luck yeah. with you then. I've said before, if I win the main event, I, I, I can fail to cash in every event after that. I'll be fine. You know, I mean, there are people that spend their whole life grinding middle-class jobs or lower middle-class jobs or, or whatever, and you look at someone that has a prima donna attitude and is a multi-millionaire from playing a game, and you're just like, come on, dude. You know what I mean? Come on. So, anyway, that's not a big story. There's just something I wanted to point out, since it was at the same tournament that uh, Sean Perry won, and for whatever reason, that's the bigger story that's come out of there. Of people. That's what people are talking about more. The plexiglass damage by Daniel Negreanu, not the alleged seven-figure scammer winning the event. So, okay, let's go on to talk about Bovada and its exit from Calwatt State. Now, Calwatt, do you have an account on Bovada? I don't think so. Hmm. It's possible, but I don't think so. So, Bovada, for those of you that don't know, it provides three services. I'm sure almost all of you have heard of Bovada, so I'm not going to explain what Bovada is, but I will tell you something you may or may not know about it, is that it provides poker, it provides sports betting, and it provides casino gambling. So it really provides everything. And that's different than just being an online poker site, because the U.S. government is most touchy about the illegal online sports betting, and always has been. And then uh, secondarily the online casinos, and the third, the online poker. Bovada does all three. They always have done all three. They began in the year 2000, so they've been around forever. They began as Bodog. Then Bovada is the one that was separated for the U.S. market, and Bodog was for the remainder of the country. So Bodog still exists. You just can't play there as a U.S. player. But it's all part of the same network. So when you're sitting at a Bovada poker table... You are against people on Old Bodog who are in other areas that are outside the U.S. You're also against people on Ignition, which spun off later from Bovada, which I'll explain in a second. So these are all placed together at the same table, but it's just different ways in. But Ignition, while there's a lot of similarities to Bovada, they both serve the U.S. market. They both are on the same network. They both have identical-looking software. The big difference is that Ignition does not allow sports betting. There's no sports betting at all in Ignition. They do have a casino, but they don't have any sports betting. So that's the big difference between the two. Bovada, when they split off and had Ignition uh, appear, they removed their poker room. So if you wanted to continue playing poker, you had to go over to Ignition, which sucked because that meant that anyone who wins in sports that wants to bring the money to the poker table will not be able to do it anymore. And I complained about that at the time, and I thought that was going to be the end of days for good games on Bovada, or even decent games on Bovada, and I thought I was going to have to quit playing there. Well, 
this got rescued because they ended up bringing the poker room back to Bovada. So that wasn't permanent. It was supposed to be permanent, but it was not. I don't know why they put it back, but they put the poker room back. And uh, for the moment, the poker ecology there was spared. There was some time in between, but presently that's still the case. So Bovada has existed in various forms. As I said, it started as Bodog for now 21 years, and they've never been busted. How come Poker Stars, Full Tilt, UB, how come they've all been busted? And Bovada, which actually came to exist before they did, how come they've skated without getting busted? Well, it's because they've been very smart about how they've approached this. They have served the U.S. market, but at the same time, they've tried to be respectful toward legalized U.S. gaming. They're trying not to step on any toes, not because they care, but because they care about themselves. So wherever legalized U.S. gaming appears, Bovada and Ignition are very careful not to compete with it. And they will immediately exit any state which comes up with a competing legalized product. And they figure by doing that, while it doesn't guarantee they're not going to get busted, it decreases the motivation for the U.S. and local governments to go after them. So they are not available in all 50 states. Nevada, for example, is a state where you cannot play on Bovada or Ignition. Just Nevada is completely disallowed. In fact, we just covered a story recently where a guy moved to Las Vegas and played anyway after he had already been banned once and got caught a second time and then was disqualified. So we just covered that recently on this show. That was, uh, what was the guy's name? I forgot his name now, but uh, he did a YouTube video on it. And that was for that reason. And I talked about that. I talked about exactly why that they had been leaving these markets. I talked about why they left the Maryland market and why they left the Nevada market. And there were actually two different reasons. In Maryland, they left because they had a very, there was a very active U.S. attorney's office there that goes after online gambling. So I'm surprised they've been in New York all this time because, of course, New York is another one that has a very active office, the infamous U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York. So I'm surprised that Bovada even was willing to continue operating there all this time. But it was not that U.S. Attorney's Office that scared them away. It was the fact that New York has been... Uh, they, they have legalized online sports betting. This was in, uh, in April. I, I don't think it's in place yet, but it's been legalized, and I believe it's coming very soon. So what happened was that Bovada wanted to get out of New York's way, probably especially because of that U.S. attorney's office there. But they sent an email to all people with New York accounts on Bovada, and it said, Hi, we are writing today to let you know that as of June 21st, we will no longer be offering services to residents of New York State. Decisions of this nature are made on a state-by-state basis and with consideration of several factors, the most critical being the future climate for online gambling in the state of New York. The recently introduced regulation and its increased restrictions on our players residing in New York has ultimately led us to this difficult decision. So basically, we we're afraid we're going to get busted if we are uh, competing with the legalized offerings there. And they're referring to the budget, the state budget that was signed by Andrew Cuomo on April, on April 19th, which authorizes 
to online sports betting providers to offer sports betting legally to people in New York. So basic, even though this hasn't officially started yet, to my knowledge, maybe it's going to start on June 21st. Whatever it is, they've determined June 21st is the date they've got to get out of the way. So they have, they're basically saying, get out. You can withdraw your money, but you cannot continue playing as of June 21st. So just letting you know that. However, Ignition, which I believe is the same company, they claim that they're, they're different. They claim that they're independently operating. I don't believe it. But Ignition is still going to offer services there to the state of New York. And you may say, well, look, maybe they are different. Maybe it is two different companies. Calwa, can you guess why Ignition is continuing in New York and Bovada is not? They don't offer sports betting? Correct. The only thing that has been authorized for online gambling in New York has been sports betting, but not casino games and not poker. So Ignition, who has casino games and poker, is not competing with anything that New York's going to be offering legally. That, that whole Ignition thing where they're claiming not to be Bovada reminds me, do you remember the uh, Iraqi information minister when, <laughs> when we were invading Iraq? He's like, everything is fine. There's nobody here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just obvious bullshit, you know? Well, yeah, and it, it, not only that, when you call them, it's like the exact same hold music, the exact same country where the reps answer the phone. <laughs> like everything is like everything, the same phone menu, like everything's identical. Yeah. Like the software's identical. We're supposed to think it's different owners. It's such, in fact, one time I was saying, well, you know, I had this happen with you guys five years ago. They're like, sir, we haven't existed for five years. Like, no, no, no. I, with Bovada, no, no, no. We're different than Bovada. We're a totally different company. Why don't you give us a chance here? I'm like, Okay, I'll give you a chance. <laughs> like, just do the, just do what I'm asking, please. It's it's so funny they won't acknowledge that they're the same thing, but it's it's very clear they're the same thing, and yeah. whatever. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter, but it, but you still can play on ignition. So if you're in New York, which of course has a sizable population, we have a lot of listeners in New York. So if you're in New York and you got that message from Bovada, and you're saying shit, I can't play poker anymore on Bovada. Yes, you can. Just get an ignition account and. They may eventually bail out, but I, for the moment they're staying, it looks like all they want to accomplish is just not compete with anything New York's going to be offering. And with That actually reminds me of Samsung. Did you know that in Japan, Samsung is not even a brand? So no. um, Samsung is a huge manufacturer of cell phones, for instance, right? And they pissed off the Japanese. So first of all, they're old, you know, World War II tensions and all that. But they pissed off the Japanese quite a bit by coming out with this emoji phone that kind of wiped Japanese culture off of the emojis or some something silly like that. And ever since then, Japanese just refused to buy Samsung products. So any Samsung phone that is sold in Japan is branded Galaxy. So they're promoting Galaxy is the brand. Like they've got oh. a huge Galaxy store. And if you buy the the phone there, it says Samsung logo is nowhere to be found. You know, there's like, just like Ignition, they're just like, nope, this is not us. This is a totally <laughs> different thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, we will see what ends up happening there in New York. That would actually probably be a decent loss of players. I don't know how many people are coming from New York into the Bovada Ignition games. Well, Ignition's still going to be the same thing, but... Uh, there may be a loss of some players coming in 
Yeah, the you're not going to have this fish to kick around anymore, Drew. <laughs> the ones that don't realize that they can't just switch over to Ignition. Apparently, they haven't been promoting it. Apparently, Bovada hasn't said switch over to Ignition if you still want poker. They they are maintaining this facade like they're two different companies. It is possible <laughs> that they will eventually advise this, but they admit they're on the same network, so they don't pretend like they have no association, but they claim that they're just not the same company. It'd be hilarious if they put out some PR press release like, well, we don't really know anything about this other company, but you could try them out if you wanted to. They use our network. We're hearing a rumor <laughs> that there's a company called Ignition, which might be on our network. We've never verified yeah. it, but we've we've heard a few people say that. So you may want to go to Ignition.eu and, and sign up for an account with this uh, with this code for, for a free welcome bonus. If if you're interested in signing up for this site that we know nothing about, yeah, it could be coupon code not Bovada. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and enter enter we're really not Bovada for a twenty five percent welcome bonus. <laughs> I'll give Bovada credit; they've done two things very well. They have avoided getting busted for twenty one years, and they have consistently paid people for twenty one years. They've never had payout problems. With all these other sites running to payout problems, they always find a way to pay people relatively quickly. Right now, they pay you blazing fast on Bitcoin. But even when they weren't using crypto, they were still, like with wires, paying you within a reasonable amount of time. So I I was uh, pretty impressed with it. And it's something that isn't easy to do. So they've, they've been very good at payouts. I've had my issues with them. I haven't had any major issues. I've had kind of a succession of minor to medium issues that I've managed to resolve or mostly resolve and go forward. I know Trader Ruski is not a fan of theirs since they stiffed him out of a, a tournament ticket. And he was in the right. I mean, he was totally in the right. And I, I understand what he's pissed. But they've been very resilient over the years. And they've really adapted with the times. And they've just they've managed to keep everything going where many other poker sites that were much bigger than them at one point are now gone. So at least I'll give them that. All right, let's uh, move on here. We, we are moving on to this, through these topics too quickly. Last, last week was the opposite. Last week we were moving too slow, and I'm like, oh, my God, I have all these topics left, and we've been doing the show four hours already? Here we're, we're almost out of topics already. This is a problem. Yeah, we gotta we got to get branded on here. I, I blame you, Calwatt, for speeding me along here. You're somehow... Really? Uh, yeah, I think you're having like the reverse branding effect. I think you're, uh, you're causing me to go through things too fast. Wow, I thought I was sidetracking you. No, no, I think <laughs> you need to sidetrack more. Okay, okay. so anyway... <laughs> Speaking along the lines of legalized books, there's been a trend that legalized sports books want to open at sporting arenas, which is really such a departure from the way sports used to be just a short time ago. It used to be that gambling on sports was one of these things you knew happened, but you're just not supposed to talk about, that they didn't ever mention point spreads on broadcasts or on articles about games and uh, it just uh, the the leagues would never acknowledge sports betting and when they did they would come out against it sports betting was really like the open secret the open dirty secret of the sporting community but boy has this changed ever since they repealed that PASPA law which allows well that law had restricted sports betting to only being in Nevada now that it allows it to any state which wants it, 
sports betting has been rapidly expanding. Now, we have covered this extensively on this show, but what's most interesting to me is when we start to break new and weird ground, such as the appearance of sports books at actual arenas and stadiums. The very first I reported of this was when I talked about uh, the planned sports book, a Caesar sports book, at Chase Field in Arizona. But I'm not talking about that here. I'm talking about the sports book in D.C. at the Capital One Arena that has actually opened. It actually opened on uh, May 26th, and it's the first in-arena sports book in U.S. history. It's a William Hill book. William Hill is a big uh, sports book that is based out of the U.K., but provides a lot of services to U.S. books, including in Las Vegas for a long time. They've been managing a lot of the Las Vegas books for quite some time. They have officially opened... It's going to be open 365 days a year, meaning even on Christmas. If you want to bet on Christmas, you can bet, which is good for the Jews. The Jews are always looking for things to do on Christmas. So you, you don't have this issue, Cal Watt, you, you, since you're not a Jew. But it's very frustrating to be a Jew on Christmas because everything's closed. You don't celebrate the holiday. And all you want is something to do. You want things to be open. It's not as bad when you have the Internet, but pre-Internet days, it was very tough on Christmas for Jews. Because there was just nothing to do. You can now go sports bet on Christmas or any other day, 365 days a year. It actually is in the Capital One Arena. Uh, It had actually been operating beforehand, but it was in a temporary location. So it was not actually in the arena yet. But now it is, as of uh, May 26th. Fans that that are actually visiting the arena, let's say you're watching a... uh, uh, a Washington Wizards game there. Because this is the Nationals play at a different place, by the way. This is not where the Washington Nationals play. They play in a field, not an arena. But if you're at Capital One Arena, say, watching a Washington Wizards game, you don't have to worry about leaving and not being able to get in because it's uh, the betting area isn't where the sporting area is. You can actually use your ticket to go between your seats and the betting area, but... You can also visit the arena if you don't have a ticket. You can use the front door at 601 F Street Northwest to get into the sports book, even if you don't have a ticket to anything at the arena. And this is the first time any sports book has opened inside of a sporting arena. And this really is welcoming gambling with open arms, sports betting with open arms into the arenas themselves. And that's such a departure from what it used to be just a short time ago. We're not talking about 30 years ago. We're talking about just a few years ago. Imagine if you were told that there's going to be a legalized sports book inside the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C., and that there's one planned for Chase Field in Phoenix, and that there's, I'm sure, others planned that I haven't heard about by the way, I see this 601 F Street Northwest. Do you have addresses like that where you are in New York? Because we don't have those here in California or in Nevada, for that matter. There's no Northwest thing at the end of a street name. 
Yeah, every now and again, sure. Really? See, we don't have that. When when I first saw that, it was for a Seattle address, and I said, "What what is this Northwest thing?" Like, I I really didn't understand what that meant. Now I've heard of like North such and such street. Is that the same thing? It's like we have North this street, North this road, but we 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 don't have such and such street and then a direction after it. Is is it the same thing? Just put it a different way. I have no idea, man. I'm not a civil engineer. I don't know why they do it. I I would assume that's maybe where the street runs. I mean, I don't know. Well, no, what I'm asking is, do you have both there? Do you have both streets that just end with things like NW? I've seen it before, yeah. And and things like... I mean, I don't think I have any... I don't think in my actual city I have them, but I've definitely seen them. Okay, see, I I was wondering if they're in your city, because I'm, I'm trying to understand if... Any cities have both a street that's designated like North whatever street, like North First Street, and if they yep. have things like First Street Northwest. And I don't even know if they're yeah. the same thing. I, I, I really never really understood what that means, never having lived in a place that has that. And I Yeah, I, don't, I, I couldn't tell you. I yeah, mean, I, who knows, man? Maybe one day it won't <laughs> matter. People won't even know street names anymore. You just like plug in where you want to go and your car will take you there. Well, you have kind of, no clue. Yeah, it's kind know? of like how a lot of people don't know that uh, they don't, they have no idea what their phone number is. Yeah. So what's my phone number again? They actually have to look up their own phone number, which is crazy to me. Yeah. No, it, it used to be a big deal to get someone's number, you know? <laughs> it, used to, it used to be a big deal to, like, have a phone number and, and you, you you would people could wake you up and you could be up for, like, two seconds and tell them your phone number. Now people, but, they can be fully awake, they don't know their own number. There are lots of these fun generational things like i remember my mother was giving me directions somewhere one time and i was like yeah just give me the address and she proceeded to like give me this long drawn out like take this road until you pass this big oak tree and then you'll see a yellow house on the left and then you take yeah and i'm just like i get that you used to need these landmarks but i i just i just need a gps address (laughs) and i'll be able to find it you know you know, I, I'm still someone who can't even get used to not having a home phone. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. Do you, do you have a home phone? No, we ditched it a while ago. Honestly, like, I, I, I ditched it a long... I wanted to just get rid of it a long time ago, but my wife felt, I don't know, some comfort in it, so we switched over to, like, this... where we had a home phone and kept our number, but it was over the internet kind of thing, and then we finally just got rid of it, because what's the point? I yeah. think that's kind of what I have now. I believe it is a VOIP phone through yeah. the cable company. But yep. that's not as important to me of whether it's a true landline. It's it's more important to me just to have it because I I there's a few things. I just I have a comfort of picking it up and hear the dial tone. I just I can't get around the no dial tone thing. It's it's much more phone like to me to have a dial tone. But it's not just that. The the sound quality is better, even if it is a VOIP in some way. The these 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 home phones are actually meant to carry a clearer voice connection because they're not economizing enough. They're not economizing as much on the voice portion as they do on cell phones. Cell phones, they really allocate very little bandwidth to carry voice for each conversation. So it's uh, it's kind of like listening to a, a streaming broadcast that's at a very low rate. That's what talking to a cell phone is like. And uh, this, the home phone is always a lot clearer. It's always been that way. And uh, also, I, I feel in emergencies, the home phones just work better. They have a lot less trouble getting through. Like, cell, cell networks can get jammed 
so easily to where you're never going to get a call through. So, but that that is funny to think about. Like my kids may never hear a, a dial tone in their life, other other than if it's on like I don't know some old TV show or something that they're watching, and they may never know what a busy signal is. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, or, yeah, or for sure. These, yeah, yeah. Like my my son does not know what a dial tone is. I yeah. played one to him. I said, what is this sound? He didn't know what it was. And then yeah. a busy signal, for sure, he doesn't know. In fact, when I get a busy signal once in a while these days, I'm very surprised. Yeah. I go, wow, an old school busy signal. Even 10 years ago, I was surprised by a busy signal. But yeah, they used but there's to be- lots of stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, and I don't know. Yeah, become old, rough man. And there's stuff that my, our kids are just never going to deal with, like a videotape. They're never gonna. They're never gonna use a videotape. You know. Yeah, that's true. There's there's a lot of things that. How many young people do you think would have any idea how to drive a car with a stick shift? Very few. And and even there's some remnants too, like a lot of um, and a lot of toolbars. The save icon is like a floppy disk. But that means absolutely nothing to the vast majority of people that are using it. They don't even know what it is. You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They wouldn't know what a floppy disk is. I didn't think of that, but (laughs) yeah, there's there really is a whole lot, and I I think of this every so often when I run into something that's older, and I think about, oh wow, my son would have no idea this ever existed, and I'll ask him, and he has no idea it existed, and even stuff like from the early two thousands is ancient history to him that and he's he's learned about some of the like the early internet memes from those days just because he'll run into videos discussing them either just kind of remembering them or or just find old videos but as far as like just things in daily life even like in the year 2000 they seem very very antiquated to him and if it's like he doesn't know about them and if you and if you explain them it seems very antiquated yeah, well, I mean, he's right, you know? <laughs> he's like, not wrong. Like my chat room. My chat room is uh, one of those remnants from the year 2000. I am going to be very good. I'm not going to comment on it at all. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I mean, my, my son has struck a dagger through my heart when he I've been talking to him about, you know, something I had growing up or something, and he's like, yeah, I... I I actually read about that in school, and I'm just like, oh my god, it's part of history. You know what I mean? Like, it's the stuff that people read about but have no association with. You know, it'd be like if we were reading about people that are are packing muskets with gunpowder and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder about some of the things, like, before I was born, that just people remembered well i know one of them that sometimes got brought up to me when i was growing up people talked about using a slide rule for math right my brother had one yeah Yeah. and i I never learned i i I was just past when people were using those so i never used one i never touched one me either i i heard about a slide rule and i said no i don't know what that is ah you don't know what slide rule is ah you're so young and now I, i guess it's kind of like that but i don't think there was as many things like in the 70s and 80s that you look back on that just nobody like that like in the 50s and 60s stuff that just completely went away that you wouldn't have heard of there, there were advancements like uh obviously there's a the personal computer appeared and there was a uh, television got a lot better it wasn't a tiny 10 inch black and white screen anymore so there were a lot of stuff that even when i was a kid in the mid 70s were significantly better but well okay so first of all if you think about it, electricity itself 
just hasn't been around that long. So it's actually pretty shocking how developed and dependent on it we are. But one one example would be, it used to be that if you wanted to start your car, it was actually a super dangerous thing to do because you'd have to get out there and you'd have this like crank that you would have to actually stick into the engine and you'd have to crank it. And the problem is when the engine actually would start, the crank would turn with the engine. A lot of people just got smacked in the face or got their arms broken. It was actually like a really dangerous thing to do to start your car. It's so funny. I just mentioned the crank for the first time in a very long time to Benjamin. Yeah. And I forgot what the context was. I, I, I know. I talked about how one way you could start your car this, this is how the conversation came is that we were discussing about how the car has a battery for electricity to start it and also mm-hmm. for other things that uh, might be operating in the car that are electric devices that can operate even when the car is off but then I mentioned as you drive the car it also generates its own electricity that the battery is really just to get it going before the motor's running but I, I said that I, I asked him, do you know any way you could possibly start your car if the battery is dead? Mm. And he said, no. I said, and so I mentioned how if you could, if you can roll the car down the hill, that you can get that, use that to get it going. Or you could have somebody with, with jumper cables from another battery. So the, that led me to think about the thing with a crank. And I said, actually, for a very long time ago, way before my time, and I never actually saw one like this because it was yep. way before I was born. But I t- and I explained the crank thing to him, which seemed really weird. But, I said, That's but it was he- actually super dangerous, apparently. You know? Like, people were, were legit were getting killed <laughs> when they were trying to start their car. Yeah, I didn't know about that part. It makes sense Oh, now. yeah, no, yeah, for I- sure. Like, apparently the, uh, the guy who ended up uh, developing the uh, electric starter... Um, had a, a very uh, family member or someone very close to him was killed starting his own car. And he's like, I'm going to figure out some way to fix this or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it makes sense if you think about it, because you're literally sticking a rod directly, directly into the engine and you're physically turning the engine. So when it kicks over, it's going to turn that, that rod like super quick. And it had um, a bend in it so that you could, you could crank it. So that thing is going to turn around like a super large egg beater, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I I never thought of it that way, but now that you explain it, I was like, yeah, that's, that does seem very dangerous. In fact, I wonder if that's happening, how did anyone start the car and get the crank out of there without this happening? I don't know. Well, no, okay, so the the um, the bend is in the middle. Right, so the piece at the end will be spinning, but it will you could you could grab it and pull it out. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like pic- picture like it it comes out and then it goes down, over and then back up and then back out. So it's going to be spinning, but it'll be on axis with the the motor. Oh, I see. So you can just grab it and pull it out. But that thing in the middle is still spinning around yeah, like yeah, a freaking yeah, yeah, yeah. like see, a I club. See. Yeah, I see how that can get yeah. people. Okay, so that makes more sense. Okay, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's still dangerous though. Yeah, no, but I, I mean, even so, I've been driving an electric car for about a year now, and so I, I can't jump my car like that, Druff. I can't, I can't roll it down a hill to get it started. Like that's not a thing, you know. That's true. And there are a lot of there are a lot of things about gas cars that me having driven this car, it's only been a year, but it's still that when I look around at some of the gas cars, they seem really primitive, and I can definitely see when those are just going to go away. 
Something that's primitive, by the way, is that my first car, which was a 1976 car, actually had a choke that you would pull. Oh, I remember a choke. Yeah. yeah. When when it was cold, especially on a yep. cold morning. Since I, yep. start, I start the car in the, in a cold morning, which even in Southern California in the winter is cold enough to make the car uh, have some issues. So it would always start, but I, I'd start it and then it would, it would kind of, uh, it wouldn't be running that smoothly. And, and you would pull the choke to help uh, the car to run more normally. And you, you would pull this like on a cold morning. So I'd get out there and it's 40 degrees or something when I drive to high school. And I'd, I'd have to use that choke. That's something that people who are anywhere really much younger than I am, it doesn't matter, even just a little younger than I am, probably have no idea what that is. Well, it's another thing that's going away is the ability to service your own car outside of basic things. You know, I I had a choke on an old MGB that I was restoring when I was in my teens. And, you know, if something went wrong with the car, I knew how to fix it. But these days, you buy a car, you just, you'd have a better shot if you were a software engineer you know, <laughs> if you to fix the car. But you, you really, I mean, there isn't a whole lot that you can do on your own if you any, get any of these modern cars to repair them. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it really is uh, like a little computer in there. And there's, there's a, in fact, there, there's a big change to where it's, it's becoming more and more about replacing things than fixing things. Yep. Something just goes wrong. And that's true with, with home appliances as well. There's not as much you can do anymore with repairing TVs, repairing dishwashers, repairing washing machines. It, it depends what it is. Sometimes you can, but a lot of times, as strange as it feels, the correct play is to throw it away and get a new one. That's the thing that I'm loving about this Tesla is that there's, it's so simple. Like there is not much to it in terms of like, it's almost a miracle that uh, gasoline cars work. There's just so many things that need to happen from an engineering point of view for them to work. These electric cars, man, they're, they're really pretty dog simple. They're just a battery. And then you've got some electric, uh, wheels that are sitting, uh, sorry, electric motors that are sitting by the wheels. And then you got a computer system that's hooked up to it. And there, there's your car, you know, there's no carburetor, there's no uh, exhaust system. There's no engine. There's no. There's no nothing. Like none of that stuff. That's true. It's not it's there. Yep. And and that's one of the other things that's cool about them is you've got just insane storage because you don't have any of that crap. You know, you don't have a transaxle because the the engines are actually at the wheel. It's crazy. Hmm. But they're actually more. In some ways, they're they're far more simple than an internal combustion engine car. And obviously the software is much more complicated, but even on gasoline cars, the, the software that is coming with those cars is pretty complicated. Yeah, I've seen that rapidly increase over the years, how many different things are controlled by the software inside the car, the embedded software there. You thought about getting an electric car one day? I, I've, I've had thoughts of it. I, I haven't had that much of a desire to get one yet. In fact, I haven't. Uh, my car is now eight years old. In fact, more than eight years old, and I, I usually get a car every nine years. Yeah, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure when I'm going to get a new one because the there. You know, we had a year here where I was barely driving, so that almost subtracts a year from it. It doesn't have to be exactly nine years. It's just been the way it's been working out. That it just seems like every nine years I get a new car. I'm, I'm not someone who gets like itching to get a new car every two years. I know people like that. That in fact they will lease 
for that reason. Yeah, they should because, lease because they, because they get a car and two years later they they get sick of it and want to get something else that's that's newer, more interesting to them. Or like it's never been me. I, I get I get a new one. I, I ride it out until it gets old, and then I sell it. I we sell it private party. I don't do any stupid trade in or anything not anything like that. Get the max value I can, and then go buy a new one, and then keep for another nine years. So. I'll tell you, man. I've been super impressed. I've been super impressed with uh, with the Tesla that I've had. I mean, it's been first of all, it's just a lot of fun, but it's it's just insanely practical. You know, you got plenty of room for everything. You don't have to. I don't. I haven't been to a gas station in over a year. I just plug it in when I get home. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I, it, it, there are some advantages there. So I, I'll consider it at some point. I, I just don't. I don't. I don't feel the desire to do it. I've just never been someone who just always wants to run out and get something that's new if it's if what I have is working okay. But uh, it's it's something I'm I'm not really opposed to it either. So I just have to think about it and uh, look at all the pros and cons and see what I want to do. One of the things I've always been concerned with is just if I'm out on the road about refilling it. It's just not as available to re to recharge these things as it is uh, at gas stations, which are everywhere. I know it's more available than it used to be, but it's still not as available, and that's something that's kind of dissuaded me. I I think that is one of those things that it it might be something that you and I I felt that too. It might be something you fear more than is a real thing, because like in my in my driving that I typically do, and my car has got like a three hundred and twenty mile range or something like that. I'm I'm never almost never going over that just in my daily driving. You know, when I go to plug it in at night, it's usually at 40 or 50% or something like that. So I just don't worry about that. But also you've got the, the supercharger network is all over the place. It just really isn't a big deal. When you plan a trip to go somewhere, it will plan your stops and how long you're going to be there. Like I did go on a, a long road trip and got the battery down to like 15%. We stopped, we had lunch for a half hour, and it was up to 93%. And away we go, you know? I mean, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Well, I'll just see. I'll just see what I uh, think I want to do when it comes time. I'll move on to a coronavirus story. Was so, it changing? I, I uh-oh, what is this? I'm hearing myself back. What is going on here? The, it, might, it must be the third person on this show, but... I only counted two before. It was myself and Calwatt, and uh, if, if there were a third person, I'd have no idea who that'd be, but there must be, because it's not me or you, Calwatt, who's making this noise in the background. Is, is this the vaccination show? Ah, oh, there is a third person. Thank God. Listen, Thank listen, God I, I can go to, to sleep. Pick. Thank you, Brandon. I got a bone to pick with you people now. Now, wow. listen, my post-pandemic radio contract specifically implied that I would be coming on the air around 2... 2.30 in the morning after I got a little sleep, some relaxation, a little meditation. Is that not accurate? That not what I've been doing? Yeah, that's that's been what's been happening, yeah. Well, you know, then why am I getting calls here at 12.30 of the Pacific time telling me I need to get on the air? I, I don't understand. Well, I, 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 I have I, nothing to do with this. I, agreed. I can't control and third I, parties. It's Well, listen, it's 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 capricious and it's arbitrary. And it, it, to be honest, it's just outrageous. So now I have to just say to both of you, good day, gentlemen. <laughs> I guess he. I guess he didn't uh, rescue you because. Ah, uh, oh, god he, damn he, it, he Brandon! Came, you know what he did? He pu- he pulled a Groucho Marx where he said, "Hello, I came to say I cannot stay, but all the same, I must be going." Tra la. 
I am gonna have to go to sleep. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm, regardless I'm, of whether he comes on or no, not. I'm, I'm impressed you've, you've lasted here until 3:46 uh, a.m. Yeah. Eastern time. So anyway, with with that small interruption uh, out of the way, which I know you were hoping would be a permanent interruption, but looks like it will not be for another hour or so. Okay, we have Brandon coming back anyway, so let's throw him back here. Yes, Brandon. Can you hear me? Yes. Now, did I hear somebody say give some kind of? critical acclaim or praise for being on to 3.40-something in the morning? I mean, I do 3.40-something in the morning standing on my, my, my hands. But, but you don't wake up at the same time. Is... out of people for 3, three o'clock in the morning? No, I can't give you that same credit. kids you got running around, Brandon? I can't give you that same credit. Cal White wakes up so early every day, and he, he, he works hard on, uh, on his, his uh, business. I, I, he's a good... Listen, listen. I'm going to... I'm going to... Cal White, I'm going to cut him a pass because, A, he's a great guy. B, he did give me $300 once to drive to a bad part of town to get a Slurpee. That's yeah, a that story. was stupid of me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, how, how you gentlemen doing? I'll, I'll, uh, I'm here. You can feel free to go, Calawat. I did not even know you were on until you texted me. How you doing? There's a question. Doing good, how, man. How's everyone doing? Someone doing talk. good. Just fading, fading fast. There's a, a scandal going on right now as we speak over at Real uh, the Real Grinders, what have you. The clips are this. This morning at around 7 o'clock in the morning, Raymond Davis posts on Facebook that the guy that does the technical part of the Real Grinders poker room accidentally deleted the whole entire site. Okay. <laughs> then about Jesus 12 hours Christ. later, and no one can log in. The site's gone. People have lots of money, on, or some people have lots of money on there. I've never played. I've never registered. I assume neither the two of no. you have as well. So then around 8 or 9 o'clock Pacific time, Raymond Davis makes another post saying that it wasn't an accidental deletion at all. And this guy, Richard Boyd, that's his name, who runs the Real Grinders poker room for Ray Davis, stole from Ray Davis and deleted the site on purpose to cover his tracks. And there's no site now. Everyone's money is just, we don't know. And all hell seems to be getting ready to break loose. This... This guy, Richard Boyd, uh, he was on Facebook this morning, meaning he had an account. He, you know, he's, He was responding to people, apologizing for accidentally deleting it. He's deleted his Facebook account, which is never a good sign. No, it's not. Which, how which how bad should I that, feel for people that are putting money on real grinders, though? <laughs> I mean, no, that's not the point, though. I mean, if this I know, is a show that I know. Normally you're going to feel bad for people that use common sense, it wouldn't be much of a show. I mean, that's fair enough. Know. But anyhow, fair enough. yeah, but anyhow, so... Davis, as of the last post, didn't go into the details of what was stolen, how it was stolen, but he claims this wasn't an accident. Richard Boyd maliciously deleted the entire site, and that's that's where we stand now. And he deleted his Facebook or suspended it. His Facebook account is not online, so my, no one my, can my. message him or contact him. Good. So obviously that that doesn't yeah that doesn't look good. But, so uh, obviously so Raymond anyhow, Davis is the one that stole the money. I mean. You know? No, I don't think. No, that, it does well, look I don't like think it that's the case because he's not a technical guy. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, I have a feeling. I haven't looked yet. Yeah, but I have to agree. From this description, it sounds like Ray didn't do it. Okay. This other guy was the one that was in charge for for the most part of the deposits and cash outs. He was the money guy. Well, also, so, if the, this uh, guy wouldn't have vanished if it, if Ray did it. I think the guy would have spoken up and said, "No, no, no, Ray did this. Blame him." If if he just runs away, that's, yeah. that's, it looks it makes him look pretty guilty. Isn't Raymond so, Davis in jail or something? No, no, no. Oh, he he's out, out now. He got no, out. He's out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's been out for... So I just, you know, again, 
I've never deposited. I don't play on those sites. I never would. Never even thought about it. And I'm not implying Raven Davis did anything wrong. I'm just I told you exactly what the facts are according to the way Raymond Davis presented them. I, I don't know what's true and what's not, but this just started la- yesterday morning, and now people are in a panic because they, you know they can't access their money. The entire site's gone. Yeah, that's always a risk with these. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely look into this so, during, during the So show. if Raymond Davis obviously can't somehow get a record of the backup logs, he, he wouldn't know who, you know who has money where and how much, and you know how would he know the balances? You know, you know how we're talking not- about contributory negligence earlier, Druff? Yeah. I, I just I just feel if you're putting money on real grinders, like it's just I mean, but you know what? the smartest thing. But this is I know, but the, the thing is a lot of these people that he uh that, that that site goes after are literally like the smallest of small stakes players that really just don't know their way yet. Like think sure. of yourself or Druff or even me like 15, 20 years ago. That's where a sure. lot of these people are. Like, you know what I mean? They just don't, oh, we're playing online now. And, you know, like they talk about their one, two, you know, no limit local casino. They're not sophisticated people. And they're, you're right. They're, that doesn't, you know, give an excuse. But still, nonetheless, it's just bad for the overall, you know, poker ecosystem, sure. economy, right. just, you know, in general. So, yeah. But anyhow, uh, how, how long do you need, Todd? Well, I, let's I, no let's just, I'm not going to be able to Well, let's just, now you, we, we've gone enough into this topic. Let's just discuss it. So, um, Okay. Ray, Ray Davis here is. Sorry, I'm not poaching eggs. Then am I here for now? Is that what we're? Uh, I, I we're guess at? not. I guess not. I guess. Uh, okay. I guess you're just. You're Do you need just, me to send you screenshots of his exact words? No, I'm right here. I, I'm, no, I'm, I just brought it up right here. So I'll read it to people okay, here. Go so, ahead. Um, this good is night, what, gentlemen. Okay. Oh, good night, Callaway. Hang up and th- listen. Th- th- thank you for Cal- being Calawat, here. Don't be Callaway. Don't be a stranger, kiddo. Good to hear your voice. You as well, man. Okay, brother. Yeah, good to have you on, Callaway. Thank you for joining us. How's the family? Everyone good? The kids, the wife, the puppies, whatnot? We need to go. Everyone's to go to sleep. doing good. Yeah, he needs to go to okay, sleep. Let's let him go to sleep. Okay, good night, brother. Good night, man. All right, good night, Calwatt. Right. Thanks for having me on, Druff. Later. Yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you. Good night. Mm-hmm. So, Calwatt, uh, I didn't expect him to come tonight. He's just here. You know, it's just... Uh, no, he texted me 10 minutes ago, and he's in all, in all capital letters. Get on the radio. We need Vegas topics now. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. It's, it's only 1230. But anyhow, all right. Let's get let's get the ball okay, rolling. Okay, so so, so okay. This, people, this, this is what yeah. Raymond Davis wrote. Okay, he says, so members are asking how this ended. So I will put it here. He wrote this six hours ago. I have been really uncomfortable. Hold on, no, 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 hold on. No, 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 that's not going to work. Start from the beginning. I'll, if you don't see it, I'll send you the screenshot, and then you can read it to radio. In fact, I'll do that. Okay, well, I, I see this. Is, Davis- it, is it about the real deal? Poker H twenty will be down. That was a first post about the accidental deletion. Okay, and so then the yeah, story so, changed. Okay, so this is what I see here first. It says real poker. You see, we'll be down for hours today. Yes, Richard yes. Accidentally tur- That's yes. the first thing that started all. This. Okay, yes. so let me read this so to read everybody here. Real poker H two O will be down for a few hours today. Richard Boyd accidentally terminated the website and now needs time to rebuild it. Rest assured, your balance is safe. I guess these last two things aren't true. As I had them all stored since day one, I will be looking for a team to run this or future poker sites. Uh, the site has grown. To- much too big for Richard to handle alone. If interested in helping out, please post below or contact me. As always, thanks for being a part of Real Grinders. Also, to make up for this huge mishap, I will be adding $500 to the Real Grinders pennies to dollars this Sunday, which is some tournament they have. Okay, so that was the first post, apparently. Then I'm, tr- I, I'm trying to look for where this then, post Then be. the next one was seven hours ago. That starts off with effective immediately. I am terminating my partnership with Richard Boyd and Real Deal Poker H20. I don't believe the site was accidentally terminated. 
I believe Richard Boyd removed the site. I will have a new site up in a matter of days. Richard did pay part of his players' balances. He owes much more. I will move that balance to the new site. Players are free to cash out. The new site will be in my own personal server. Looking for an individual that knows Maven to help me. I will pay. No remote. Please be in Vegas. All players can rest assured their balances are safe. Also, the next site will be on my own server. No one will trip and fall and terminate this one. Okay, let me ca- translate. I'm going to translate a little bit yeah, here. Go ahead. The, the sure. Maven he's referring to is not uh, David the Maven Tchaikovsky, who's now selling real estate in Dallas. I'm not. He doesn't. He's not looking for that Maven. He's talking about Poker Mavens, which is the software it runs on, which is the same thing that runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room. The big problem here, as we demonstrated last year, and we even had a guy on here from Lebanon who managed to do it, is that there are tools out there that have been developed to look at all the whole cards on Poker Mavens. And even the developer of Poker Mavens came to Poker Fraud Alert and posted on our forum that, yes, that can easily be done, and that anyone who's running a room like this on their server with any software, something similar could be done. So you have to trust the person running the room that they're not doing this to you, and he's right. So uh, the fact that this is on Poker Mavens, that this can be done, and Ray is saying he's going to run it on his own server, all I can say is that uh, I hope you trust Ray not to look at your whole cards, because he could. And I hope you trust. Uh, I hope you trusted this Richard Boyd, who apparently didn't deserve very much trust, uh, according to what happened here, uh, to not do that. Otherwise, you could easily be cheated. So it's never a good idea to play on a real money poker room where you're risking real money. I'm not talking about a free roll like on Poker Fraud Alert, but I'm talking about where you're risking your own money. You should never play on on one of these unless you're sure the person running. I mean, absolutely sure would never do this. So. That's, now, let me ask you this. You've been around the, the block a few times. They said you're on that 60 Minutes and Access Hollywood, what have you. Do you smell a fraud here? Yes. Well, this I, is all gets unwinded at some point. Is there going to be a fraud to be uncovered? You mean in this uh, situation this today? This whole web of, yeah, right, the one we're speaking of now. Not oh, yeah. In see, the future, see, there's here's some the, kind of fraud that's been perpetrated. Is here's the problem is Ray Davis gets out of prison for, for a sex crime, and he pleads guilty to get out. And he's not very employable, as you can imagine. And also, I don't think he wants to take a regular job because he's existed in poker for so long without having one in various ways. So he returns to Real Grinders, obviously a much diminished Real Grinders with a much smaller active base and a number of people who left uh, out of protest because of what he was convicted of. And he wants... So basically, there's there's people who come to him and say, Ray, you still have a following, you still have a big group with 15,000 people, um, would you like to have some kind of partnership with me where you promote such and such poker site and, uh, and I run it for you? So you, you basically do nothing but promote it and, and we'll pay you this much percentage of the rake. I don't know 100% that's what happened, but I, this is what I'm assuming is going on with him. Okay, And so Ray, who, who needs money, who needs an income, and he's just gotten out of prison, of course says yes. So... Now, is this illegal? Of course it's illegal, because these are illegally operating real-money poker sites. But I In guess, the state of Nevada. Yeah, in the state of Nevada. So he's definitely taking a chance here. Remember the one guy? The one guy that yeah, there's a guy we once knew, about? yeah. The guy we once knew got in some trouble for that. So Now, I'm not saying I care about it. I don't really care if, if Ray Davis gets involved with these poker sites uh, and, and runs them illegally. I'm just saying he is taking a risk. So uh, the problem is that the people willing to run these and take the risk are also people who are 
probably more likely to screw everyone than the average person because they're willing to take a chance of getting busted for running something like this. Obviously, they're more likely to rip people off too. So the problem is here when someone does something like what Ray Davis is alleging. He's alleging this Richard boy just up and left, just uh, pretended that the site got deleted by accident and then only paid some of the people who had balances on there and then just vanished. And that's always a risk you take when you're playing on one of these sites and when you're associating yourself with one of these sites as Ray Davis did. So while I don't think, from what I've read so far, I don't think Ray Davis is in on this and I don't think Ray Davis wanted this to happen, but I do think that Ray Davis, that this wasn't a shock that this happened to him, that someone who was willing to run a site like this and have Ray Davis be a face of this, given all that he has uh, been involved with and the criminal conviction and all that, to associate himself with Ray Davis and all that. It's not surprising that same person is going to get up and cheat people. So uh, this is a problem with playing on a site like this, aside from any possible cheating during the poker play itself. But uh, So that's that was the next thing. Then uh, I, I assume the next message was that long one I was trying to read before you stopped me? The, I'm sorry? The, the next one he read, was that where he said, so members are asking how this ended? Yes, okay. yes, so yes, yes. Th- he wrote, so members are asking how this ended, so I'll put this here. I've been really uncomfortable with Richard Boyd for a few months. I've told him several times I wanted him gone and was looking to start my own site. Nothing to do with money. I just felt like he treated the members badly. I also noticed huge mistakes in the accounting monthly. He always had an excuse and made good on it when caught. A few nights ago, a few players contacted me and said they had been paid by Richard, but the balance was still in their account. He didn't remove the chips. He became very hard to reach or communicate with. I felt he abandoned the site. Fast forward to yesterday. He tells me he needs to take the site down for maintenance in the middle of the day. The server's going to crash. I said, okay, is the site okay? Can you wait until the players are done? He said, okay. I went to bed and watched the site slowly disappear. I knew he had deleted the site. He calls me in a whiny voice at 1 a.m. Before he says a word, I said, the site is gone. I, I, I knew it. He gave... He gives me the excuse how it was an accident. Anyone that knows Maven, referring to Poker Mavens, the software, knows it's impossible to terminate without getting several warnings. Robin Sadler could at least attest to that. I don't even know what he means by warnings. I I mean, you could terminate it by shutting it down and then deleting the software. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, So I get a computer guy on the phone. He listens to Richard's explanation and says he's lying his ass off. Now, that I probably believe because whatever Richard claims about the accidental deletion. I have to say it's not easy to accidentally delete your poker site. I asked Richard, where's the backup? He said he never backed up the the site. Who wouldn't back up something this this valuable? Lies. So he begins to fix it. I tell him, once you finish, I'm done with you. I have no trust in you. I went over figures with him all wrong. He's been robbing me from day one. He said, let's break free. I said, fine. He gives me 11K, about 20K worth of his players' balances. And that's where we're at. He conveniently blocked me and left the group. Here's how I see it. Richard shorted me for about six months, then linked up with another site and crashed this one. Richard Boyd was dead-ass broke when he came to me. He never put up a dime. I'm the one who funded the site. I'm also the one who gave all the promos to the players. I'm also the one who created every tournament. After he started pocketing money, he went to the casino and started playing huge buy-in events like he was Phil Ivey or something. The money really went to his head. He neglected the site and used it as his piggy bank. Trust me when I tell you this, like a turtle, the motherfucker will stick that head out again. He will be with another site. So he's about turtles with Ray for some reason. Well, he had a pet turtle. I know, that's why I said so that. Maybe yeah. He, yeah. It's, always, it's always turtles with him. So then he says, 
Effective immediately, I'm terminating... Uh, I'm terminating my partnership with Richard Boyd in Real Poker H2O. Oh, no, we already read that one. Okay, so the... Uh, well, let me just say this to you. I mean, and I don't, you know, I know Raymond is from playing, but I don't have a personal relationship with him. And, you know, although I didn't like what I read about what happened with, with those girls, you know, I, you know, I'm not saying any of this with a prejudicial, you know, feeling in my mind, but he's got to be out of his mind to be doing this anyhow out of the state of Nevada. Like he's got to just be nuts, either nuts or he just, or I mean, especially with, with, the history he has of being in trouble. Like, you know what I mean? I, does yes. He I, yeah. He, what he's he just doing? Gets... He can't be raking fucking online poker rooms out of your home in Las Vegas. Isn't that, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. No, it's crazy that he's doing this. He's sitting here on probation and apparently he's, he's somehow running these, uh, or, or at least being involved with the running of these real money poker rooms that are raking. And now he's claiming he's going to run it on his own server. This is really like, he's got a wish to go back to prison and he's got enemies out there. There's people who really, really don't like him that and I'm not talking about people who don't like him because of what he was convicted of. I'm talking about before that, there were a lot of people who really hated him for whatever reason. I never got involved in any of that stuff, but there were some people who really had hatred towards him. And these people would love to report him for it. And I'm surprised that he's not worried about that, that there's going to be someone who it's really is, is itching to see him back in prison that is going to go do this to him. So that's really perplexing that he's doing this. And now he's saying he's well, going to look, on his own server. Let me say that or ask you this. Do you, would you say it's fair to say to anyone that might be listening here that is considering playing online poker or already does that you would say you would endorse or say out of all the solutions, you know, if you don't live in a state like Nevada or New Jersey or Pennsylvania where there's legalized, you know, online poker that it's much better to play on, on a unregulated site like Bovada, America's card room, or even bet online versus any of these, I don't know, wild, wild west sites like yes. Real Grinders or the Poker Brother. I mean, I think that that's a, it's an easy statement to make. You know, Super easy. any of these home games that are on like, you know, an app or something, because I think you're way less likely to be cheated on a site like Bet Online, Bovada, America's Cardinal than, than by far than you would be in any of these other. I think you're just setting yourself up for. Oh, you're totally. I mean, that's, that's the problem is people are attracted to the good games on there and the ease of deposit and withdrawal. And and also sometimes they'll get wow. they'll get encouraged by people like Ray Davis who are in a group with them or by a friend who's referring to them. It's always asking for trouble. It's always asking for disaster because the people running these rooms they're taking a risk doing so, and these are the same people who will take the same risk getting up and leaving and stiffing you or cheating you in the poker play itself. So uh, by far, it's safer to be on the and long established rooms that have been up for years that would have a lot to lose by screwing around. And as a retort to what you just said, right now, as we stand June 5th, 2021, in my opinion, it has never unquestionably been easier to deposit and cash out from an un unregulated site. Like the ones I mentioned than it's than it ever has been even during the boom. I can't even tell you the last time, and I'm, I cash out from poker sites regularly. Uh, I can't tell you the last time I've waited more than 24 hours to get paid. And I can't tell you the last time it's taken me at most an hour and a half for a deposit to go through. Normally it's within minutes. Sometimes I've waited you know, an hour, maybe even two, uh, but it's as simple as familiarizing yourself with 
how to deposit, how to buy, you know, whatever you want to deposit with in crypto. And it's the reverse to cash out. So there's really no excuse. It's not difficult. I'm not a, I'm not a technical, technically astute guy at all. And I can easily buy crypto, deposit crypto, cash out crypto, convert crypto. It's very simple. I mean, it really, really is. So that's not even a fair excuse anymore. I mean, it was much harder to get money. But remember the back of the day, oh, does someone have stars? I can't, you know, you're past your e-check limits. And you, you couldn't get money on stars. You'd have to wait till someone wakes up. Now, it's all on you. You could deposit any hour of the day, cash out any hour of the day. Well, I mean, yes, I but I'll, I'll tell you this. It's much easier now than it's been at any time in the recent and semi-recent past. However, in the net teller days, that's when it was easiest because you could – get money on and off these sites within seconds because they actually had deals with NetTeller to where if your your account was in good standing that they, in some cases, would cash you out in seconds. I used to sometimes, like, let's say I wanted to load money on a sports betting site or a different poker site. I'd sometimes go to my PokerStars balance, which at the time was uh, sometimes quite high, especially if I was running well. And so let's say I had 100K on stars. I, I just go withdraw 20K off of stars and instantly it's in NetTeller. And then instantly I can move it from NetTeller to this other site. I mean, talking about seconds. So today we still don't have that, but this is tremendously better than it was even a few years ago, well, where you'd have to wait a week, two weeks, sometimes to get paid, even on the good sites like Bovada. So now, yes, it's, well, it's I'll very tell you, fast. You know, specifically, bet online. I've had I've had a cash out, you know, several cash outs a month. Usually since the pandemic started, I've never waited more than three to five minutes. America's Card Room. Usually it's within six to eight hours, except for on the weekends. Uh, sometimes faster. So that's still pretty damn good. I mean, nothing ever should be going on that you, you know, if you need money literally within five minutes and that and that is what's going to turn you off if you don't get it, then something obviously isn't right. Like it's, it's fast enough. That's my point. Oh, it is. It's fast enough. No, no, I, 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 it's, I'm it's very fast. happy with it's the speed now. Enough. No, I, I'm very happy with the speed now. And uh, I, I, I love the fact that when I want to cash out from Bovada or Ignition that, and, or bet online, which I, I've done also from sports betting, and I, I've, I will do it, and yes, very fast, often within the hour, sometimes within minutes, the Bitcoin is already on the way to my wallet. So that's that's great. And for those listening, most of these sites also take other crypto, too. You don't have to just solely use Bitcoin. Um, I know America's card room has like over 100 different cryptos now you can deposit wow. with. So. But uh, anyhow, that's uh, it's breaking news, and I don't think there'll be any more developments. Raymond usually starts posting, I notice right around six in the morning but uh something definitely shady went on um it's most likely you know that's the thing about raymond davis again i don't know him i can't vouch for him or against him but i, I think it's more way more likely than not he's just ignorant in all this and he he didn't you know he 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 wouldn't have stolen any money it's always no, very I, unlikely no i don't think he money. stole anything i think he just uh went partners with this idiot here who uh, who, who ran off with everything and and this is the problem is that uh, he just was making partnerships with whomever was offering what it looked like to me, and then some of these people weren't very trustworthy, and that's why he's saying, okay, next time I'm going to do it myself, which is good if you trust Ray not to screw you. It's it's bad for Ray himself to, to be taking an even bigger risk regarding going back to prison. And by the way, that is a risk that even if if Ray himself doesn't intentionally screw you, that if he gets busted and they card him off to prison and say, okay, you were on probation when you were doing this. I mean, it's not even a risk. It's almost a certainty at some point something will happen. Yeah, like you're not going to get paid at that point if he's in prison, I'm guessing. So 
that's that's something you have to think about too because yeah. here he's on probation in Nevada. This is it's not like he's sitting here in Antigua doing it like certain other people we know. But uh, I'm talking about uh, he, he's right there in Las Vegas. It's very peculiar to me. I don't understand it either. Uh, he wrote also on Real Grinders to be clear: Richard Boy didn't steal any players' money. The motherfucker only robbed me. LMAO, LMAO. He figured since I couldn't spell, I didn't know math either. So. I don't quite know what he means by that. Uh, it, it does sound like what he's trying to say is that anything that Richard didn't pay out, that he's just moving on to a balance on his new site, so the players aren't going to lose anything. Uh, now, here's the question. If Ray does start this new site, let's say you're owed $3,000 on Richard's site, and Richard is nowhere to be found. So then Ray starts a new site. He automatically gives you the 3000 that Richard never paid you. Can you just hit the cash out button right there and never play? Will Ray just send you that money right off the bat, or do you have to rake a certain amount? That's a good question. We, well, uh, you know what? That's the one thing that Ray has said time and time again. I've read it, you know, because I'm a member of Real Grinders. I don't post in it, but I, I, you know, I see it come up on my on my feed. He's vouched for all these sites, meaning if anyone ever got screwed, that he would cover it. I mean, he said that time and time again. So, you know. Thankfully, I guess for him, you know, this isn't such a big site and, and, you know, there's not that kind of action where there's, you know, players with, you know, thousands and thousands. But there's some players I've seen sitting with several thousand before and, you know, this could be expensive. I mean, we'll, we'll have to. And again, it's never good when the guy that's being accused is now deleted, you know, his entire Facebook. I yeah. Mean, that obviously is a sign of guilt right there. I've never and, seen you know, in, just all, kind of, in all our years in poker, I've never seen once where someone is accused of scamming, then they instantly delete all their social media and then it turns out they're innocent never seen that once i'm not saying it can't happen but i've never seen it once where if the response is to remove yourself from your entire online presence when accused every single time it turned out that person was guilty so the odds here i think you know they are in favor of this guy being guilty so you know on another note this is actually funny just so people realize how prevalent scamming is and just in general you know especially when the pandemic was at its heart a couple days ago uh i tried to cash out three days ago three nights ago i tried to cash out of america's carter and the cashier page was under maintenance so i'm like okay so i waited a couple hours again and went back to it and it was again under maintenance and in all fairness to america's carter they had done a massive update on their site like the day before so things were, you know, were still still weren't working, and things were still just coming back up. But you know, it was about a day, day and a half after the update. So I send a tweet to America's card room, just saying, "Hey, just curious, do you have any idea uh, the time frame of when your cashier will be back online? What do you think the over under? What would you set the over under of amount of people that I've never met that don't know who I am that sent me direct messages on Twitter?" offering to sell me chips <laughs> scammers 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 yes. a thousand percent scammers. I, I bet one or more I, of them were uh, brian voitek by the way even though under a different name of course i would say uh six i got four different messages four okay close. and one of them let me pull up the name here was it was a hundred percent a scammer and this may be the person you just referenced maybe brian uh, voitek, brian yeah. who brian voitek and and this person, his Twitter name is Dick Dick Sherman with two N's, and then the the Dick is or the I and Dick is the number one. So it's D number one C K, and then Sherman with two N's. 
he kept texting me repeat or DMing me repeatedly throughout the day, like without even a response. Like, you know, so that's a sign of desperation. You send one message, somebody doesn't re respond, obviously, you get the idea they're not interested. But he kept like every two, three hours, sometimes more than one message. Hey, I'm online now. Do you need money? Hey, I'm online. You know, do, yeah, I, I, I think and I, and I, I never. I think it's the same guy. I, it's uh, yeah, and I, and, yeah, go on. There's certain telltale signs this guy has. I'm seeing most of them in this new, in this account. I'm looking at right now is Dick Sherman. Are you looking at the one I just told you? Yes, okay, yes. So yeah. I, I, it's a high chance it's him. It may not be him, but it's a high chance it's him. So anyhow, it stood out to me. So what did I do? Of course. And the other thing was when when I sent the uh, the tweet to America's Cardroom, I didn't say I wanted a deposit. I said, do you know when the cashier page is going to be? Oh, I actually wanted to withdraw. So anyhow. I went back and forth with this Dick Sherman, and he was adamant that he would that I had this sent first, and his reputation. He was pulling all this all the tricks in the book. I said, "Well, listen, I know some people, you know that that you you'd know that are you know well respected. We can use a meet." And I was never going to buy anything anyhow, but I just wanted to see where this would go. So I said, "I know some people that are well respected in poker. We can you know we can have somebody just escrow." None of it. He wouldn't have any of it. I mean, he was an obvious scammer, but I just wanted to see how far he would go with this. And eventually he realized I was not going to, you know, oh, I can show you all these people that vouch for me. And he's sending me like transaction logs and, you know, just crazy things. And then eventually, obviously, he got the idea or he knew, realized I was never, ever going to send first to him. And then he stopped messaging me. But it went off for like a day and a half. Um, <laughs> but it's just it's amazing. Like, so literally there are people that just sit there reading the at messages to America's card room and then respond, responding accordingly. It's unbelievable. Yes, yeah, well, that's that's what Voitech does. Voitech scans Twitter constantly for anyone who is wanting to uh, get money off of ACR, and he claims to have ACR, and then uh, they send him money first, and then he never sends them the ACR. In fact, I don't I don't even think he has an ACR account, or if he does, it has no money. Like I think. <laughs> I think really the yeah. it's just it's just a lie to get them to send him money and then he disappears and it, I'm just about sure it was him and he uses that exact same mo about uh, he's very aggressive constantly says how trustworthy he is almost acts insulted if you question it and and uh, of course never wants any kind of escrow and just approaches people out of nowhere it's, if you, it's very similar if you look at his Twitter if you look at his Twitter there's only like five tweets from like May you know what I mean he deletes everything constantly. You know, it's not like a long-standing, you know, respected. You know what I mean? It's not like a Twitter account that's been around for no, years. No, it's a new account. I all see the that. posts are, yeah, all the posts are only about ACR money for sale. He doesn't have anyone following him other than like nine random people that that aren't even. It's just yeah, it's a total scam. So anyway, always obviously be careful with that because I, I was shocked. I got and I don't know maybe one of the responses were genuine. Maybe they're all four of them were scammers, but four four of them I got just from asking <laughs> one simple tweet about when the when when the uh, Cashier page will not will will be back up and not under maintenance anymore. It's amazing, it's amazing. And like I said, this guy kept going and going. Like you know, you could tell he was desperate. He, he messages me, I don't respond. Two hours later, message me again. Like it, it was maybe ten, twelve messages. But yeah, this is how so, he's been supporting himself for years with ACR scams. He's the most prolific ACR scammer by a wide margin. Unbelievable. And you know what's weird is I knew him a little bit twelve years ago, before he did all this stuff. I, I did. I happened to run into him, not even through poker, but uh, he, he was. A, it was had to do with a radio show that I listened to in Southern California, that was doing like an online stream, and he was there, and he he claimed to be a poker player also, and I got to know him a little bit. We were never friends, 
And the last interaction we had was in 09 when he asked me to stake him. And I said, no, i sorry, I don't stake people. And that was that. And then all those years later, I, I realized it was the same guy who, uh, who was doing all this scamming. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, uh, do you have anything else that you feel like needs to be added? I mean, to just the Raymond Davis topic, any of that? Um, not to the Raymond Davis thing. We'll have to see what happens with it. So yeah. the, uh, as far as topics am, of the uh, show, all, all we have is some COVID stuff and uh, and then whatever you want to bring. And then with uh, well, well, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. <clears throat> I'm looking. I'm looking at the agenda now. One more time, the COVID stuff is, is that all that that yeah that's is it left on, on your part. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah, it hasn't really been a, a big week. Um, do you want to save the COVID stuff for what COVID stuff needs to be talked? Is it the Fauci? Well, I was, stuff I was, or? Yeah, I was talking about the Fauci thing, and then also the. Uh, this isn't a big topic, but about the massive improvement with COVID numbers, people may not realize how much they have improved. You, you saw on the agenda probably how much, but uh, otherwise I was going to ask 96%. you. 96%. Yes. Yeah. 96% decrease in new COVID infections compared to the early January peak. We're looking at about 10,000 new infections a day in the U.S., which sounds like a lot. We had 250,000 or so infections during the early January peak. Every day, I'm talking about new infections of COVID. We're now at 4% of that with 10,000. So that's a tremendous reduction. And this is different than the other Fauci stuff I want to talk about. But a long time ago, Fauci actually said that this is what we're looking for, that once we get under 10,000 infections per day, that that's the goal, then we should be able to return to normal life. So we are there. Do you wanna, so I assume, do you want to cover that now? Yeah, or we might as well. I mean, this, is a short, this, is a, this is a short thing here, yeah. Um, so this is, okay, this is, yeah, it's just a numeric milestone, the getting of the 10,000 per day. It could go back up. But I don't think people will realize how much less of a COVID danger there is now for there to be 96% fewer cases than in early January. We're talking about five months ago because the, the peak was right around five months ago, the, the first week of January. So for there to be that much of a reduction, forget just the fact that most people are vaccinated, at least the ones who want to be. Anyone who wants to be vaccinated is now, other than kids. So anyone who wants a vaccine has gotten one. But even putting aside, okay, we're vaccinated, we feel safe now. Even if you are not vaccinated, there's, it looks like 4% of the COVID danger compared to what it was five months ago. So you're much less likely to run into someone who is COVID positive, which is huge by itself. It also speaks well for the possibility that COVID could just vanish, like the swine flu did. And that is the biggest hope in this whole thing. It's not just that we have it under control and that those who get vaccinated uh, will just fare well and never get it. It's just that hopefully the, vac- the vaccine will also lead to a herd immunity where the disease just dies off. And if the disease cannot find a way to bust through the vaccines at a high rate, it can't just bust, bust, it can't just bust through a few vaccines. It's not going to do any good. If it can't find a way to bust through the vaccines at a high rate, and even if the people who aren't getting vaccinated are getting it, then in a way it's like they've been vaccinated once they get it. Like I, I have a friend who's around my age. Thankfully he didn't get uh, 
a bad result, but he's around my age and he refused to get the vaccine, at least not yet. He wasn't completely opposed, but he said, I want to wait. Well, he shouldn't have waited because he got COVID and so did his wife. And the thing is now he's immune to COVID. Now it's like he got the vaccine. So once those people get hit with COVID, then they should be mostly safe from it. So even if there are some outliers who get COVID twice or who get it despite having the vaccine, I know we have some of those cases, but if there's not a high number of them, then COVID could just completely vanish or it could go down to such a low-level threat. The, the, the number of cases could be so low and really not going anywhere with rising that provided there's not a mutation that can break through the vaccine, then this could become a non-issue in not too long of a time. And in fact, at some point, it's possible it'll be gone completely and it'll be something in our rearview mirror. And much like you don't fear getting the swine flu, much like you don't fear getting the 1920 Spanish flu, uh, COVID, believe it or not, may be looked upon the same way not too long from now. I don't mean like next week. I don't mean next month. But I mean, like you could be in 2023 and there could be just no more COVID. So we now this is the U.S., the question is, in the other parts of the world where the vaccines are not as available or not as good, will there be COVID problems there? Even if you're vaccinated and not going to be facing that much of a danger if you go visit these places, will we start to see where there's parts of the world where COVID is, is still devastating and where in the U.S. it's just about gone or completely gone? So that's another thing to think about, just to consider. It's not, it's not going to affect you all that much if you're in the U.S., but in the U.S., it, it really could cease to become much of a problem very soon because we are going under the 10,000 mark per day and we're going the right direction and soon things could be even better going forward. So we're going to have to see where that goes. But I just wanted to bring everybody's attention to how low 10,000 a day really is compared to what it was. 10,000 still sounds like a hard number. You say, well, it's still getting 10,000 Americans uh, getting this every day. That's, that's a lot. And it isn't when the population is 330 million. It isn't when there's 250,000 a day in January. Mm. So that's good news. I still suggest where you get, that you get vaccinated. There's someone on Facebook, not a poker player, some, someone I've known for about 20 years, but they took a picture of themselves. They post a lot of pictures of themselves, but this person posted a picture of themselves with a mask on. And I said, why are you wearing a mask in the picture? And they said, well, I'm not vaccinated. I said, well, okay, why don't you get vaccinated? I, I don't want to, they said. I said, so wait a minute. So, so you're not someone who's like a COVID denier. You're actually wearing a mask. But then at the same time, you don't want the vaccine? Like, it's kind of weird. And this person said back, well, you know, I just I just don't trust the vaccine. And uh I'm just being careful. I'm wearing a mask everywhere I go. And I said, I hate to tell you, but that's not going to help you that much. If you go somewhere, now, yes, COVID's going way down, so your chance of getting it's lower than it used to be. But if you go somewhere that COVID is and you have the mask on, it's probably not going to protect you. So you really should get the vaccine. This person isn't young either. They're, they're in their early 40s. So I was trying to convince them to go get the vaccine, especially since they seem worried enough about COVID to be wearing a mask everywhere, but they weren't. So there are people out there like this, but these even these people are going to be benefiting from these much lower rates of COVID. They're just not going to catch it as easily. But still, you should you should get vaccinated. It's something that, yeah, it can be unpleasant if you get it like I did. I know Brandon had a much better experience with the second vaccine than I did. But some people get not very good experiences. But it wasn't like 
the most horrible thing ever. It wasn't even like the sickest I've ever been or even close to that. It was something that was unpleasant for a few days. Not like a traumatically bad experience. And if there is a booster required in a year, and even if it's likely to give me the same reaction, I'll do it again. So I won't look forward to it, but I'll do it again. I'm not regretting getting it. I'm not, also, I don't feel anything now. I have no. There's no indication that I ever got it as far as how I'm feeling. It's not like I felt worse ever since. I was sick for a few days. Then a few days after that, I didn't feel quite right. And then since then, I've been the same way I was before I got it. So I really suggest you get the vaccine if you haven't gotten it. Unless you've already had COVID, then it's less important. There's even a theory now that if you've already had COVID, that it's just as good as having the vaccine, even if you already had COVID a year ago, that you probably still have some pretty strong protection against any bad outcome from COVID, even if you get it again. So if you have had COVID, you don't have to worry as much. But if you have not had COVID and you've not had the vaccine, you should do it. Forget all the politics. Forget all the BS. Just go do it. Let's let's do the other topic, and then we can do the rest of uh, with Vegas topics and Sharif and all that. Is that okay? Yeah, no problem. Okay, so with Fauci, I my initial impression with him early on was one that was positive. I felt that he wasn't someone who was uh, sucking up to Trump. He was kind of his own guy, but at the same time, he wasn't trying to be political. He was just giving to us straight. He was kind of a, like a responsible scientific voice that was divorced from all the politics. That was my impression. Turned out to be incorrect, but that was my initial impression of him. My first concern was when he talked about the masking. He first said, there's no reason to be walking around with a mask. He said that in February 2020. And then, a month later, he told everyone to go get a mask and wear it. And when asked why did he say the opposite a month ago, he said, oh, well, I, I wanted the healthcare workers to not have their N95 masks hoarded. I wanted them to all be able to get masks because it's most important for them to have it. So I, I, I said that, but uh, the truth is it really, you really should have a mask. So I wasn't thrilled about that. I never like when public officials lie and then say, well, but I lied for a good reason. I never like that. I just want them to be honest. I don't want to be lied to so I do the right thing. So that already bothered me. But I said, okay, I, at least I kind of understand it. At least I, at least I kind of see why he did it, even if I don't agree with it. At least it seemed like he did this for a good reason, what he thought was a good reason. But then as time passed, I started to feel like he was becoming more political and more political on the left with this, that whatever the left wanted the narrative for COVID to be, he seemed to be backing that, even if the science didn't seem to back that up, even if the statistics didn't back that up, even if common sense didn't back that up. And that started to bother me. This is not when Biden became president. This is while Trump was still president. It continued when Biden was president. But I was already noticing this before. And I started to just get the impression that he was very wishy-washy with his advice. He often couldn't explain why he was contradicting previous things he said. Like he was constantly all over the place with, with kids being in school, whether that's safe or not. It seemed like he changed every time the teacher union changed about what they felt about it. I, I found too many things from him that seemed like we're not getting honest advice from a scientist. We're getting political answers from a pseudo-politician. And that bothered me. It, it really eroded my trust. It really, that was the opposite of what I first thought of him when I first saw him talking about COVID in early 2020. 
So I, I lost a lot of respect for him. And I, I see nonsensical things on TV. I saw him talking about the need – it's safe for kids to go to school because they're cleaning really well. They're doing a lot of sanitizing and cleaning. I'm saying, what? I thought they debunked this a year ago. I thought a year ago they said that this isn't how COVID's transmitting. So now it's safe for kids to go back because they're cleaning? What? Like that might have been okay to say in February of 2020, but not not in 2021. So why is he saying this? Why why is the doctor who's supposed to be the expert on this saying something that contradicts the science that we've known for a year? So I start seeing weird shit like that in his Q&A sessions and in his press conferences. And I'm thinking, I can't trust this guy. I don't know what his deal is, but I can't trust him. It kind of just looks like he's uh, become a political pawn of the Democrats. And I don't want that. I don't want a pawn of the Democrats or the Republicans telling me things. I don't want I, I want to hear the truth, not what the Republicans or the Democrats want me to believe about COVID. So that really made me lose a lot of respect for him. But I've thought this for a while, and I haven't talked about it that much out here because that's just my opinion, and it's not going to really mean that much. And there's so many other officials and even health officials talking about COVID. You know, he's not the only one. So I haven't done much Fauci talk on this show. But the big story this week, and I don't know if you've seen these, Brandon, the, the emails that were released because BuzzFeed did a freedom of uh, information request. It's known as F- FOA, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. So they did an FOIA request for his emails, which are available to the public. They're not classified. They do have a right to redact information for certain reasons. But uh, for the most part, they have to be released to the public if requested. So they were requested by BuzzFeed and received. So thousands of emails were dumped all of a sudden and uh, people were, were trying to make sense of them. Now, did you see these emails? Yeah, I did. I've read the reports. Yeah, I mean, you can't read all the emails unless you have a ton of time on your hands because it's it's like 3,000 emails and most of them are kind of boring and don't really shed much light well, on it. What was funny was like random people were like emailing him and he was responding. Like one guy was like a nuclear scientist. He claimed, did you read this email? Like a random guy he didn't know. And he was saying, listen, you know, you can't let the government muzzle you. You can't let the White House muzzle you. If you know something, you have to say it. And, you know, and he's like, I'm not being muzzled. I, I'm speaking. Mu-. And, but this, it wasn't even anyone he knew. Let me find the actual link. That, yeah, I know. I, I, really I, peculiar. Yeah, I know about that one. So he did respond to more that emails. He took the time to respond to like a random person, like yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So he did respond to more emails than one would have expected, including from people that he didn't necessarily have to respond to. Uh, but I, that's really the only positive thing I can say from reading the emails that were notable. What I found here, and this is what was also found by people on the right who were critical of him in, in looking at these emails, is number one, it looks like he wasn't lying in February 2020 when he said that he didn't think masks were useful. Remember, he said masks were not useful in February 2020. A month later, he said, no, they actually are. I just, I just uh, didn't want to say they were because I wanted all the healthcare workers to get them. Well, now I'm back to believing that he initially said what he really believed. And that is because it was found in an email to him in February of 2020 that he responded to where he was explaining that he doesn't think that masks, that, that masks you would buy in the store, meaning things like cloth masks, are useful. 
So it looks like to me that he said what he really believed in February and then in March was under some pressure because by then a lot of Republicans were anti-maskers. A lot of Republicans didn't want to wear a mask. A lot of them turned it political by saying this is a uh, intruding on our freedom. And then Trump, he didn't really want to say anything either way. He, he didn't want to encourage mask use because he didn't want to piss off his followers. So he didn't say anything positive about masks, and he didn't like being photographed and masked. So it became that masking was a thing Democrats wanted to do and Re- Republicans didn't for the most part. So at that point, a month later, it was much more political. And at that point, Fauci came out and said, yeah, you should wear a mask. Which really looks bad to me because it, to me, nothing new information, no new information came out between February and March of 2020 about masking's usefulness. And while his first excuse of, oh, I only said this to save the mask for the healthcare workers, now it's looking like that's not why he said it. It looks like that's what he's believed the whole way, but he was asked to say this by people on his side of the political aisle because it's become clear since then that Fauci is a Democrat and he's loyal to the Democrats even though he served under Trump he served under a number of administrations going back uh, many years but that he was he wanted to help the Democrats he saw that Trump was anti-mask he was asked to come forward and say everybody should wear a mask and he did and it does, it's not harmful to wear a mask it's, it's not like it's advice that's killing people, but where it can k- kill people, and this is why what's always bothered me, and I've said it many times on this show, but I feel this even more strongly now, now that I see the way Fauci really felt about it. It's always bothered me that the main message has been wear a mask rather than stay out of indoor spaces. The, the overwhelming message should have been do not go anywhere indoors unless you absolutely have to. That should have been the message. If you have to, wear a mask, if you have to, then keep distance, things like that. But but your best advice is stay away from indoor spaces as much as you can. That should have been the advice. That was the secondary advice instead. Instead, it was mask, 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 and oh yeah, if you can not go anywhere, that's good too. So that the problem is this gave people a false sense of security. I had so many people telling me things like what this person on Facebook told me. Who wasn't being political, of course, the person on Facebook. But the person on Facebook told me they, they didn't get vaccinated, but don't worry, they're safe, they're wearing a mask. And there's a lot of people who believe that. There's people who are not getting vaccinated, like this person, because they believe they have an alternative way to keep themse- themselves safe. There's people who went places that were dangerous for them because they felt that they knew the formula to keep themselves safe. When it did not keep you safe. And it looks like Fauci my, knew that. My, my, uh, I hate to say it. it I mean, it's sad. Well, I'll be honest, just because I'm sure a lot of people that are listening can maybe relate. My dad was kind of in that department. Now, he got vaccinated. Okay? He was fine. But during this whole fiasco, the few times he would have to go out and I'd try to rush and I'd, I'd you know, try to get him home real fast. He'd say, it's fine. I'm wearing a mask. I'm, I'm taking precautions. And I would say to him, that's not an absolute. Like I, I said that over and over to him. You know, I get kind of angry because I'm like, how many times do I have to tell you that? Like, it doesn't, it's not absolute. It's not foolproof. You can still get it. There are people that, tons, millions of people that have all around the world that have gotten wearing masks. So he got vaccinated right away. He was all for that. But he also had a false sense of security that when we, he had to go out or I had to do something with him, take him somewhere, or he'd want to do something silly. And I'd be, you know, and I get it. Like, he was home for, you know, I mean, you get it. He was home for, for you know, over a year. Like, you know, other than like doctors and essential things he had to go to. 
and he'd want to go somewhere, and I'd, I'd say it's an unnecessary risk, and he would think because he has a mask and he's staying away from someone, he's using sanitizer, that he was protected. Right, that, that's a great it's, example. It's, it's, it's and, you know, so, like, you know, I get it. Like, you know, and he's seeing it on the news, people saying mask, 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 mask. So he just thinks masks, sanitizer, sanitizer. So he has sanitizer in the car, sanitizer in his pocket, sanitizer at home, and he's constantly washing it because that's what they basically told him. You know, that that's, you know, he watches the news every night. You know, Lester Holt, NBC News. He doesn't miss it. If he's not home, he records it. So that's where he gets his information. He trusts them. Like, he, you know, he trusts Lester Holt. Yeah, and, and that's and that's where I, I have a big problem with the messaging and people like Fauci. Fauci should have been on TV all the time saying the best thing you can do, especially if you're in a high-risk group like the elderly, is do not go anywhere indoors. Don't. If you absolutely have to for something super important, there is no other choice, then do it. But otherwise, especially if you're in a, a high-risk group, do not go indoors anywhere. Don't think the mask is going to protect you. There's a good chance it won't. It's something that's, that yeah. helps you a little bit, but otherwise stay away. That should have been the message. Yeah. It was not the message. So that, that, and I think Fauci knew because he saw this in his email in, in, in February 2020, and that's where there's, I, I felt there was such uh, poor messaging and poor leadership right. from who, the person who was supposed to be the, the lead scientist who was directing this entire thing. So that was, that was one problem. Uh, another thing... And I, and I bet that I bet that Lester Holt was in on it too, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, that's the other problem. Is the what, what, what happened was the media and the left, they realized that Trump and the Republicans were very anti-mask. And some of it I felt was stupid. I'm talking about the, on the Republicans' part. That they overdid it the other way. Oh, it's an infringement upon our freedom, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, come on. It's just, it's just putting on a mask if... Yeah, even if you don't love it, just do it. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Like I, I, I wasn't ever on board with the it's infringing upon our freedom thing. Never. And that, that was never me. But at the same time, uh, the problem was because they were that way, the left was like, oh, this is the way we got to beat Trump. This is the way we're going to beat the other Republicans in the November race. This is how to humiliate the Republicans and make them look like stupid rubes is we look like we're following the science about the mask and they're not perfect because they're anti-mask. We be, we're pro-mask. We say the science supports us and, and they're going to lose. And it worked somewhat. I mean, Trump lost. So this bothered me because I knew a lot of this was being done for political reasons. And I believe there's a lot of people that died who went out like you know, like your dad did. Unfortunately, your dad was fine. But a lot of people went out, especially elderly people, who thought this was safe, thought this was mostly safe. They didn't think they were 100% bulletproof, but they felt it was safe enough. They didn't. They, what they should have really done is just put out the truth that the mask isn't going to help you much if you're in a room where there's COVID. Someone has COVID there, the mask is not going to help you all that much. So you just don't want to be there. That should have been the message strongly put out, I think it would have saved a lot of lives, and that's always bothered me. So that's the first thing. That's not been the biggest thing in the emails, because uh, there's a much bigger thing that's being discussed that's uh, kind of more clear from the emails uh, that, that was kind of more scandalous. The mask thing, there was like one email referring to what he felt about masks in February, but because you can't read his mind about how he felt about it after February, from there you have to speculate. So the email that was, that's being discussed a lot has to do with the lab leak theory. Now, if you dared say that COVID came from a lab in any way uh, in 2020, if you made the statement last year, then you were talking about from China. Yeah, from the Wuhan lab. Okay. If you were, yeah. if you, if you tried to say that COVID came out of that Wuhan virology lab, if you tried to say it last year, 
you would have been shouted down. You would have been called a conspiracy theorist. You would have been called an idiot. You would have been called xenophobic. Xenophobic, exactly. So th- you would have been called all these names for even considering it. Even if you say, "Look, I'm not sure. I just want to say it may have come from." No, no, no. That's not acceptable. It couldn't. Not, not possible. Not possible. It was definitely a natural jump from bats to humans that happened in a wet market or somewhere else. It definitely was not from that lab. Well, now all of a sudden, with no new information, now we're supposed to say, "Hey, you know what?" Yeah, it could have come from that lab. It may not have been malicious. It may have been that they were just doing research there and then it accidentally escaped. But, yeah, it may have come from the lab. Yeah, we should kind of look into that. Well, anyone who said that last year was shouted down like they were an idiot. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is because they wanted to portray Trump as xenophobic, as you said. They're, they're trying, they wanted to seem like Trump is blaming this on China and hates Chinese people and wants to blame Chinese people and blah, 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 that... If we, if it gets out that there's a belief it might have come from a lab, then this makes Trump look at least partially right that maybe he is xenophobic. So, not to interrupt you, this just reminded me of something. Uh, Back in December, I think it was, there was, oh God, you would know because this is something that was on your Facebook. It was a senator, congresswoman, somebody that tweeted about exactly what you're talking about. And it was it was it was a little bit worse. Like they said, China has a five thousand year history of cheating and stealing, and and then the the state uh, the state affiliated media, uh, like you know the guy that is like the head media guy of China, whatever his name is, just writes bitch. <laughs> Do you remember on Twitter? Yes, yes, yes. Facebook. Yeah, that was he me. Just posted, bitch. Yeah. Like that's yes. all he wrote. He just wrote yes. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, In the middle of the pandemic, yeah, I know. The pandemic, that's what the reply. Nothing else, just yeah, bitch, just bitch. I know that was that's the official. It even said under like official Chinese state media too. Yes, yeah, yes, it did. I'm looking at it. It's yeah, it's it's a blue check mark. You know whatever that means on Twitter. You know I know what it means, but it's the verified whatever state China affiliated media head yeah. <laughs> to Marsha Blackburn. I don't know who that was, but she was somebody. Like, you know, she has a blue check mark, too, and he just wrote bitch. Oh, she's a senator. Yeah. Senator Marsha Blackburn. He just wrote bitch, sure I know. Or, yeah. yeah. Right. That, China, doesn't, China doesn't care. So, anyway, China, uh, if, if you even brought this up as a possibility, you were given a really hard time, and now now that Trump's out of office, now that we're, we're past that by several months, now it's okay to consider. So, th- this is so ridiculous that... Uh, this was something that you were shouted down for last year with really no new information. It's not like something came out that, that changes everything. It's just now it's okay to think. Now it's okay to talk about. So what does this have to do with Fauci? Well, someone had asked Fauci in one of these emails in, uh, in February, on February 1st. They asked Fauci. I don't have that email right in front of me. But someone asked him uh, what his opinion was of the theory that it was developed in a lab. Now, keep in mind, February 1st is very early on. It was before any verified cases in the U.S. There probably were cases in the U.S., but there was no verified case at that point that was known. But we When was this? What month? February 1st, 2020. Oh, okay. February 1st, 2020. So, but what was how, the first case in, Washington, in Seattle in the nursing homes? Or what, what, the, the what verified, day was that? There was verified cases in February of 2020, but... The, Going back, now that we know what we know, it does appear that in the U.S. there probably were some in January, but at the time we didn't know what they were. So it's still, of course still, they were. So, International so, travel is still going on. Yes. So, yeah. so still on February 1st, we still didn't know if we had a verified case in the U.S., but we knew it was a problem in China, and we were already starting to get worried about it. So uh, to show you how 
how much we knew on February 1st that it was a problem, I had already decided I wasn't going back to Commerce until this whole thing passed on January 27th. So that shows you that if I knew not to go to Commerce on January 27th and February 1st, there was good reason to be concerned. And I'll tell you not to not to you know toot my own horn or whatever, but I in February I was already wearing masks when I had to be indoors in confined spaces. And everyone thought I was crazy. Like I had doctor's appointments and the doctors were all wearing masks by then. The you know, people that took my blood and you know, just for checkups, things like that. I was wearing masks already hmm. in February. But I had to go out. I already knew I knew. I mean anyone that could watch the news and see what was happening in the world knew what was coming towards us. I mean, it was, doesn't take. Oh yeah, a, I know. know it, it, I'm, it, not, look, I'm not discounting what what you know your premonition, but you know anyone that was reasonable and kept up on the world knew. It yeah, it, yeah, it, it was. It was coming here. Yeah, so it was worry, very worrisome on February first for sure. So uh, s- someone had asked Fauci how he feels about the lab leak theory, which of course is very new. The whole thing with coronavirus is very new. We it, a week prior to that, almost nobody had heard of it at all in the U.S. So the whole thing is very new on February first, twenty twenty. So someone's asking Fauci how he feels about uh, the theory it came from a lab. Keep in mind, by this point, it was not political yet. There was no political party that had taken position. Trump hadn't called it a China virus yet, to, to my knowledge. So or maybe he had. Whatever it was, it, it still it wasn't political to say it may have come from a lab. So Fauci pa- seemed to have panicked and sent an email out to a guy named uh, Hugh Auchincloss at the uh, National Institute of Health. And he wrote, Hugh, it is essential we speak this morning. Keep your cell phone on. I have a conference call at 7.40 a.m. with Azar. It will likely be over 8.45 a.m. Read this paper as well as the email that I will forward to you now. You, have, you will have tasks today that must be done. Thanks, Tony. So that was from Fauci to this guy, uh, Hugh Auchincloss, uh, saying he will have tasks today that must be done, and he needs to read this paper. Well, what is the paper that was included? It was called Barrick she et al. Nature Medicine SARS Gain of Function PDF. So what is that? Well, Gain of Function research was research that was going on in various places around the world, including in Wuhan, to get ahead of viruses that could jump from animal to human, something like the coronavirus. So they were the the, the point of gain gain of function research is that you already have a cure or a vaccine for the disease just in case it jumps. So you're ready right away to take care of it instead of having to uh, develop it on the fly like, like we had to do with the COVID vaccine. So that's, that's the point of gain-in-function research. So you may say, okay, well, that sounds like good research. What's, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing. I, I'm not saying that research is bad. The problem is that if that research is being done by bad actors, it can be abused because it can also be used to save these viruses for bioweapons. So you know, this, the same place that could be do, doing gain-of-function research, where, you're, where they're basically taking in to the lab viruses that they feel could jump from animal to human and be very dangerous to humans, and instead of just studying how to beat these viruses, they could be collecting them for usage uh, in war so, or, or, or for any kind of other nefarious purpose. So you've got to watch out uh, who does this gain-of-function research, and while you can't control what China decides to research, you definitely may not want to fund such research in a country like China. But indeed, in 2015, such research was funded by Fauci's own department. Now, not by him personally. He didn't directly authorize those funds, but it was in his own department that gave some money, not all the money, but gave some money to the Wuhan Virology Lab 
for uh, some studies of gain-of-function research. So what happened was Fauci went into a panic on February 1st, saying, shit, even if our research, and he, and he actually attached this paper of when they were doing uh, research on something that was similar to COVID. In this is in 2015, so it wasn't on COVID, but uh, that it was some research they did in that exact lab on something similar to COVID. So, because remember, COVID's uh, actual name is uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2, and th- that's uh, similar to the uh, previous SARS, the car- SARS-CoV-1. So th- they were researching in that lab, U.S.-funded research, or at least partially funded by Fauci's own department, on this gain-of-function research to get ahead of these things and, g- and get a cure for them. So he's thinking, shit. Something may have come out of that lab in Wuhan. I mean, we know it all started in Wuhan, so that seems like too much of a coincidence. So there is that lab there. They were doing this research there, even if this wasn't intentional, even if this was an accident, which I think, still think is most likely that it was not intentional. But even if it was an accident, this is going to look really bad for Fauci and his department if they were funding that research out there in China and then this happened, even if it was an accident. So if you're Fauci... What looks better for you? What looks better for you and your reputation? If we believe it just jumped from bats to humans in a wet market, or if it came out of a lab where his department had previously funded such research? Obviously the, the former. Obviously it was to Fauci's own benefit, his own personal benefit, that we don't believe the lab leak theory because of his connection to it. I'm not saying it was his fault this happened. I'm not saying it was even research that his department funded that caused COVID to get out. I'm saying that because he, because he had some association, because his department had some association with this type of research, with that exact lab, he had a reason for us not to want to blame the lab because it could come back on him. So, sure enough, Fauci for the longest time was dismissing any possibility of the lab leak theory. So this, this really looks like it was self-serving. And we cannot have lead scientists who are supposed to be leading our response to COVID with self-serving agendas regarding their own reputation and lying to us about what they really believe. So this is, that's what, that's the most interesting thing to come out of these emails was, was this stuff. And, and so uh, this is being looked into right now. It's being investigated right now, whether, whether this will, reveal anything, I don't know, whether Fauci will get fired, I don't know. I know the people on the right, some are even asking for him to be criminally prosecuted over this. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But could he be fired or resign over this? He could. We're gonna have I mean, to isn't he almost 80 years old anyhow? He's got to be headed towards retirement at some point. No? Right, and I think that might be what ends up happening. Either nothing's going to happen, or he's going to retire and not cite this. He's just going to say, well, I'm 80, I'm done, You know, I'm going to hand this off to someone younger, So, and, and not name this. And then they'll kind of just let him right off of the sunset and not prosecute him. I, th- I think that's most likely, if anything happens, what will happen. But this really bothered me because he clearly panicked. He said, keep your phone on. It's essential we speak. I have a task for you that must be done. And read this right now, and it's about this gain-of-function research. He didn't just randomly decide that day to send that over to that guy to read about this research. It was, it was obviously a panic of how he's going to look. And I, so I've really lost what, whatever little respect I had for Fauci and his... Uh, leadership in this COVID situation is gone now, and I think he deserves to be fired. And th- this is, I think this should be investigated a lot more closely. And there are some redacted areas we can't read that I'd love to see, which I don't know if we'll ever get to see. But th- this is pretty disturbing. 
And uh, look, the, the truth is that a lot of things which were once believed about COVID that made the left look better have since been disproven. It seems like over time, the more that we learn about uh, COVID, the more we learn the, the truth about matters, the better the right looks in their response and the, the worse the left looks. I'm not talking about the right that was denying COVID was, was, was a big deal or refused to wear masks ever. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about uh, more responsible politicians like, like uh, DeSantis in Florida. So uh, like the last year, Andrew Cuomo was thought to be a, a hero for his handling of COVID. Now it's known that he killed a lot of old people in nursing homes with his policies. Uh, cloth masks were believed to be, were believed or, or at least presented to be the major solution to preventing COVID transmission. Now that's known that they're probably mostly useless, that they're not completely useless, but that if uh, they're not the major, they're not going to give you major protection from it. Uh, lockdowns, which were thought that were very important to prevent COVID spread, they didn't work. Any place that had strict lockdowns, uh, didn't have any better results. In some cases, they had worse results. Closing outdoor spaces like beaches and parks that was pushed hard by the left is now conceded to have been a mistake. Closing schools, which is strongly influenced by the teachers' union, many now concede was a mistake, including many Democrats. The lab leak theory was reasonable all along, even though it was shamed for anyone who was uh, saying it last year. Uh, Fauci looks like he followed political expediency and not the science, like he'd love to say. Uh, Trump suggested a vaccine would be ready during 2020, and people dismissed him as crazy. Turned out that happened. Uh, telling everyone to wear a mask after being vaccinated demotivated people from getting vac- vaccinated. That a lot of people said, hey, why should I bother? I'll just wear a ma-. You know, we have to wear a mask anyway, either way, so I'm not going to bother. That as soon as they lifted that requirement or that suggestion on, in mid-May of this year, a lot more people got vaccinated. So that was a big mistake in messaging that the left did. Uh, setting a vaccination order based upon racial equity instead of by age was a bad idea and then backed away from by most states after this was suggested by the left and at first was going to be implemented by many states. The uh, whistleblower... Rebecca Jones in Florida turned out to be a crazy person, a criminal and habitual liar. And DeSantis actually turned out to be someone who made mostly correct decisions and did a good job, even though he was bashed very relentlessly last year by the media. Uh, By the way, they're still hailing Rebecca Jones as a hero, even though uh, lots of information has come out about her past and her present that she's just a nutcase. Censorship of so-called COVID misinformation on social media like Twitter and Facebook ended up suppressing the truth. Last year, a Harvard professor with very good credentials was censored from Twitter trying to push the lab leak theory. Oops. And finally, overspending on COVID relief bills. What do you know? It causes inflation and thins the worker pool to where it's very hard to find workers, especially at lower-end jobs. Who would have guessed that? So... A lot of mistakes that were made by what was supposed to be the party that followed the science and that knew everything. As time passes, we see that the left was right, I should say correct, about a lot less than they believed they were. Okay, so I'm done with the COVID talk. That's the end of my rant. So, Brandon, let's hear from you about what's going on in Las Vegas, and then we'll talk about Sharif the Scammer. Okay, well, 
the first subject I'll talk about will bring dear to your heart because it's a hotel in Las Vegas. There's There was some news that came out uh, today, and it's a hotel that you're very familiar with and you've stayed at many times. So what do you think that hotel is? What hotel am I talking about? I think you're talking about Caesars. Close. It's a Caesars hotel, but it's not actually Caesars. Is it the Rio? It is the Rio. So there was some news yesterday uh, about the Rio and what the future plans hold for it. Did you read about this? I did not. But what's interesting you mentioned is that I was actually looking into booking some dates for the Fall World Series, which I think there's a good chance I'm going to be at, a very good chance I'm going to be at. Okay, well, good. Well, do you know the name of the New York City-based company that bought the Rio? Yeah, I think it's a, a Apollo no, it's called Dreamscape. So anyhow, they did an interview yesterday with the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal. And the first question they were asked is, are they going to totally change the name and the theme? Those were the first uh, two questions they were asked. So they're going to change the name and the theme. And they doubled down on the status quo, which means they're not going to, it's still going to be known as a real for years to come at least and they're not just not going to remove the brazilian amazon jungle theme but they're again quote unquote doubling down on it okay so basically uh it's a very long article but so just to recap for people dreamscape bought the rio from caesar's entertainment for 516 million dollars in september of 2019 uh, under terms of the sale agreement, Caesars is going to operate the Rio until December 2023 at the very latest, and they're going to pay monthly rent to Dreamscape. Uh, a number of companies or casinos, I should say, in Vegas have been doing this lately with these sales. Um, they're so they sell off a property and they still run the gaming part and they end up just paying rent for a fixed number of years. But but, uh, but the difference, there's a difference this? here. Let me, let me quickly interrupt. There's a difference here in that this was actually sold to mm-hmm. a complete outside company. A lot of times these sales of the land is to a uh, subsidiary of their own company. So they it's not as it's not a real sale. They're just kind of spinning off the real property assets to a subsidiary. Sure. Here, here it's a compl- sure. it really is selling the property completely to a complete different company that then leases it back to them, at least for a few years. Yeah. So Dreams, Dreamscape said in the interview that they plan to fully renovate the Brazilian-themed property with the rainforest in mind. Uh, the spokesperson for Dreamscape said the quote-unquote underloved Rio needs new life with quote-unquote everything from the moment you walk in until the moment you leave. Still, he added, there's enough meat on the bone for Rio to once again become the go-to place for both both locals and tourists alike. But wait a minute. I thought it's not supposed to be a casino. I thought there's no casino there anymore once they once they do that. At the Rio? I no, no, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a casino. Okay, well this is different it's than what I first heard. Is. I, I had heard that it was going to be a non casino property, it was gonna be a Hyatt. And it was going to be a non-casino okay, property half, with, with Hyatt branding. That, you're half right. The Hyatt part is going to be one of the towers in the hotel because the same company, Dreamscape, signed a business deal with Hyatt, uh, Hyatt branding. So one of the towers. What are the two towers called again? It's the Rio? Masquerade and the Ipanema. 
Okay, you got it. I knew the masquerade. I couldn't. So they didn't say which one will be what, but I'm going to get to that in the article. Um, so anyhow, the, the spokesman continued to go on. We can't go wrong by staying true to a jungle motif uh, because, in general, themed resorts are played out. It's a played out concept because they often resemble a comic strip rendering of the theme. And then he said, if you want to go to Disneyland, just go to Disneyland. But, I'm not, <laughs> it's, but like it sounds spokesman. like that, that they're insulting their own plans there because they, they are doing a, a themed mean, resort. I, I, well, they're making it a jungle. But yeah, I, I'm just reading the quotes here. So the resort sports book is going to get a facelift, but it will remain in the same location. Uh, this guy's name, uh, I'm not going to scroll back up, but his last name is Burnbaum. Birnbaum also said that a third party is going to run the sports book, but they have not decided which one. A second third party, it seems like what is DreamSafe even going to do? A second third party, Plano, Texas-based Ambridge Hospitality, will be the ones running and managing the hotel as it rebrands under the Hyatt Hotel Corporation umbrella. DreamScape announced a franchise agreement with the Hyatt in March of this year that will bring multiple Hyatt full-service offerings to Las Vegas. Guests will be able to earn and spend World of Hyatt loyalty points while staying at the property. Public space that is going to be renovated includes the Rio's gaming, retail, food, beverage, spa, fitness, and their pool offerings. All of that's going to be redeveloped. And one of the Rio's two hotel towers, it has not been decided which one, is going to be transformed into a 1,501-room Hyatt Regency Hotel with rooms starting at a minimum of 580 square feet. The remaining guest rooms will be branded or affiliated with one or more of the Hyatt's other brands after the renovation. Uh, Dreamscape says that the property needs a massive overhaul, but they do like what they have to work with. 117,300 square feet of casino space, 1,050 slot machines, 70 table games, and 2,520 hotel rooms and suites. This was according to Caesars' 2020 annual report. The Rio, I, I think I've read this or saw this once, but I don't know. The Rio also includes what's known as a Palazzo Suites, which is a private collection of luxurious suites that many accomplished celebrities such as Elton John and Prince have stayed at. Do you know about this? These Palazzo yes, suites? Yes, I do. Yeah, those are those little suites that are kind of freestanding for the okay. most part. They're, they're, so most, no, they're, they're not all freestanding, but a lot of them are. Do you know the guy's name who originally built the Rio? No, I, I did, but I forgot it. Okay, his name was Tony Marnell. Tony Marnell built and, operate, and opened the property in 1990. He continued to run the Rio independently before he sold it in 1999 to what was then Harris Entertainment which is now Caesars. Uh, again, the spokesman from Dreamscape, Birnbaum, says, we think the bones of this place are as good, if not better, than anything else in the entire Las Vegas. <laughs> Birnbaum acknowledged that it needs to be updated and brought into this century. To help him do that, Dreamscape has hired Marnell, the guy that built it and was a first owner to be the architect of record for Rio's renovations. Marnell and his architecture division at another company he owns, Marnell Companies, will be the ones that are developing the renovations. Uh, Marnell's companies, they can provide critical insight, blah, 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 blah. Okay, uh, so basically, 
the guy that, yeah, the guy that owned it originally and built it, it was his vision, is going to be the one that's going to put it back where he thinks is, is in 21st century, like modern terms. So the funny thing is then it goes on to say, like, and they're kind of bashing Caesars here. During a tour last Monday when Dreamscape executives were at the Rio with the Las Vegas Review-Journal, they walked past the colorful yet almost completely dormant casino floor. <laughs> I mean, that's a funny way to say it, almost completely dormant casino floor. While only a handful of guests casually pushed buttons on slot machines, audio speakers above their head blasted celebration by Cool in the Game. Okay. Uh, Birnbaum, the guy, the uh, spokesman said, this is on their mixtape from 1994. We're obviously going to be renovating the playlist, too. Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, Burnbaum had yet to stay at Rio. So apparently while they're, they're there in town, they're staying somewhere else. <laughs> funny. Uh, superstition is why he claims he hadn't stayed there. And the fact that gives him something to look forward to uh, in the future. Um, Anyhow, so the resort opened in 1990 as the Valley's first all-suite resort. And by the way, that's very misleading. Oh, I know. I, that I, I that always bothered it. me. No, I, I want to rant about this. Yes. So I was going to mention it, but now that you oh, say it. Okay. Do a rant. Sure. Okay. So in the mid-90s, I didn't have that much experience with going to Vegas myself yet. I got with my parents as a kid, but I didn't have that much experience yet with traveling there on my own or with a girlfriend or something. Anyway, uh, the girlfriend I had at the time wanted to go to Vegas, and she said – Let's go to the Rio. I've heard good things about it. This is probably was about five years old at this point. Uh, it's it's all sweets, and I said, okay, yeah, that that sounds like a good idea. I kind of said, it's really like all sweet, like really all sweets. Oh yeah, it's all sweets. And I said, well, I don't know. It's not by the strip. I kind of like being able to walk everywhere, and so I, I ended up saying no, and we we stayed somewhere else. But when I finally got to the Rio which was during the World Series of Poker. Prior to that, I never stayed there. I had gone to the casino before and seen the show in the sky and stuff like that, but I never stayed there until the World Series in the mid-2000s. And when I saw what the all-suites were, I was like, no, that is such BS. These are large hotel rooms. They're not suites. They're, they're, there's nothing even that resembles a suite. Because I, a suite is supposed to be like it's you have an enclosed bedroom, right? Well, With a okay. door and like a separate living area. Isn't that what a suite really is? Here's what's really bothersome about that claim. A suite, yes, should be one that has an enclosed bedroom where a door can close. However, I'm willing to have a little leeway, and sometimes they'll call this a junior suite, where there's a separate bedroom, but there's no door. But at least it's like a, kind of a separate well, Imagine area. I agree with that, but that is what's really called a junior suite. Right. It's not a suite. But, if but, it's one big room, it's, a, it's not a suite. Yeah, this, this is but the real ones okay. are not – yeah, they're not suites at all. They're just a regular big hotel room. That's all they are. They're not even slightly resembling suites. There's nothing about them that is suite-like other than they're bigger. So it's such a lie about the all-suites, and I still sometimes hear this about, okay, so what suite are you in? And I, I, I want to correct them and say I'm not in any suite. I'm just right. in a room, whatever. Yeah, that's funny. So the real also – this is a claim here, and again, I'm reading an article – was the first – hotel resort to put floor-to-ceiling glass in all rooms. Every single room in the property has floor-to-ceiling glass of claims there. Um, they were also the first resort to open a large-scale nightclub and enhance their pool with white sand. Um, in the late 90s, it was home to one of the first celebrity chefs, famous chefs, Jean-Louis Paladin. I don't know who that is. He had a restaurant either. called Napa, which opened in 1997. 
In the 90s, it was a pretty cool place, recalls gaming historian and UNLV ombudsman David Schwartz. I remember I liked it. The festival, the carnival show, people on the track going above the casino, and kind of cool like the carnival floats. It was something different, Schwartz says, who admittedly hasn't been there in 14 years. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Yeah. Any comment on any of that? Yes, I do. Um, when, I, when the World Series first moved there in 05, that happened to also be the big year I had at the World Series. And I remember I would walk through the Rio during dinner break, like toward the Masquerade Tower, and I'd see this show in the sky. And it, yeah, it was, it was uh, pretty festive. Like I remember seeing all this going on. It was actually kind of uh, festive and uplifting. I remember even like going to break during an event where I had just taken some beats right before the break, and I was pretty short-stacked, and I was kind of depressed. And I walked through, and the whole thing is like a whole, like party atmosphere, and everybody looks happy, and they're dancing, the show in the sky is going. It actually cheered me up a little bit. So I, I thought, oh, this, I, this is kind of a, a happy place in a way. I, I know it's all uh, just for show, but at least it's like it's got kind of a cool atmosphere. Yeah. But then they took all that out, and it became the opposite. It became so depressing because it was just like an empty shell. And that's what it's been for years. Yeah. Well, quote, here's a quote. It was a place to go in the early days, says gaming coach and consultant Debbie Newton or Nutton. Uh, what is a gaming coach? And, I mean, a consultant, I guess I could, I could kind of just be vague, but a gaming coach. I think that's that Christo- that Christopher Mitchell. Is a, yeah, Christopher Mitchell's a gaming coach. Uh, Nutton said they had the most beautiful cocktail waitresses in town and phenomenal restaurants. Nutton also said the resort lost its spark and vision when the property changed hands from a sole proprietor to corporate ownership. I probably haven't been there in 12 years, Nutton said. Uh, That's obviously when she says corporate ownership. She's been in since Caesars bought it. Uh, Okay, so it goes on to say that Rio was rumored to be for sale for years and it was excluded. This is funny. Get the laugh track ready. But Rio was rumored to be for sale for years and it was excluded from Caesars' announced $600 $600 million room renovation program since at the very least 2012. <laughs> meaning like, <laughs> meaning translation, like even going back as far as 2012, they had no intention to, to, to fix it, to make it nicer, nothing, nothing. No, it's so nothing. clear. There's actually holes in the wall there. Like you actually were walking through the hallway, you'll actually see holes in the wall from like where someone opened a door too aggressively and it banged against yeah. the wall. There's actually holes in the hallway, not in individual rooms. I'm talking about like in the hallway, there's like yeah. holes in the wall, there's broken elevator buttons. They don't even care. They're like, whatever, just leave it this way. Marnell, the former founder of the property, said, the Rio just needs a little TLC, and it hasn't gotten a dime's worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're right. Funny. It's, it's true. Caesar's representatives did not respond to the, re- to the review journal's email list of questions <laughs> regarding the property. Um, okay. Well, I can, t- I can tell you what's the way Caesars has regarded this for many years. The Caesar- Caesars realized that it's a has-been, that people don't really want to go there, that it's off the strip, that it's just, it just doesn't have much of a future as a destination property. So for the most part, they said, we're going to bring down the spending extremely low. In fact, I even had maintenance guys there tell me, they, like in confidence, tell me that they even cut down the maintenance staff and that the reason they're so slow is they're overworked. They're just cutting down the staff. They're cutting down everything. So they, they brought it down to a much lower operational cost. They didn't give a crap about how it looked or fixing things. And they kept it because of the convention space, which was useful, number one, for conventions that were too large for their other properties, and number two, for the World Series of Poker. And as soon as I saw that new big convention center 
was being built, I said, ah, that's the way they can sell the Rio. That's the replacement for the Rio. That's the modern replacement for the Rio. Once this is going to be ready, the Rio's out the door. And at the time, people was like, no, 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 that's not related. And people didn't believe me. It was obvious to me from the start as soon as they talked about that new convention center. So uh, the spokesman for Dreamscape also says that money that they make, uh, you know, eventually when the place becomes profitable, if it does, will be reinvested into things they like, that customers like about the property or new things to experience. That wasn't done at the Rio. That hasn't been done over there. The new ownership has a chance to change that, meaning to, you know, reinvest and just kind of, you know, every so often update it or add something. Um, so anyhow, uh, that's basically it. Uh, the this Dreamscape company uh, has several other hotels that they've bought in the last couple of years. Uh, the Warwick Hotel in Philadelphia. I don't know about it. Never heard of it. The Saint Hotel in New Orleans. Uh, that was actually this past April. And the Good Time Hotel in Miami. Those are the other properties that they own. And this will obviously be the uh, first casino property although as i said they're i don't really understand what what if they're gonna have someone else manage a casino they're gonna have william hill or, or you know someone else come in to do the sports book and they have a third party doing the hotel what do they really even do i mean it, it sounds like they just pay for stuff like yeah i mean you know what i mean i don't yeah. know it's kind of uh, a strange thing you have like yeah they really aren't going to be i mean i guess they're hands-on and just designing it but not going to be hands-on in uh in managing it too much um, but anyhow, the article concludes, in the meantime, the Rio's new owners want to be viewed as good stewards of the property and good citizens of Las Vegas. Uh, they want to do right by the Rio and let the finished product speak for itself. Uh, Birnbaum, again, the spokesman, closed out the article by, or the interview by saying, I hope the local, true Las Vegas residents who know the Rio and know the history of the Rio will be proud because I think we're doing it the right way. And that's that's the article. Well, I, I've got a few comments here. First of all, believe it or not, I sure. I, I do have some experience at that one one hotel that they had uh, managed. I didn't know it was the same ownership. This uh, Good Time Hotel. I actually not only have experience there, but uh, I was kind of hanging around bored by the front desk. And believe it or not, I actually recorded a call coming in just out of boredom uh, when someone called the front desk. I actually ha- brought it up on my phone here. Listen to this. I know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I knew that. Aren't you glad you let your fingers do the walking? Cause you got kids and dynamite doing the talking. <laughs> That's funny. I I should have known that. I was actually going to tell you more about the Good Time Hotel, but I, then I realized it was definitely going to be a ruse. Yeah, they actually built the Good Time Hotel from the ground up, uh, meaning it was a brand new brand new property that they constructed. But that's not. Uh, Jimmy Walker, for those that are too old to remember, good times with uh, John Amos. Uh, what was her name? The Esther, mom, Esther uh, Raleigh. Uh, what was her name? Esther Raleigh. Yeah, and then Jimmy Walker, obviously, and I don't know the two daughters or the daughter and the son. Uh, the younger son, I know Michael, and then Velma. I think was or Thelma was her name. Thelma, but I don't yeah. remember the kids' names. Huh. Michael was uh, Ralph Carter and uh, Thelma was uh, Bernadette Stannis. Okay, very good. And the best friend, uh, what was her name? The the next door neighbor? Oh, Wilona. She just died. Yeah, she just died a couple months ago. Oh, really? I didn't know. I think I did know that. Three or four months. Yeah. And obviously, this is really funny if you you don't know this, this was where what famous person 
who later just became a blockbuster singer and I guess actress, entertainer, got her start in mainstream. Uh, uh, Janet Jackson. Very good. Yeah. Well, I know you knew that, but a lot of people would know that. So, yeah, a young, I don't even know, 10, 12-year-old Janet Jackson came on in, I don't know, season three maybe, season four, just somewhere in the middle, uh, towards the end as the adopted, abused daughter of, did you say it was Bologna? Yeah, Bologna adopted her after the, the, the mom in the building was abusing the daughter and then, like, ran off mm. so she didn't get arrested. And this is really interesting. Do you, you, of course, remember, I used to watch this show. I liked it. Now looking back at it, like this was, you know, because it did tackle some really interesting issues. Um, but this is where it gets interesting. John Amos's character, the father, who I, I've, I've always been a great big John Amos fan. For those who don't know the name uh, from our generation, you know, he, he or later on, it was still years ago. He was the father in, uh, in uh, the Coming to America. He was also in the sequel that just was released a few months ago. As the owner of McDowell's Burgers, he most recently also played a priest, reverend in the HBO show Ballers. Anyhow, still alive, he's still acting. He left the show at the end of season two, and they wrote off his character as uh, getting killed in a car crash. Do you know why he really left the show? Yeah, yeah, I know a lot about the show. They actually, uh, he quit because he didn't like that they were focusing too much on J.J. acting like a clown rather than serious issues that they promised him that they were yes, focusing on. right. So more specifically, they did. He thought it portrayed African Americans as buffoons, and in a very, very poor light with all the silliness. And you know, they wouldn't acquiesce to making it a more, you know, substantial subject matter show. And he ended up quitting, even though back then, you know, it, I mean, that's kind of unheard of. You know what I mean? Just yeah, it, it was a steady paycheck. Yes. It's a star show, and he was that principle that that he thought it was, you know, poorly portraying the African Americans, and he quit. Right in the heyday of a, of a very popular African-American show. So anyhow, all right. Uh, I liked him. I think he's always been a great actor. So moving on. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you have – do we have more? What, else, what other comments on the Rio did you want to say? We well, okay, so about- my other comments on the Rio yeah. are that uh, I think this is all too late. I think had they done this, had they jumped and done this like very shortly after Caesar started to let it go downhill – I mean, they're all correct about how Caesars has let the whole thing fall apart and, and how it was once a more interesting place. 100% that's right. But the problem is, now that we're here, and all these people are like, oh, I haven't been here for 12 years, I haven't been here for 14 years. Well, there's a reason for that. Nobody's been there in 12 or 14 years if they weren't uh, poker players or going to a convention there. So the problem is, is, it has not been a destination place for anyone, local or tourists, in a very long time, and it's hard to just bring that back. It's like it's like buying MySpace.com and saying, I'm going to make MySpace cool again. Yeah, good luck. It's never going to happen. There's no way you can do it. So, right. so you can't just buy the Rio and say, I'm going to bring it back to what it was in the 90s, and, and we'll all be good again, because we already went through all that, and uh, Caesars let it fall apart, and now people are going to remember that, and it's going to be hard for them to get back into that mindset about it being a cool place to go. Also, it's... Uh, location that's off the strip i feel is even more detrimental now compared to back then when there were uh, i think fewer overall things to visit and go to in vegas so people were more willing to go a little off the strip to see a themed hotel like this so uh, while i i appreciate their enthusiasm to want to bring the thing back see i see what they're saying they're claiming that the rooms are big that 
they didn't say this, but there's a lot of convention space. The casino is a decent size. It's not huge, but it's a decent size. Oh, and I didn't, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. I, I didn't read it because it's such a long article. I can't believe they gave this much press to it. But there was a blurb about just what you mentioned about them hopefully uh, making it a nice, you know, you know, beautiful rooms, big rooms, and drawing back that convention crowd because they have so much space there and getting the business traveler and, you know, just filling up those those convention rooms. That's, that was a, that's that was really a, their only hope. A couple is, paragraphs is, about that. Right. So that's the only hope is that they can get conventions over there and then have it be a decent place where people aren't going to want to stay elsewhere well, or leave. But, I see their strategy. I mean, you know, they're, they're marketing with Hyatt. You know, they're, they're going to get, you know, you know what I mean? Like, that's their strategy. They're going to try to get the business traveler in there, you know, too. I just don't. People I don't are think loyal, that, loyal to the Hyatt brand, but then again, there's there's you know Hyatt's not popping up all over Las Vegas, so you're even going to have more choices if you're loyal to, to Hyatt. And not that so. Hyatt is not a huge brand. It's not, it's not like Hilton or IHG or one of the. It's it's really one of the smaller. Uh, it's it's still a major yeah, but brand, it still but still has a name. It still has a name. Though. I know, I but mean, you know it, what I'm saying here is I don't. They they're going to need a massive change in everybody's thinking about what the Rio is. And between those that just don't even realize that it's changed, or those that do but kind of just don't really feel like going there, they kind of feel like it's something they did in the past. They don't really feel like they want to go back there and relive this. I I just I don't know if this is money well spent here. I I do believe they're going to try, and I see what they're going for. As I said, the the they what the positives they see here is that if they fix all these cosmetic problems of which are many, but if they fix all these, the basic structure of the place looks good, which I would agree with if they were on the Strip. If they were on the Strip, I'd have a totally different opinion right now. I See, I agree with everything they said except, well, except for the location thing. problem. I, yeah. It's never, ever, like, when, when he wrote, made that outlandish comment that the Rio has the same amount, if not more, of any other property in Vegas, I mean, that's just a ridiculous statement to make. But I don't see why... That, you know, they, they can't turn this into at least a profitable or semi-profitable. It's not going to be a huge moneymaker, but, you know, I, I don't I don't see why they can't make it a profitable property. I mean, the fact that, I don't know, you know, how many days, but you'd look at, you know, the weekends and, and holidays and big events, you know, it should always be packed. Like, you know, it's going to be packed on New Year's Eve and, and, and SEO and, and, you know, just all the big conventions and what's the, uh, the electric carnival daisy people come like. You know, because the rooms are big enough, you know, the location isn't awful. You know, it's not it's not the worst. I mean, you, know, you still got the Gold Coast across the street, you got the Palms within walking distance. So it's not like it's isolated. And it's, you know, some people prefer that, you know, I mean, just to be away from the strip a little bit. Some people don't like to, you know what I mean, to to just be right and with the crowds. And so yeah, the point is, you know, I think it has a better shot of eventually succeeding if they make it nice than the Virgin does on Paradise Road. You know, I, th- I think it, it, you know, it, it would, but uh, I don't know. You know, it's, I mean, it's never going to, it's never going to have the luster of, of, you know, sparkling brand new, you know, resort or even just the, you know, like the Mirage, even somewhere that's been around since the eighties, but I don't see why it won't be. I mean, do you not think it will be profitable? Do you think it's going to well, be Well, it depends what they spent. See, bankruptcy? I, what, what, what Caesars decided with it was that it's not profitable unless they really bring the spending down to very low. That they the Caesars just decided that they are going to be better off stripping out things like the show in the sky and all the other features there and, and not maintaining it very well. They that they don't think it's profitable with any kind of uh, spending. So the only way to well, or, keep things or, going, you don't know that, or maybe or maybe their logic was that we just want to milk whatever we can out of it and then dump it. 
I, but, but they but, point but, in, 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 in renovating or reinvesting money because it, it wasn't a long-term hold for us. Well, but unless they thought they were going to build this convention center many years back, then I don't know how they could be thinking that because they knew they had a convention space problem, which is why they didn't let it go. And that's why people kept saying, oh, the Rio's going to sell like six years ago. I was hearing things like that. I said, no, it's not. It's going to yeah. sell only when there's a replacement for the convention space. And, well, there we go. We have the replacement of convention space, and it's sold. So I'm... Now, am I saying it's impossible that the Rio could be profitable? No, because if they keep the spending low enough, if they spend some money right off the bat to clean it up and not make it look like a, an old dump that's aged very poorly, if if they clean it up and uh, put some th- theme into it but not themes that are very expensive to maintain and just try a little harder and then hope that the conv- this will be enough to – keep people coming there for conventions and conventions wanting to come there. I, I think that sure. it has a possibility to be profitable. I think I just think their eyes are too big. I think they are remembering what happened in the 90s and they're thinking, oh, well, if only we could show the level of care they showed in the 90s, well, it'll go back to being successful like it was in the 90s. It doesn't work that way. So that's that's the... Yeah. It's, it's like me... Again, it's like the MySpace thing. It's like saying, well, I know... I'm going to buy MySpace, and I'm not going to make the same mistakes they did. And we're going to come back. We're going to beat Facebook. We're going to beat Twitter. We're going to beat Instagram. It's it's going to be MySpace all over again, everybody, in the 2020s. Like we, People would laugh at me if I said that. Yeah. So it, it's well, not- for instance, this, this past weekend, Memorial Day weekend, was almost completely sold out in Las Vegas. So they could have easily filled 2,500 and whatever rooms that they had. And imagine if they had nice restaurants and, you know – there's a pool with, you know, a, a day club and outside gaming and bar service. I mean, it, it, I don't know. You know, I'm just saying it's not, be, you know, you look at some of these hotels that are just as old and, and beat down like the Plaza downtown and some of the other ones. And you know what? They somehow still turn a profit year after year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But anyhow, uh, so moving from kind of the same direction, another subject, it's similar what do you think – okay, last month in, in Las Vegas, uh, or I should even say Clark County, it was the second highest month in the history of Clark County for the number of million-dollar or more homes that were sold in the month of May. How many homes – again, I know this isn't California. This is still Nevada. But how many homes, if you had to guess, that had price tags of at least a million were sold in the month of May? That's going to be a tough one because I don't even know how many homes so to- total, but I'm going to say... Okay, I know. Just take a guess. You're normally good with this. I don't know if I'll be good with this one. I'm going to say... Uh... Don't cheat now. No, I'm I just guessing. I'm, trying, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm kidding. I know. I, I know. I, I'm, I'm going to say 250 homes sold for at least... One million dollars. Okay, it was a good guess. You're, you're, you're off by 100, but you didn't go over. There were 154 sales in the month of May of at least a million dollars or more. No, I, I, um, I did go they over. Are, I said 250. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You did, but that's still that's not bad. I mean, Trader Rusi would have guessed like 800, or he would have guessed like seven. So, uh, for the year up until May, at least for the first five months, there were 687 of these properties, and they're on pace to crush the all-time record of 825. Um, in the by for a year, so out of uh, 154 sales, two of them were somewhat uh, newsworthy. 
The first one, I'll get to the most new, newsworthy one in a second, but the first one was the owner of the uh, South Point spent $10 million, I'm sorry, $8 million on a property in Summerlin. And who is the owner of the South Point? The South Point. Um... He's the founder of Coast Casinos. He's the son of a very legendary Las Vegas uh, gaming pioneer. Okay, the guy's name is Michael Gaughan. I was gonna, I was gonna say Gaughan. Father, I didn't, I didn't know Michael. I knew about the Gaughan part. I knew, yeah. about his, I knew it was Jackie Gaughan's son. Whose father is the legendary Jackie, Jackie, Jackie Gaughan. So he bought a uh, eight million dollar plus home in Summerlin uh, last month, and then also legendary rock and roll star Gene Simmons announced that he was leaving California for good, and he purchased a two story. 10,871 square foot, six bedroom home with a basement, which is very weird in Vegas. Not a, not a lot of houses in basement and, and with basements for 8.2 million um, in Henderson. Um, and he also bought the lot next door to him for 2.6 million, which is just like a vacant lot. So uh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, these houses are just going here, yeah. like, just like hotcakes in Las Vegas. A lot of most of them are just people from California coming here. Do you have any comment on this, the housing market, what's going on in Vegas? Any, yeah, I, I have a comment about regret. In the 2000s, I wanted to buy a home in Las Vegas, but I didn't because I saw the bubble coming. I saw the crash coming. I didn't know when. I didn't know if it was going to be 06, 07, 08, turned out to be 08, but that, I could not have predicted which year it was. I, I'm not going to say I predicted 08. I will say I predicted a crash, and I didn't know when it was going to be, but I was very concerned that whenever I bought, there was going to be a big crash. And indeed, there would have been. Now, had I been patient and held on for a long time, it would have recovered its value, but it would have been a brutal uh, collapse down, and then I would have had to slowly watch it go back up. So anyway, I didn't do that. Never bought anything in Vegas. And then so I was fine with that because I was getting all these free rooms at Caesars Properties while I was at Seven Stars. So I was, for the most part, covered with that or other comp rooms. And I thought, okay, well, it's just as well I didn't get a place. And I, in fact, gave up my uh, apartment there even after. See, I'd moved out, and then I still kept the apartment because I would use it when i come back to Vegas. But eventually, once I was getting these free seven-stars rooms, I gave up the apartment too. And that's the way it uh, stayed through now. However, I, I was considering getting something again in Vegas, but especially when the housing prices seemed pretty low, but I never did. And then I thought, okay, the pandemic may be an opportunity because there's going to be the, – that's really going to take a bat to the economy. And I can probably pick up something cheap and then presumably things will recover once there's a vaccine and people can go to Vegas again. People want to go to Vegas again. There will be a recovery with uh, the entire city and then things should go back up. And at the very least, I'll have made money on my investment and I'll also have a place to stay. So that was my plan. What I didn't expect was how quickly this, this would return. And number two, how much extra money everybody had to spend because of all these stimulus programs, which enabled this big real estate boom, which we're seeing right now. So as a result, there's tons of people buying homes everywhere. And the prices are shooting up again as if we're in the mid-2000s right now. So now, yep. good deals aren't 
there to be had at this point. And then there's questions again about a bubble. However, the bubble is not as certain this time as it was in the mid-2000s. To me, it seemed like it was just a matter of time. Here, it's not clear what's going to happen. Keep in mind that real estate rose steadily through the 70s and 80s without any kind of uh, crash and rose you know, a lot. It wasn't uh, rocketing up, but it was it was rising steadily at a high rate throughout the 70s and 80s. Had a bit of a dip in the early 90s because of the recession, but that didn't last that long and it started going back up again. And so so real estate was a tremendously good investment if you invested any, I mean, even before the 70s, even the 60s. So if you invested even before I was born in real estate in most places in the U.S. and just held it, not only would you have made a lot of money, but most of the time you would have been seeing it going up. So it's not even, uh, aside from that big crash in 08, and aside from the little crash in uh, the early 90s, most of the time you're just watching it move up and it wasn't even a matter of being patient or being willing to watch it go down in value. So I have to say that I'm not, sure if this is going to stay this could be like it was in previous decades we're just going to be going up 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 for a long time or there could be a a crash coming especially because we've got a kind of a weird situation right now with this covid recovery where a lot of the cash was infused by the government we may have inflation we may have uh, some pain following all of this that would crash it again especially once people don't have as much money to spend in places like vegas I'm talking about tourists that could, that could cause a problem with the industry. So it's it's a lot harder for me to go there now and pull the trigger on buying something, saying, oh, it's just going to go up. Yeah, it may be more expensive now than six months ago, but but I bet in six months it's going to be even more, and, and it'll just keep going up from there. So I'm fine. Like I'm kind of I'm kind of nervous that if I buy something that there will be a crash, similar to what happened in '08. So I, that's like I feel frustrated when I hear about the values going up because now I feel like it's too late to jump in because it, it could end at any time. I mean, yes, if, if the plan, especially something I, I plan to use for a while, like if the plan was just to flip something, I, the argument could be made buy something now and then in six months flip it when it's still probably going to be going up. But I, I don't want to buy something and flip it in six months. That's not That wouldn't be the plan. So, sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about that. Uh, Vegas, it could go up. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of ways things can go there. And this is kind of a weird time because of the artificial depression we had from COVID and now the artificial recovery. This isn't like a normal economic cycle. Well, here's an interesting thing that uh, you're definitely going to talk about. So last last week, the Nevada Gaming Commission took an unprecedented step to curb problem gambling. And what they did is they voted – to start a self-exclusion list for online gaming in Nevada. Okay, so before you say, well, Nevada doesn't really have much online gaming. I mean, true, we don't have what is available in New Jersey, meaning like online blackjack, slots, roulette, et cetera. But we do have two types of online gaming in the state of Nevada, which are, of course, poker and sports betting, with sports betting definitely uh, outperforming online poker. Uh, you know, besides your your William Hill, uh, you know Caesars has an app. Uh, Win- the Win has an app. South Point has an app. Station Casinos has an app. The Circle. I mean, every there's probably ten of them. Fifteen. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. 
Although I'd say William Hill probably has the biggest one in terms of volume, but still there's a lot. So anyhow, they voted, the Nevada Gaming Commission voted last week to start an online gaming self-exclusion list. And what that means is if you write either at a casino or I guess you can do it online, there's multiple ways to do it, that you want to be excluded from online gaming for a set amount of time that, you know, it's kind of like the old days with poker stars where you would self-exclude. You can't gamble. If you win, you won't get paid. Uh, you know, there's there's safeguards. I mean, you couldn't even register. You know, they have a database. So if you want, say you self-excluded from online gaming and you went and tried to create an account at, at win, you wouldn't be able to. Say you self-excluded and tried to log into your William Hill account, you wouldn't be able to even log in. So, but the thing that's interesting here, and this is the part I want you to comment on, is that it's going to be totally run independently from the self-exclusion program that is now, that's been going on for 40 years for land-based casinos. One has nothing to do with the other. So you can self-exclude yourself from, you know, online gaming, yet you can still walk into every casino and you can do it live. You can play poker live, but just not online. You can bet sports literally at the same casino that you would be betting on your phone, but you can't do it over your phone. You have to do it in person and vice versa, where you could self-exclude yourself from ever walking into a casino for, let's just say a year. So if you, if Todd right now, you, you're so frustrated, you have a, come to the Vegas and you just run terrible and you just had it, you can self-exclude yourself from, and you, nothing you can do to change it. I mean, you could call, you could beg, you can cry. Once you're self-excluded, you have no choice but to wait for that time to lapse. But, Okay, you self-exclude yourself from land-based casinos. You could still stay in a hotel, just not play in the casino, yet you could access everything that you could remotely, such as, again, the poker and, and, and the online sports. So what do you think? This is interesting because they've had, you know, the online sports now for well over 10 years. I got an account with Canner maybe in 2010, maybe even eight. So, yeah, thir you know, it's 13 years, but they've never had – any sort of online self-exclusion program. And they just voted it. They haven't figured out uh, exactly the details of how it's going to work. Um, I mean, in terms of just, you know, the small things like, you know, can you decide how long you're going to self-exclude or is it it's going to be at a predetermined amount? I mean, like, could you say three months, six months, or does it have to be a minimum of a year, five years, you know, things of that nature. And then of course they have to synchronize everything with the various casinos. So, you know, they will have players that can gamble, land-based but can't mobily and vice versa just so everything is synchronized what do you think about this kind of strange yeah i think it's very strange i don't understand why they're doing it this way i think you should either be completely excluded or completely not it never made any sense uh like never it doesn't make any sense what you're saying why they would do it this way well i'm, I'm, well, I'm reading it I okay question whether i make sense but, no i'm not saying you don't i'm yeah. saying it doesn't and this is called, by the way, uh, it's going to be an addendum to Regulation 5A. I guess 5A is the Nevada Gaming Commission, uh, just the normal land-based self-exclusion. So this is going to be added to Regulation 5A. And it's going to be uh, for Internet-based gaming in the state of Nevada uh, that will be uh, overseen. It's going to be the self-exclusion list that will be overseen by the Nevada Gaming Control Board. Um, it's the first time ever Nevada, as I mentioned, has offered uh, this list. Um and obviously will also exclude you from all marketing, uh, you know, emails, mailers, uh, you know, promotions, anything of that nature uh, as well. I don't think this is going to so. affect poker very much. I think that uh, it's going to be the sports 
that it might affect more people who are shooting off in sports and then regret it, get on a list like that so they can't do any kind of uh, mobile sports betting. But since you can just walk into a casino and do it, or you can even get your wife to sign up for an account or your mother or something. The problem is that this is this not even have that much as far as teeth are concerned because they're, they're presumably not going to be looking to catch you. It's not like when you uh, play on poker stars uh, under a relative's account in a tournament uh, after you bust out from your own account and they catch it. This is a matter of yourself excluding. I don't think there's going to be a lot of investigation if you suddenly show up on the same IP uh, betting on yeah. a relative's account and it's all you're really doing is hurting yourself. So I, I have to guess that this is not going to be effective and that if we do see it, it's going to be people who are sports bettors, not so much poker, especially because the poker is such a big fail. I don't think there really are that many fish that are playing on there that are losing tons but I of guess money. What I, I, right, but I guess what I'm saying is and it's, it's more for the, it's more for the uh, sports betting and, and assume, assuming at some point if they decide when there's regular online gaming, table games, things of that nature. But do you think that there is any kind of issue with the kind of person that literally lives in Nevada or frequents Nevada a lot that when they're outside a casino, like, you know, with their phone in their hand, they have no self-control over betting on sports, but yet when they're in a physical sports book, they can exhibit that same no, control. No, I don't. And, that's and that's people, why it's dumb. And for people that are, and for people that are listening, um, you know, there's no there's no credit line. It's not like you know with bookies. So you know, in essence, whether you're in a land based casino or you're on your phone, you're you're still betting your own money. So it doesn't you know it doesn't change where the money's coming from. But so in essence, that's what I'm thinking. Like, how is it any different for me just to type in a thousand, two thousand dollars on a bet, you know, which is my own money, as different as walking up to a sports book and just handing the ticket writer the same amount. Of, it's just strange. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't. No, it's not. So, it's dumb. It, it, it looks almost like symbolic. Like, the, oh, look, we're we're well, it's doing. Funny. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny you said that because Alan Feldman, who is a distinguished fellow at UNLV's Gaming Institute, what does a distinguished fellow even mean? Even mean when it relates to college or a professor? A distinguished fellow? What does that? What did he do to get that title? Uh, he probably did some kind of research, and uh, and he had a tenure there, and. Uh, he got various okay. accolades, so well, the, the, the school well, gave him this, that title. Well, this Alan Feldman, who's a distinguished fellow at UNLV's uh, Gaming Institute, and he's also a national leading authority on responsible gaming, said that there is no evidence that self-exclusion pre- prevents growth in problem gambling. Uh, but even with that said, he's glad Nevada regulators have taken a step towards establishing preventive measures. Uh, he said it's because the act of signing up for it is a very validating and affirming action. Okay, this is just boring. Uh, does it actually do anything for the problem gambler? Do they have a better outcome? Not really, but I wouldn't throw it all away because of that. Uh, Feldman said he's seen other self-exclusion programs in other states, and he doesn't believe any of them work. Um, he also believes Nevada's licensees won't have any problem adapting to the control board system because many of them have been required to already basically do the same thing with the self-exclusion programs with land-based casinos. So, anyhow, that's... Uh, it would be interesting to see, to see follow-ups on people who have self-excluded. I'm talking about anywhere, not just online. And checking on them in five years and seeing if they got over their gambling problem. If they quit gambling or if they went back to responsible gambling or if it just delayed the inevitable. 
Because if if you the cases I've known of, I'm talking about just anecdotally, just people I've known who have done it, who have self-excluded, have always come back to do it. In fact, some will dodge the yeah. self-exclusion and sneak in. But even the ones that don't or are prevented, they can't wait for the time to tick down so they can go back and do it again. So so it, yeah. it's not doing a lot of good if they're just waiting for the moment the, t- the clock uh, ends and they can rush over and chunk off their money again. So that's yeah. probably what he means by that it isn't helping people. And there are ways to just get around it if you really want to, like you mentioned, with family members and other things. And, you know, that's the other thing. Say I self-exclude myself from whatever, you know, name a casino. I walk up to the Mirage, you know, and don't show a player's card, walk into the sports book, and I hand them $100 and say, let me bet on this, or $1,000 and let me bet on this. They don't ask for ID. They'll ask you for your player's card so you can get $2 or $3 for, for you know, making your bet, but you, you can always politely decline or even unpolitely decline. So I don't even know how that how any of that is ever enforced. Well, that's the like, problem. I mean, is I a just, lot of people who get who self-exclude, they just go back into the casino, and uh, sometimes they eventually are found because uh, security's told to look for them, and they'll, they'll occasionally be found, or sometimes they'll be dumb enough to put a player's right, card in or a, something. It's not, a fail-safe, it's not a fail-safe system. No, it's not at all. So we'll actually go, funny enough, from one realm to the exact opposite. We're going to go from problem gambling to someone that just won a bunch of money. Uh, although today is June 5th, so we're barely five days into the new month. So far, the biggest winner in Las Vegas is a unidentified player that hit a mega progressive jackpot uh, on two days uh, on the second. So that would be Wednesday. He hit a progressive jackpot playing three card poker for 1.3 million at Harris. And for those of you that are listening that wonder, I don't, I played three card poker like years and years ago, like 15 years ago, right? When I first moved here, uh, it was kind of slow and boring. And if I recall correctly, you know, it's one of those games where unless you, you really hit some sort of big hand, you know, most of your sessions are going to be losing. Like, you know, it's kind of like one of those games where if you hit something, it's going to be big or maybe slightly big, but most sessions will just, it will grind your money. Uh, but I don't remember it. I don't remember the rules. I mean, I remember the rules, but I don't remember the payouts. It's been a long time. Anyhow, $5 uh, bonus bet. And he hit or she for 1.3 million uh, Tuesday afternoon. Again, this was at Harris. Uh, Caesars Entertainment said the guest who, obviously chose not to be identified is a caesar's reward member i mean really that does that even need to be put in the article but all right they had a player's card lovely uh the winning hand came on i love how these articles these you know journalists that don't really understand gambling right the winning hand came on a royal flush which was of hearts it's just kind of like a funny way to say it. so they made a royal flush they got to 1.3 million and caesar's was nice enough to bring both the guest and their family, a bottle of champagne while the jackpot was being processed. Uh, Harris Entertainment General Manager Dan Walsh said, Harris Las Vegas gaming floor was alive and full of luck Tuesday afternoon. It was an exciting day for a whole city, our winning guest, and the whole team at uh, Harris property. Uh, anyhow, it's just kind of cool. You know, just... The uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, for those of you that kind of like to hear this kind of stuff, gaming news or anything Vegas, uh, they have an app. 
that you can download on either iTunes or the Google, I guess, Android store. And it's just the Las Vegas Review Journal. And what's interesting is they often frequently put in both slot jackpots and table game jackpots. Uh, you know, just an article, a little blurb, sometimes photos. The person wants to take a picture, they'll be there. But you can just kind of see. It's kind of cool. Like, you just see, oh, somebody won $2 million on this or that. You know, just anyhow. Uh, I knew this one was coming. There is a female, not that it matters, but I'm just going to point that out because that's part of this. Uh, there's a female sports handicapper named Kelly Stewart. And I'm not going to lie to y'all. Uh, I had not heard of her up until about two weeks ago. Did not know the name. Uh, but anyhow, she's, you know, by all accounts, seems to be a very knowledgeable uh, female handicapper. And she was hired last month by ESPN. And this is what kind of put her in the news. Uh, she was hired to be on variety of ESPN shows, SportsCenter. Uh, let's see, what are the other ones? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't really even matter. A couple of shows. And also, there's a studio that I didn't even know this until I read the article. Uh, there's a studio that was just recently built in the Link Hotel, which is the former Quad and former Imperial Palace on the Strip. And they were going to have, or maybe they already have started, a sports betting show live from the link and she was going to be one of the hosts of that uh she also was a longtime contributor to the las vegas review journal which is the newspaper i'm reading this article from anyhow she was hired a month ago by espn and right when she was hired and this is me just telling you not reading the article uh there was a lot of viral and a lot of talk on the internet because several people had found tweets that she had put out maybe about nine or ten years ago that were very 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 inflammatory of homosexuals and i remember reading it and i'm like you know this is going to be interesting and i remember my first thought is there's no way she can survive this she's like a white you know pretty you know privileged girl i assume and but i'm like they were pretty bad now i don't remember the tweets uh i i did read them because they they are on the internet you can find them now if you really want to i'm not going to take the time to Search for them now. But if you care enough, again, her name is Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. Last name is Stewart. Uh, she's a Las Vegas-based sports handicapper. So you can go ahead and, and read it. So anyhow, ESPN announced today, and I'm surprised it took this long, that they were terminating her. Um, and the only thing I can say uh, in, in regards to the tweets about Googling it was, uh, this is a Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, screenshots of Stewart's tweets show her using multiple anti-gay slurs and re applies to people that were criticizing her on Twitter, um, which kind of doesn't make sense. If people are insulting you, how do you know they're gay anyhow? Not that it makes it right, but... Uh, so anyhow, Stewart released a statement after being fired today saying that uh, there were vile, threatening uh, attacks made towards her from men who were threatening to do harm to her, do harm to a woman daring to attempt to make a living in the overwhelming male sports gambling industry. I responded to these threats of violence and their sexist insults with the most powerful language I could think to use. A decade later, I wish I hadn't made the decision to respond with the virtual of my own, but I cannot change my past. Furthermore, as I mentioned before, uh, she had been set to serve on a, as an analyst on a show called Daily Wager, which is going to be a one-hour weekday, uh, one, one hour a day, it's a weekday show, 
that I didn't even know about this. This is really cool. It's going to be on ESPN, and it airs from an ESPN, ESPN studio that was recently created in the Link Hotel. Uh, she was also set to appear, as I mentioned, on SportsCenter and on other ESPN programs and sports betting platforms. So I, I was listening so, to what you were saying. Uh, the only thing I missed is, is she going to appear on that at all, or is she completely gone? No, she's completely gone. And she also said, I can't. I'm sorry that I used unacceptable words, but I can't apologize for standing up to the vicious attacks. But the thing that's interesting is she doesn't know the people that are attacking her are gay. So that's not even a real justification. I mean, even if they were, it's still not. But no, I can totally anyhow, picture what happened. I, I, I can already see it. I yeah, don't know if again, she was. She's totally. She's gone. She's fired from everything. Yeah. Uh, and I, well, I knew it's funny. I knew this was happening. Like literally the day they announced it, this was all over the Internet. And then like there was a lull. And, like no one talked about it. ESPN didn't say nothing. So I assume they were just waiting. I, I guess maybe to talk with her to, for things to calm down, but uh, yeah, they fired her today. So well, go on, Jeff. No, I can picture what happened here. Now, I don't know who initially attacked who, but I have to imagine she was arguing back and forth with some guys, maybe some ones who were questioning whether she was a competent handicapper or guys who were trying to say that she just got the job or she just gets notoriety because she's a pretty girl. Or and she's she has, sleeping with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, yeah, there were, probably, so, there were vicious comments. So there were probably Absolutely. some critical tweets like that. And then she probably responded back like, uh, shut up, faggot, or things like that. There was a, so I don't think she really believed they were gay. I think she used that slur just as a derogatory uh, way to respond to these guys. And, uh, and, and, well, again, this was nine years ago. And then, right, this was, was nine there, years ago yeah. when it was less of a, there's less of a stigma from doing so. And, and now it came back and, and got her. So, yeah, uh, once you see that, I agree with you that it looks like they're not going to survive it. Personally, I don't think that that should have been a reason to make her lose the job, especially if it, it would be different if they found evidence that she went on like long anti-gay rants on Twitter. Uh, but if it was just like using that as a way to insult just randoms who were uh, arguing with her on Twitter, maybe even ones that were starting up with her. I I've, Obviously, it's not good that this comes along with her as a... Uh, new personality on one of these shows and I, I in this day and age i see why they had to fire her but okay to me it's it, i, I don't up. think it's good yeah, to dig back right. in people's path uh, past like this i pulled i pulled some of them up uh and you know what this is a thing though i'm looking at a tweet now that has nothing to do with anyone attacking her this is from january 14th 2012 and she wrote did Vernon Davis go to KU, meaning Kansas University, I imagine, because he's crying right now like a complete fag. Okay, oh. and that's and that's gonna kill you. Yeah. Like that's not, you know what I mean? There's no no one attacked. She's talk. She's comment. She's making commentary. Okay, so I see. Uh, but yeah, again, in, in okay. 2012, okay, this is more acceptable though. Read a couple. Yeah, let me read a couple more. So this is at somebody who I guess did attack her. She responds at Lucky Len one one. Hey, homo, I get it if you're a gay hawk, but it says you're from Chicago, so shut the fuck up. Okay, here's another one. At Ramdog, today my timeline is full of fags trying to say I'm fake. It's too funny. Keep talking with your 17 followers. And then to another person, I dish out fag, or I dish, I dish out facts, fag, not just shit talking. Uh, and then another one, shaking my head, you don't ask these fags uh, a question, another fag I have to block, but yeah. So it's it's. I see some here that are just like the one with Vernon Davis. You can't really justify that because no one. You know, she's just commentary. You know, she's just 
talking about something a player that was upset in a game and she's calling him a fag but by the way i have a feeling uh, i know why people were suspecting she was fake and this probably wasn't even her fault in 2012 same year that she was writing this stuff presumably in may early may 2012 there was a scandal involving a female sports picker named sarah phillips who was sort of fake she was a real person but the picks were being made by her male friend she had this uh, Indian-American male friend named uh, Nilesh Prasad. And not only was he making the picks for her, but it got much worse because uh, he was having a lot of private conversations with people. There was, there was alleged scamming involved. There were lots of threats. Um, her account, I don't think it was really her. I think it was Nilesh on her account, used to chat with people and, and threatened to constantly sue them and take everything and there were, as I said, scamming allegations, all, all kinds of bad stuff. And people are like, what the hell? Like, why is this Sarah Phillips acting this way? And then the whole thing fell apart. And she had a column on ESPN. She actually, and it was amazing how ESPN gave her the job because ESPN just handed this to her without ever interviewing her just because she was known on right. sports betting forums for, for seemingly knowing what she was doing and being a pretty girl. And she was young, too. She was like a, a early 20s or mid-20s uh, pretty girl. And they didn't vet anything. And it turned out to be a dude behind the whole thing. And he used well, her for uh, uh, like a, a quick little videos just to show she exists. But she wasn't doing any right. of this. So right, right around the same time, when this Kelly whatever appeared, they probably people thought Kelly of Sarah Stewart. Phillips. Do you know who the parent company of ESPN is? Yeah, it's Disney. Right. So there, I mean, they've had a history uh, for a long time and they've really stepped it up since Trump came in the office of not wanting anything controversial, not wanting politics, none of that. They fired several people or suspended them, uh, announcers, broadcasters, whether it was on the air, or off there, making comments about Trump and other political statements, which, listen, I'm going to be honest, I agree. Like, I agree with it. Like when I watch ESPN, I want to hear sports. Now, if it's a story they're reporting on, that's fine. But I don't care what the damn ESPN announcer's views on Trump was or views on this, you know, George Floyd. Like, I want, do you know what I'm saying? I'm not watching to have them make themselves a story. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I actually hadn't seen that they were follow, firing people for that. I've seen that ESPN. Oh, Google and it. There, there, is, there is an African-American woman that made a very, you know, it her, it's her opinion. I get that. I, I'll Google it. I'll tell you her name. But she made a very strong uh, statement, a derogatory statement about Trump on the air, and she was suspended, I think, for two weeks. Oh, I think um, I remember something because, about that. Yeah, but for the most part, but the ESPN... Is, but the point is, and I get that, but, like, there's enough... And, you know, and I'm not trying to silence people, but for me, at least, my personal opinion, there's enough of this every day online, you know, on talk shows and the paper, that when I'm watching something that I watch for what I think is entertainment, I shouldn't be subjected to it. And, then, and, and ESPN, you know... Again, Disney, they agree. Like they want to eliminate all. They want to keep sports, sports. And, you know, you have your, your, you have, there's plenty of forums, you know, for opinions like that and to debate, you know, politics, you know, presidents, just social justice issues. But, you know, there should be a safe place where I could just go and, and, you know, watch my sports and have the rest of it left out. I mean, am I wrong? No, I fully agree with that. Just what, from what I've seen, ESPN is actually, gone pretty far left because Disney pretty much has done that recently. Uh, maybe they did fire someone for really doing an over-the-top uh, Trump bashing. I see. I remember something about that story a little bit, but 
Um, but I agree with you, though. I really do not want to see any politics in sports in any way. I, I don't want to see politics I agree with or disagree with. I just don't want to see them in, in sports coverage or from athletes. I just, I really just want to see. Her name is uh, Jamil Jamil Hill. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember when she got fired. Yeah. She called. She called Donald Trump a white supremacist on ESPN. Okay. And it it just. You know I mean, I don't care if it was a white person, a male, female, like that's just, that's unacceptable to me. No, I don't want to see any of that. No, that I, I've said before, I don't said the same thing about Biden. It's just unacceptable. No, I, that's why I've said, I don't want to see any political commentary uh, anywhere in sports. It just shouldn't be there. And she was suspended for two weeks. And that was her second violation, by the way, of their social media policy. So they says the first time, I guess she wasn't even suspended. Then, I, I, just to show you how crazy the world is, and this is years ago, but uh, Al Sharpton held a rally outside of ESPN protesting her being suspended. Like, <laughs> unbelievable. So, all right, anyhow, uh, she's gone. And, you know, I listen, I'm all for somebody that makes mistakes getting a second opportunity, especially something that happened nine years ago. But today, in the world that we have now, if ESPN didn't do that, you know, the, the protests just – it wouldn't it wouldn't go away it just you can't you just can't do it i mean you know that's a real problem like i'm glad i'm the age that i am now and you know i started using social media when when i was when i was a mature adult because i kind of feel like 20 years from now 10 years from now every president can you imagine over the next half century all the big time leaders of our country what people are going to find in their past that they said or did when they were young oh i know it's, media. It's, it's it's ridiculous it's, so, so no, i mean whether it's, you know, whether it's nude photos or just derogatory language i mean they're bringing up stuff that that kids you know that are drafted in various sports things they said when they were 15 16 years old and it's coming back to haunt them now so it's it's you know you're gonna, we're gonna have a president one day that said shocking things or posted shocking pictures or did something on social media that was reprehensible. Like it's, it's just a part of the sign of the times that we live in. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's if like, I, I've even thought about uh, my own history and uh, uh, poker fraud alert and other sites have been involved with. Like if I ever tried to run for office, the, people would try to bring up uh, all kinds of stupid stuff. No, that's, you that's, couldn't. You're done. You yeah. couldn't do it. Anyhow. No, I, I couldn't. So just, I'm saying like, there's, you know the good news is we don't have any aspirations for that. We're too old anyhow, so it's, it doesn't matter. But no, I'm just being honest. You couldn't do that. No, I know. Of it's, you. It's... I'm not trying to be mean. It's just we couldn't. I couldn't. You know, anyone. Um, okay, so let me move along because we are we are going to try to do this Sharif thing uh, momentarily. Uh, and then I have to, I have to read everybody the, uh, the, the form we sent to him. I posted yes. it, but I'm going to read it okay. for everybody to hear. Okay, so let me just do two other quick things and then we'll, we'll get to that. Last week on Friday, about how long either of us had ever waited in tr- or been in traffic doing the drive either to Vegas or from uh, for, to Vegas from California or vice versa. And the reason why I brought that up last week was because it was a holiday weekend and there was tremendous traffic that very Friday coming in uh, for Memorial Day. As I anticipated, the Monday morning and afternoon of people leaving Memorial Day weekend, so that was May 31st, uh, was just horrific. It was one of the worst traffic experiences that this city has ever seen. Uh, I'm sure many people have been involved. By 7 a.m., and they had the helicopters out uh, just to record this, and it was all over the news and made national news in some cases. By 7 a.m. Monday, just think about that. You know, People check out Monday, but 7 a.m., 
there was already a traffic jam, blank amount of miles on I-15 getting out of Vegas. I'm going to guess 12. 13 miles. Very, oh, wow, very, very, very good. By 2 p.m., there was, and when I say traffic, I mean like stand still, like every couple minutes, you know, move up a couple hundred feet. By noon time on Monday, how many miles was the standstill traffic getting out of Vegas? I'm going to guess uh, 28. It's 43 miles extending into California. Oh, just nuts. okay, okay. So not just at the state line. You're saying uh, the, the the full traffic jam. Yes, yes. They okay. showed pictures, and you just saw miles and miles and miles of cars just sitting there. So, of course, what did people start trying to do? Yeah, I saw they were trying to they get on the shoulder. They're trying to drive on the oh, side okay. of the road. They, they were driving on the shoulder to get. So Nevada Highway Patrol reported a record, a record amount of tickets given to people that were trying to evade traffic by driving on the shoulder. How many tickets were given uh, as of 5 p.m. Monday Last Monday, to people that were trying to drive on the shoulder to evade traffic. I'm going to guess 72. 72 tickets? Yes. Eight, 1,840. Wait, how could, they, how could they have that many officers Eight, to give it? I mean, it, it, well, that was over a 12-hour period. I don't know if they had traps, but almost 2,000 tickets were given. During, okay, during they the, must have set this up process. in advance. They had to have set this up in advance because there's no way they would have that many officers to do it unless they knew it was going to happen because of the uh, well, the holiday weekend. And they and they set up I'm a lot sure of officers out had, there. I'm sure they had cops everywhere just to make sure things didn't get violent or I don't. So anyhow, absolutely nuts. Like I, I you know, I don't, I have patience, but I don't have patience for like idle stuff. Like if I go somewhere to a restaurant and I know or whatever maybe and I know I have to wait an hour and a half for you know standing in line I just I'll leave I no I won't either yeah you I know, won't do either and you know if I get in a car and I know that I'm literally and I don't mind if it's slow like at least you feel like you're making progress but when you're talking bumper to bumper for hours and hours like I just I wouldn't go like, well just, as I've, I've explained that last week that what I will do is I'll take detours and and I'd rather drive the additional time for the same amount of time as long as I'm moving I just will not uh, yeah. sit in that type of traffic. And I've, I've tweeted this out this week, and I, I, I'll say it again here on this radio show. Do not ever leave Vegas to drive south on I-15 on Sunday or especially on a holiday Monday. Just don't do it. You sh- if you're going to do it, it's got to be before 7 a.m. And in this case, I guess even earlier than 7 a.m. or after 9 p.m. Otherwise, don't Can do you it. you imagine traffic completely backed up from – you know, you get on the, the, the 15 at, at Flamingo, and it's completely backed up to California. Like, that's insane. You know, for those that don't know, California isn't, like, right down the road. It's, you know, 40-something miles. It's 40 miles, yeah. 15. It's okay, 40 miles. 40, it's, it's 40 miles. It's 40 miles south on I-15. So that's, I mean, anyhow. So they had helicopters all day, you know, and every news channel opened with it. And I'm looking at this, and it just looked like the most miserable situation one could ever imagine to find themselves in. Like, just that long, and imagine if you have kids, and I mean, I, I just, it's insane. You know, it's just, it's, and there's really no way around it. I mean, well, no, the there is, surprise- there, there is, and I've explained it before, but most people don't know. Most people just, the thing is, and I, I don't want to be insulting to the general public here, but with this type of thing, most people are sheep, and it's, I, I'm not trying to put everybody down here. I'm trying to say that the human nature is to... When you find yourself in a situation like this, just to say, this sucks, get frustrated, and just deal, instead of trying to find ways around it. And then sometimes those who find ways around it find stupid ways around it, like the ones who drive on the shoulder. 
but I'm talking about where there. Let's say I had to leave on Monday. What would I have done? I would have. You'd have. You'd have to wait till nighttime or leave at two or three. No, no. Let's say I couldn't. Let's say I, I absolutely had to leave sometime between uh, yeah, the morning and and uh, seven p.m. So there's no way around this. What I would have done is I would have gone down the ninety-five. And then I would have uh, not even have connected all the way there at uh, Searchlight, which is usually what you do if this is happening on Sunday. I would have actually continued through Laughlin, and I would have gone uh, on the 40. And it would have been a lot of extra miles, and maybe the 40 probably wasn't blazing fast, but I'm sure the 40 was far better than this because there's much less out there. And uh, so I would have actually gone the 95 miles to Laughlin and then gone on the 40, which is about another uh, 300, so I would have added about 100 miles to the drive, but it would have been worth it, and I would not have sat well, in I'm that. Sure a lot of I'm sure a lot of people aren't educated enough to know that there are other alternative ways to get out of Vegas. Well, okay, I so, know a lot of people think that 15 is the only way in and out. You know, no, Almost everybody thinks that, but, that, but that's not what I'm talking. I'm not just saying someone who's experienced it with, like me. Uh, whenever I find myself in this situation, the first thing I do is pull out my phone and say, where can I go to avoid this? And uh, I did this back to the 80s and early 90s when there was no thing of looking up on your phone or seeing traffic on your phone where I would pull out my Thomas Guide. That's how I got through the L.A. riots. I was driving in L.A. during the 92 L.A. riots and where people were sitting in traffic for six hours to move 10 miles. And I found a way all the way through L.A. to the southern part of the county within an hour and a half because I was doing it through all these little side streets and I did this with a Thomas guide in my lap. But the thing is, for whatever reason, a lot of people don't have this in them. It just doesn't occur to them to do. They just think, I'm just going to stick with familiar. I'm going to stick with this sucks. I shouldn't have done it. I should have not done this uh, going back on Monday. I'm not going to make this mistake again. Actually, some of them will, but uh, this is unfortunate. I'm pissed off, but oh, well, what, what can I do? And then, and yeah. then, and then, believe it or not, you have more people who do the dumb thing like driving on the shoulder than actually breaking out their phone saying, "What is a legal way around this? Not, not what's a dumb illegal way that's going to get me a big ticket?" So, and then yeah. put me back in the same spot. So, uh, that's yeah. that's what I see from these things, and uh, it, a surprisingly small percentage of people actually stop to think about how do I get myself out of this and then do it. Like you, you'd expect far more do than actually do. So uh, this doesn't yeah. surprise me, but I, it, if I can tell you guys anything about returning from Vegas to S- Southern California, do not ever leave on Sunday. Do not leave on Monday if it's a holiday. And if you do, go down the 95, not the 15. And, and if it's a holiday weekend, then go all the way to Laughlin. If it's not a holiday weekend, connect back through Searchlight and uh, connect back to the 15 there in California. Because I was hearing, yeah. we were looking at, like, at the worst point, about a two-and-a-half-hour delay in driving those first 40 miles to get to the state line. Not two-and-a-half hours total, two-and-a-half hours extra to drive to the state line. I was hearing it happen on Monday, Memorial Day. And that, of course, there was additional delay past the state line, as Brandon was mentioning. And we're probably talking about an extra maybe three and a half to four hours to your normal drive going to L.A. at the worst point on yeah. Memorial Day Monday. So, boy, that's a mistake. And, and really, you need to think about this when you plan a trip. I know you may think, okay, it's an extra day off. I get a three-day weekend. Uh, maybe don't take the three-day weekend. Maybe uh, 
do, do a two-day weekend. You could have gone back on Sunday and had no traffic. Uh, maybe just take a day off work I mean, next at, week. At 7 in the morning, there was a 13-mile traffic jam. So everybody, or not everyone, a lot of people thought, well, you know what? We're going to be smart. We're going to wake up at 5.30. You know, we're already packed up. We'll, we'll eat in the car. We'll just get coffee, get in the car, get on the road. Those people still were in a 13-mile jam. That's insane. That's absolutely well, insane. And then that's another Can thing. You imagine it's before that, daylight. That's another thing is to, to double-check your work. So that's not a bad idea these people had about getting up early and getting out. At least they made an effort. The problem was they weren't quite early enough, and they got in that big jam anyway. Not as bad as people later in the day, but still a pretty bad jam. So one way to avoid this is you look on your phone. Before you take off, look on your phone. Now, it's possible some of this developed as they were already driving, and then it was too late. But uh, if if you're in Vegas and you look on your phone and you see that red traffic by the state line, then don't even go. Don't go that direction. Go the 95. Uh, I, I can't stress this enough. It's a much smarter way to do things. It is horrible. Brandon and I feel the same way on this. Just sit in traffic that doesn't move, and you just feel trapped. You feel like there's nothing you can do about it. You've, you don't know when it's going to end. I mean, you're better off just pulling on and walking around in a mall for the kill hours. Like, you're not, it just, you're not even accomplishing anything. Well, it's, it's, it's funny just, you mention that because that's exactly the, what I did on, uh, of all things on my birthday, there was a horrendous traffic issue. It was on some year where my birthday was on a Sunday. So I suspected there was going to be traffic going back from Vegas. We were in Vegas and then we, uh, on my birthday, we, we were driving back. And the reason we were coming back on Sunday is that uh, my girlfriend needed to go to work the next day, which is the reason most of you go back Sunday. But I said, okay, well, I'll go through Searchlight. So I go to Searchlight. I look, nope, horrendous jam past Searchlight. Once you connect to the 15, still a horrendous jam in California. I think there were some accidents, whatever it was. It was something like Sunday traffic plus accidents. I think that's what did it. So that was not a viable solution. So I went, to, uh, I went on to Laughlin. And once I was in Laughlin, I said, you know what? Now that we're here, let's just stop here and eat somewhere. So we stopped, and I actually, I actually had a comp for like $60 in food from Laughlin, from the Harris. So we just went there and, and ate yeah. somewhere at Harris Laughlin, and then we drove yeah. on, the 40, on the 40 the rest of the way home. It was a very long drive with all, after all that, but uh, at least we didn't spend time sitting in traffic. So, like, I, yeah, make adjustments. Uh, stop and do something. It's, it's much better than sitting in traffic. Sons of bitches. Okay, uh, speeding right along because we have to call Sharif soon, and he's texting me now, and we need to go over real fast what we're going to do. Uh, I was going to talk about this because it's interesting, but I'm just going to tell everyone about it, and then they can research it themselves. Uh, there's a very big Bitcoin conference going on right now in Miami. Do you know about this, Truff? Yes, I do. And in fact, 21. Poker Fraud Alert radio listener and poster on the forum daily is at that conference. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Interesting. Well, uh, at the conference today, the former owner, founder, now imprisoned uh, of the infamous Silk Road. And who would I be speaking of? Crap. Ross. Uh, Ross Albrecht. That's right. Yep. Al- Albrecht. He uh, did his first interview since he's been in prison, which has been now seven years. Uh, he did an interview with bitcoin magazine and that was released today i have not watched it yet i've read uh some of the 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 gist of it and the excerpts of it but uh i'm looking forward to that it's fascinating if we had more time we could kind of go over it maybe uh you know read the article play more but 
uh, anyhow, that's there. So if you're interested in, in whether it's Bitcoin or just I've always been fascinated with this guy just because there's a lot of controversy over the, the prison sentence he got. There are people that adamantly think he uh, – and for those who don't know, he got sentenced to life plus 90 years. I mean, something ridiculous. And there was a lot of talk and speculation that he was going to be pardoned by Trump. Um, I don't know how close he ever got to being pardoned, but if you read – uh, if you believe what you read on the internet, uh, it was on one of Trump's you know final lists and didn't make the cut. Um, but anyhow, so he released a uh, interview, first one he's done from prison, so you can Google that and obviously read that. You um, know, I, I just I just have a quick comment about him. Yeah, go go ahead. Sorry, I, I go think ahead. that the life sentence for what he was accused of doing, of what he was sentenced for, was excessive. He he didn't uh, do anything I think should warrant a life sentence. However. I have much less sympathy for him if a story I heard about him is true. I heard a story... Oh, the, the, the hitman? The yes, hitman I heard a story that he yeah. attempted a murder for hire, but actually got scammed. That scammers uh, convinced him that they would kill someone in exchange for a certain amount of Bitcoin. He paid it, and the scammers were not really hitmen. They just ran off with the money. In fact, there's actually a, uh, a Rockford Files episode from the 70s that was kind of similar to this, except, of course, it didn't involve Bitcoin. So uh, it was a scam hitmen actually got him, supposedly, that uh, he was really trying to have someone killed, which to me is very disturbing that the guy who makes all this money from Silk Road then yeah, he has all this crypto and is okay. Well, this is no skin off my ass. I have so much. Yeah, sure. Yeah, kill the guy. Here's some. Here's some Bitcoin. Like that's that. Even even though no one got killed and the hitmen were fake, he sent real Bitcoin to them. If the story is true, and if that's the case, then f this guy because he wanted to commit murder. He was trying to commit murder. So if a guy was trying to commit murder and only didn't because he was being scammed, I don't feel all that bad if he is in prison for life, even if it's something completely different. But if he didn't really do this, or if this story is uh, is not true in some way, or partially not true, then that's a different matter. But if, if this is oh. what I've heard, then I don't feel bad for him. So let me ask you uh, one other thing. When, when he was uh, sentenced, they had, at the sentencing hearings, they had some parents testify that and I'm not advocating for him or against him at this point. I just want to hear your feeling on this. When I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. When he was when he was sentenced, they had some parents that testified um, about ch their children that had bought, and these were minors. Uh, and I think a couple of them were over eighteen, but either way, they were young children that had bought drugs. Uh, they were either pills, fentanyl, opiates, and in a couple cases, heroin. And they had overdosed off products they had gotten off his website and died. And they had the parents doing the sob story and reading letters and showing pictures. And, you know, obviously that swayed the judge. It swayed the jury. If that was your son, I, mean, I know it's hard. It's gruesome to even think about it. But if that was your son or a close family member, and even though, as you say, you know, he just was the, the, you know, the proprietor of the website and he just, you know, ran a site where people could exchange goods, you know, of their free will. But you had someone close to you that died from buying drugs on his website. Would you, you think you'd still feel the same way? And eliminating what you said before, assuming that he didn't try to, you know, kill anybody, that all that was just, you know, embellished or whatever it may be, you know, a myth, wives' tale, urban legend. How would you feel? You know, well, th this is actually a similar question to what was posed to uh, Michael Dukakis during a debate where it was asked, uh, your, your anti-death penalty 
would you still feel the same way if your wife was murdered? And he gave a, a pretty bad answer to that where he just sounded too businesslike and it seemed like only he would have cared if his wife was murdered, so that really made him look bad. But it was kind of a loaded question. And I remember when I heard this, I thought, what if I was Michael Dukakis up there? How would I have answered this? Even like a 16-year-old when this was answered, I noticed it was a bad answer. And I, what I came up with, and I'm not sure if I would have come up with if I was on the spot like he was then, but what I came up with mm-hmm. after thinking a little bit was uh, the correct answer there is, yes, if it personally affected me, I, I would have been for the death penalty because I would have been clouded by own, my own emotions, that my own emotions would have made me think differently of it. Sure. But but a, a, a politician needs to make policy based upon not emotion, but what they feel the right thing to do is, and I feel the death penalty is wrong. Now, I, I'm actually not against the death penalty. I'm saying if I were him and trying to defend it and trying to yeah. answer that question, that's the only good way to answer is saying that, yes, I would personally want it if it hap- happened to someone I dealt with, but that's because I'd have emotion involved. But but I think the actual right thing to do is so, to distance yourself. So same thing here. If... Uh, if I was related to or cared about someone who was who died of drug overdose that they bought on Silk Road, and that uh, yeah, then I'd I'd want this guy to fry as much okay. as possible. But 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 given that I don't know someone and I can distance myself and say the right thing, I, I'm not saying he should have gotten no sentence. I think he should have gotten sentenced well, to that's, prison. That's my next question. So obviously it's li- it's a life sentence plus ninety a hundred years. He's been in prison now for seven years. What is the right amount of time? See, I, I'm not think, sure. Do you think? Okay, if Trump, if Trump, okay, assuming that he didn't try to hire hitmen because he, he wasn't charged with that, wasn't convicted, definitely wasn't convicted of it. If Trump would have pardoned him, okay, so it would have been like you know six and a half years. Do you think that would have been enough? Would you have felt? No, I, I, I think that's too short of a sentence because the thing was he was if, if he was just running it and he didn't know that drugs were being dealt through his site. Um, then, then that's a little bit of a different matter. He knew full well what was going on there, and even though he wasn't actually doing it, he was profiting from. He knew a lot of illegal trade of a lot of uh, illegal things that could be used for harmful purposes in various ways. So you, you can't do something like that and then say, "Oh, I, you know, I, it's not my fault. I was just enabling it." It's, it whatever people want to do, you, you can't do that. There's got to be a. a, a punishment and, and not a light punishment not not six years in jail that's not super light but that's not super tough uh, so if he got like 20 years i i'd say like i i would think like something like 20 years is probably more appropriate here i think the life was too much but again i only feel bad for him with the life i don't feel terrible for him because he was he was uh enabling something that that was harmful but but i do feel it was excessive but i feel less bothered by the excessive sentence because of that hitman thing, if it's true. Anyway, here's someone who would not hire a hitman. I, see, I hope he wouldn't. Uh, Trader Ruski, hello. Yo, buddy. What's happening, fellas? I thought you were going to come morning, at 5.30. Here. I didn't think we were going to be on at 5.30. But... Yeah, you're here just in time because we're going to be making the call soon, Trader Ruski. That's right. We had to get our financial advisor on the line here for the Sharif call. Okay, so listen. I got to go yeah. through these files. Yeah. So Did he send back, back the so form? Oh. Yeah, uh, I'll get to that in a second. In one minute. Okay, so just finishing up Vegas real, real fast. Uh, two, three weeks ago, I spoke about Caesars cutting back on all these or quit or terminating, firing, whatever term you want to use. A lot of these mid to lower level means kind of affordable uh, shows that they were offering at their properties. Uh, a big show, although I don't think it was very, very expensive, but it definitely uh, had its share of fans and had been around a long time. The legendary 
comedian slash magician Matt King is done at Harris after 22 years. Mm. Have either of you ever seen Matt King? Do no, I, I've, se- I've seen the ads for it, but I have not seen him. All right, neither have I. Apparently, I have no show. Okay. So anyhow, uh, Matt King is done, and he is moving on to the Excalibur. So it's kind of like going from one crappy resort to another. I mean, you know, see, oh, not the company, but just, I don't know, Harris or Excalibur. I guess you kind of have to say. I'd rather have Harris. Harris is actually much better than Excalibur, at least hotel-wise. Yeah, it's a down, that's why I said it's a downgrade. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so moving along here, we're almost done. Uh, two things about the win. Uh, we talked about Caesars, the uh, Bacchanal Buffet opening. And this is really, really, really funny. Uh, I read online that the Bacchanal Buffet at Caesars is only allowing seven stars to walk up. Everyone else has to have a reservation. And I further read that they're completely booked for the entire month of June. That you literally, as of right now, the earliest you can get into the Bacchanal Buffet, assuming you're not seven star, is in July. I think they're they're regretting that they didn't charge more. 70 seemed like a lot. They probably should have made it 100. It does. (laughs) So the the win announced uh, a day ago, and this is according to Vital Vegas. Thank you, Vital Vegas. That the Wins Buffet is going to return on July 1st. Uh, For those of you that follow Vegas stuff, in the heart of the pandemic... Uh, the win tried to reopen their buffet with a new model. It's kind of like a buffet, but you order off a menu. Did, did, was this ever talked about? Do you guys know about this? Uh, I heard something about this, but I don't think we talked about it on the show. So, okay, so when the casinos opened up in June of 2020, uh, obviously due to COVID protocols, they couldn't go back to what they had always done. And the Wins Buffet, by the way, I've eaten there three times. Uh, famously, I had a. 2000 what was the year that all larry laffer and michael was that 17 or 18 one step i think it was 17 okay so i ate at the wind buffet with all those guys when they were here and i've eaten there before but it's it's a good buffet if you like buffets it's fine it's you know it's it's higher end stuff it's it's good it's you know nothing bad never gotten sick you know good quality so anyhow they reopened the buffet after the pandemic when the casino or not after the pandemic, when the casinos opened up in the midst of the pandemic, but they went to a different model where the prices were the same and you'd sit down and you would see on your phone or, you know, the, everything was like with the, with the little barcode thing on your phone or they'd hand you like a little laminated menu and it would have all the items that normally are on a buffet line and you could choose up to, I don't know, five at a time, seven, whatever the number was, and then a server would just bring the items to you. So kind of in essence, it was the same, but you couldn't pick out the food. You couldn't pick out the amounts. People did not like it, and after about 60 days, they ended up closing. Yeah, I was going to predict that. I was going to predict that. That's that's not a buffet. To to spend the same amount of money and write the fact they can't see what they're getting and just serve them on a plate, and then you you kind of had a rule you have to eat a certain amount or get, you know, you, you get charge say, oh, i don't like well i know I, right i get it just it wasn't it wasn't okay so anyhow that's opening july 1st uh, i'm not sure why they're waiting that long i know it's obviously part of it is they want to capitalize on the july 4th weekend um but still like you know i would think they would have opened up sooner just because things are really booming now but okay so here's another win story and i kind of have mixed feelings about this and you guys are gonna think maybe i'm crazy it has to do with the wins new pet policy Wynn was slash Encore was one of the few properties in Vegas that outside of uh, licensed service animals did not allow pets on the property. 
And I'm sure a lot of the reason was that the kind of clientele, the way they maintained the property, the rooms, et cetera, and et cetera. So the win slash encore just announced that they are going to allow customers to start bringing up to two dogs uh, into the property. Now, okay, here's part of it. It's going to be $150 a night. I doesn't say if it's for each dog or for up to two, but it will be $150 a night. And then it just says some other things that they're going to be doing, like uh, uh, they will get a doggy bag of welcome gifts when they check in, including a neckerchief with the Win logo, a toy and a dog treat. Uh, they will also get their own. There's a doggy dining menu called Bon Appetit that you could order room service for your dog. Dog-focused clothing and accessories like wind-branded leashes, collars, and bowls. And again, thank you, Vital Vegas, for this article. Will also be available for customers to purchase. And there will even be a dog wind resort's signature robe. It's an exact replica of a human-sized bathrobe, but for dogs. Okay, so anyhow, this is where I'm, uh, I'm a little stumped. I'm a massive animal lover. Like, I know Trader Ruski is, and I know you are. You just had... Sadly, a loss, which uh, you know I mentioned off air to you. I'm sorry for your loss, and I'll say it again now. But for me, at least, what do you all think? You know, my opinion is when you and I love the win. I've said this on the record. You know, even paying to stay there, like it's it's a, a great and, and a more plus above everything else in the city. I don't mind the dogs, you know, in elevators or you know even just around me when I'm walking. But the one thing is, you know, dogs have accidents and and dogs. You know, especially ones that aren't well trained or behaved. You know, they tear up rooms. And you know, I don't know if you've ever been to. There's a tower in Laughlin at, at the Caesars that is just a pet tower. And I stayed there once because I I went there with the girlfriend and we had a dog and we had to bring it. And the room just it, it smelled so bad. It was awful. It was awful. And then we weren't in the room that much, but you, you could just tell. Like, well, that yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say here in response. So I've actually thought about this because um, – Well, it, okay. before you give me your, your long reply, the one other thing I want to add is now do you think this is just something that they're changing to just due to the times and you know people now do travel more with their pets? Or do you think it's also or mainly because of the $150 a night money grab? Okay, now please go ahead and give me all your thoughts. Okay, so I, so I think it's the money grab. By the way, I'm going to want to hear about Trader Ruski's opinion as well when I'm done with mine. But I, I do think it's the money grab. Uh, I, I have had to think about this myself. Now, the dog that I had, which just passed away, Otis, I received him at almost age 11, as I said earlier in the show. So we didn't have that much of a chance to even think about traveling with him because he was already old. But a younger dog especially if you have a smaller dog. This, this was uh, Pugs are usually smaller, but he was a big pug. So it, was, uh, it wouldn't have been impossible to travel with him, but uh, uh, because of his age and he wasn't all that small, like, none of this really would have worked out. But I, I have thought about future dogs that I might get. And the biggest challenge of having a dog is what to do when you travel. And ideally, you have someone that can take the dog temporarily that will be good to the dog and take good care of it while you're gone and then you just come back and pick it up but that's not always easy so not always easy to find someone who, who can do that and so I, I one thing I was thinking about if I get another dog what do I do about when I travel or when the family travels if I just go myself it's fine but if the whole family goes what do we do and I did think okay well 
what about the possibility of taking the dog? And then immediately my mind went to, yeah, but then I'd have to stay in a pet stay room, which I really don't want because I have to imagine those smell awful. And I've never been in one, but I imagine... They do. Yeah. Terrible. So I've imagined it's terrible. So like, and then I thought, okay, well then I don't want to do that. So then I won't want to take the dogs. And now we're back to what do I do as far as uh, the dog when we go on vacation? Uh, my parents said, I even talked to them shortly after this dog passed away about, you know, they asked, are you going to get another dog? And I said, well, one of my concerns here is what we're going to do on vacation. They're, uh, what I had done with this dog, for those who are wondering, the previous owner of this dog, I said it had some circumstances change and, and uh, it was better for the dog to stay with us. They were still able to watch the dog on a temporary basis. So they agreed right away when we took this dog that... Uh, that they would watch the dog whenever we went on vacation. So that was never a problem. But uh, obviously this is not, this person wouldn't be burdened to do this anymore uh, if we got a new dog. So I, I've got this problem here. So my parents had said, oh, you know, it provided the dog is, is not too much trouble. If it's friendly, if it's, if it's housebroken, you know, we'll watch it. But then I thought, well, okay, but that's good for now. But my parents are elderly and these dogs, I would hope, would live well over 10 years. Like, look at this one, lived 16 and a half years. Uh, in, in 16 and a half years, my parents would be in their mid-90s. So uh, I would hope they'd still be alive then, but I don't think I'd want to burden them with watching a dog at that point in their lives and even in their late 80s. You know, there'd be a point where they may not have the energy for this. So well, I, I can't count on this for the whole dog's okay. whole life. So I've I've had to think about these things. So so I did think about the the travel the pet travel thing, and it, it's it's not. I know there are people who do it, and the I'm not even totally opposed to it if if the dog is good for travel. If the dog is good at traveling, but it's the it's the pet stay room which is a problem to me. But I know Trader Ruski has traveled with his dog, so I'd like to hear about his opinion on this. Yeah, those I've never stayed in a pet state room. But okay, but even more so, do you guys think at a high end place like that, would you rather them not let dogs in? Are they certain things that certain just higher end things where even in today's world should just be for humans, or are you you both fine with you know staying in a five star resort and and there being dogs and you know in the room that you were in, whether you have a dog or not, just you know all the things that go along with it. Yeah, I'd prefer there's no dogs. That's that's my feeling. Is that at places like the Wynn, I just would really rather there's no animals. That's my personal I, feeling on it. And I I actually agree. Although I, I'm a big dog animal, I, I still think I, there should be places. And it's not the fact, as I mentioned, that it bothers me. And you know, walking and seeing, it's more just in the room. I don't want to lay down and have dog hair on me or the smells or the stains. Like especially when you're paying a premium. So that's I don't know. I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me, but. Uh, I still think higher end places like that because once they change, I think that's almost everywhere now. I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm sure there are a few smaller places, but I know MGM allows it, Caesars allows it, uh, the the Plaza allows it. So, uh, oh, Trader Ruski, what are your thoughts on this? I think I already know, but tell us anyhow. Yeah, I I guess I agree with you. I don't think. I mean, it's I don't know. I, maybe if they have a separate wing or something, I don't know. I wouldn't want to stay in the dog room and experience what Brandon just said he experienced. And that one, see, and that's the thing. If if everything was separated and you knew that they were doing it right, which and all by all accounts probably the win will, then that's fine. But I wouldn't want to ever pay a premium 
and and yet stay in a room where animals have have been because and it's not that I have anything against the animals again it's it's the owners that I don't trust that you know bringing untrained animals or or not taking them out enough and you know uh, well, so anyhow it, that that's it's funny well, I remember well and, and now that you're mentioning this I remember Dutch Boyd posted an angry tweet about. I think it was the Imperial Palace, now the Link, that he and his girlfriend stayed in a pet stay room with their dog, and he was just completely outraged at how filthy it was. <laughs> he posted a tweet that they need yeah, to be ashamed I, of themselves, and it was it was entertaining. I only did it once, and that's all I needed to do. It was terrible. Like, and the sad thing was, I had to be in the room more than I normally would because the dog was, you know, in an unfamiliar environment. We were only there for a weekend, so we want you. Know, we wanted to check on him, but it was terrible. It was so bad. Uh, it was this again was at Laughlin, and it just you could tell they you know they didn't steam clean the carpet or it had been ages. It just you could just tell like animals run there every day. So. Well, that's and that's the problem yeah. is that these these pet stay rooms they need way more cleaning after certain animals have been there. Yeah, you have some good animals that that you can barely tell they were there, but you have also have other animals that pee on the floor and crap on the floor and and do whatever else. So. Uh, the, the, and then a lot of them will jump on the bed. So the thing is, you need a massive cleaning after certain dogs have been there. And they do not want to put out that sort of effort on a regular basis. And also, they, they, it's not like they can ask the person when they check out, hey, how was their dog? Did they pee on the floor? Like, no one's going to say yes. So, so the problem is they have to kind of assume each time that there's a problem and then do a massive cleaning, which obviously they don't want to do. Now, maybe the win for all this extra money every time will put out this effort between every stay. But I see that's why it gets nasty in other places is that the quick surface cleaning that the maids do in normal rooms, it's not going to cut it when dogs have been there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's it. I hope you all enjoyed the uh, Las Vegas news segment. It kind of was a, a slow week. So it's kind of remarkable. Oh. I was able to talk for uh, over an hour. So, to give all of you an update before we call Sharif, and I've been delaying him, I'm stalling him, I'm telling him Alvin's just waking up now because he's been texting me for two hours wanting to know when this call is going to take place. He told me a, maybe a day or two after we had him on last Friday that the reason why he sounded so poor while he was on the phone was it wasn't a headache. He just was embarrassed to say was, and this the sad thing is I believe him. It might actually be true. He claims he has malaria. <laughs> and that's why he didn't sound well when, when we had him on. Uh, and he's also, but he's also claiming at the same time he wants this deal to be resolved so he can go home and start getting treatment for his malaria. Are you guys hearing me? Yeah, you know, I I don't know. This it could be that they get that and he's aware of that being a disease that's uh, in Nigeria. I, I hadn't heard of a malaria problem in Nigeria, but it's possible. It's, it's, it tends to be more in uh, tropical environments, but. I, I, I don't know enough about Nigeria and the diseases they have there. So it could be just – I actually don't even know if I, – I might I would doubt he really has that. I think he probably just had a cold or something or was tired. Uh, but oh, well, Hold on, hold on. According to The Who, in 2019, which was the latest report, Nigeria uh, accounted for 23% of all the malaria – cases in the world wow okay well that would explain what yeah. that would explain why he's aware of it and, and is citing that as a disease he has in fact he doesn't realize that kind of makes it more likely that he's a nigerian rather than an american like if you go to if you're an american who goes to spain which he's claiming to be you're not going to get malaria so uh, you have to be going so to, in 2000 in 2019 there were an estimated 229 million cases of malaria worldwide 
47 million of them were in Nigeria. Wow. Okay. That's well, that explains chunk. why he knows about it. But so, so he, I still don't believe that's what he had. I think that's just what he goes to when you. Oh, I know. Oh, I am maybe. So this is what we're going to do here. Uh, obviously. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, before we do that, explain, talk, talk about the form. Okay. So the form, if you remember from last week's show, we were stalling him by claiming that in attempt, we attempted to send him the money through a Bitcoin ATM, but the problem was since we were going to send him more than 5,000, we, we were, we were going to send him uh, 6,500, 5,000 for the uh, whatever he wanted so he can send us the million dollars, and then uh, the 1,500 for the rose gold iPhone. So we were trying to send him 6,500 only to find that the Bitcoin ATM uh, will not allow us to send that, that it refused to do it and claimed that a, a lot of complicated uh, forms needed to be filled out for the U.S. government because it exceeds 5,000. Now, I completely made this up. This is not true. But, uh, of course, he doesn't know U.S. regulations, so that was a good reason to stall him. So we claimed that we had to fill out forms on our end that uh, the financial advisor, Trey Daruski, did. And then we also claimed yeah, he right. had to, we had to, we, that he had to fill out a form as the recipient. So the, the plan was to send him a ridiculous form and also have a place to put a picture and then maybe get a picture of him. And uh, and then hope that he would fill it out and we get some laughs on it. So and it also stalled him too. So um, I was going to do it that day, but then uh, I, I forgot. And then uh, anyway, a, f- a few things happened, and, and uh, I ended up doing this on May thirtieth. I can't even blame my dog's death on this because my dog passed away the following day, not uh, the day I sent this. But uh, I, I made up a completely phony cryptocurrency transfer form. And uh, if you'd like to see it, I actually posted this online. If you go to pokerfraudalert.com slash US, both in caps, US dash, and the rest is in lowercase, crypto dash transfer.pdf. So that's pokerfraudalert.com slash US, and that's the only two capital letters in the whole thing, dash crypto, C-R-Y-P-T-O, dash transfer.pdf. You can see this form that I sent to Sharif to fill out. So it has first the American Eagle E Pluribus Unum seal that is uh, associated with the United States. I'm sure you've seen it before. That's at the top. Then under it says United States Cryptocurrency Transfer Form. By the way, I made this up on Microsoft Word. This is not an official form in any way. And then it says date May 30th, 2021. Then it says form number C 383482A for recipient of international cryptocurrency transfer. Again, I completely made all that up. No such form. This certifies that Brandon G. Helmuth <laughs> of Las Vegas, Nevada is voluntarily initiating a cryptocurrency transfer of $7,500 USD, meaning US dollars, via Bitcoin ATM located at Dr. Fluffer's Glory Hole in Crypto, 4050 Sahara Avenue, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89132. (laughs) So Dr. Fluffer's Glory Hole in Crypto, it's a place... You may not have heard of it, but it's on Sahara Avenue in Vegas, and it, it they do two things at this business. There's a glory hole there, and there's cryptocurrency uh, things you can do there. I, apparently, a Bitcoin ATM and other stuff there. So it's Dr. Fluffer's glory hole in crypto. It's a very successful business in Las Vegas. So that's where we're using our Bitcoin ATM. The recipient, comma, and then a blank space for him to write his name with an underline. 
located in Valencia, Spain, remember he's pretending to be in Valencia, Spain, acknowledges that he is receiving this cryptocurrency for legal purposes and under straightforward pretenses. (laughs) And then under there is a square, a dark black square with a white background, which says, please attach recipient picture here. Now, I know Brandon knows about what happened here, but I'm going to ask uh, Trader Ruski. When I sent him this form, and it, and it came from uh, Alvin Finkelstein at gmail.com. So it was supposed to be from Alvin. When I sent him this form as Alvin and explained to him what to do with it, uh, what do you think I got back? I think you may have got the form back. Well, I got the form back. By the way, he was hassling Brandon for a few days after the show, like, where is it? Where's the form? And finally, I sent it. But anyway, right. w- once he got it, he sent it back. With, the- with a picture of Al Sharpton with him. Well, close. Uh, I, he, so first he sent me where he just typed in his name, which I think he typed in like Caleb uh, or Caleb Sharif, K-A-L-E-B, and then Sharif, his last name. So he filled in the blank there, and then he left the picture blank. So then I had to send him another email telling him that he needs to enclose the picture and that this is a requirement of the U.S. government and that if he's having a hard time attaching the picture to this space on the form, that he can just send us a picture and I will attach it for him. So the whole point was to get a picture. Well, the problem was I forgot during this whole ruse that there was a picture that he has been using. I would, I'm not sure if he's ever sent it to Brandon or, or, or anything like that, but we found his LinkedIn, we discussed this before, where he's using a stolen picture of like some 60-year-old attorney standing in front of a bunch of legal books. <laughs> so the problem here is that he can't break from that. I was hoping I'd really get his picture, but I forgot that he's pretending to be a white American Please. attorney that's in Valencia, Spain, and he can't send his real picture, which sucks because I really just want to see the real him. But there's no way to tell him, hey, we know you're really Nigerian. Uh, send us your real picture. We know you're not that white dude. Like we, so we're kind of stuck there, which is unfortunate. I was really hoping to get a picture of him. So he sent us that exact same picture from his LinkedIn. So I'm like, no, no, no. That's, I, I want to see him do better than that, at least. So I sent him back saying that it's a blurry picture, which it was because he, it wasn't a high-res picture. In fact, it was very low res, so it was kind of like a blown up version he sent to me, so it was big enough and it was very blurry. So I said, this is too blurry, the government won't accept this. So then he sent me another picture of the same guy that was more clear. So then I kind of didn't know what to say, and uh, that's where we stand. Now, I haven't said anything further since he sent this, so um, Brandon could tell us from here uh, what he's been saying since then. I'm sure he's still hot to trap for the money. now. But before Brandon goes on, the reason it was 7500 on this form was that we promised last week that we're sending him an additional 1000 for all the delay that we've had here as, as an additional oh, we're gonna, gift. We're going to bump that. We're going to, we're going to bump that up this week. <laughs> so the, well, now this, at, least, at least an extra 500 for the malaria. <laughs> so this has been a very popular segment, by the way, it's, uh, it's funny. Initially, I didn't get many comments on this. Initially, I was wondering like, what are people thinking of this? Because I wasn't getting positive or negative feedback, but as time has passed, we've been doing this for weeks now. I'm getting more and more feedback and all of it is positive. Here's one from uh 442XX who's been, long-time listeners even bought pieces of me for the world series he wrote the sharif saga is pure gold my wife and teenage kids even enjoyed it 
Would you be able to splice all the Sharif segments together to make a special exclusive show out of it? Just a thought. Now, I've, I've gotten other comments like this, like that uh, guy in Minnesota I mentioned last week. He and his mom listen to this and think it's hilarious. So, like, the whole family's apparently getting together for several listeners and listening to us uh, mess with Sharif. So, it's uh, uh, th- these are very well-liked segments, and I haven't had a single negative comment about them. So... I, I hate to see it end here. So, Brandon, how how much longer do you think we can stretch this out before he gives up on us? I'm thinking maybe two weeks. I mean, it, this is going on two months now. At some point, he has to – I don't know where else to turn. So this is what we're going to do tonight. Uh, we are – you're going to have to come up with an excuse of why the form was rejected. But you can't make it so ridiculous that, you, that he knows he'll never be able to, you know – get it approved so we have to come up with some condition or make up some condition that uh he'll be able to do but that might take him a little bit of time but i'm gonna play the role now as the angry uh, like good cop bad cop we're gonna do here where i'm gonna hammer you pretty hard alvin i'm gonna get very upset because i'm gonna act like i'm on sharif's side and i'm gonna be very disappointed you know why wasn't this done what am i paying you for maybe i'm gonna throw out a couple (laughs) uh vulgarities here and and talk about maybe replacing you with a different attorney and now obviously we have our uh, our regulator trader ruski on the line okay he's texting he's texting me now tell me the number again it's 775 372 372 but but before you have him call uh, i want to mention here that uh, i think a good idea to ask of him that would actually sound realistic because i i kind of had a form of this i had i had to get my passport renewed maybe like four years ago and the government was real particular about the picture. I thought the picture looked fine. They they thought that my eyes were too closed, which they weren't. But like they thought my eyes weren't open wide enough, and the government rejected it. I actually had to resend in the application with a a picture they liked better with my eyes open wider. I'm not even kidding. So, like, I think what we can say here, since it's supposed to be something similar, is he's sending us stock pictures of this dude who isn't him. So, like, we can't ask for yeah. him to do anything that would be him and not that dude but i think what we can say is the government rejected it that it looks like a picture that was taken before or take that we have it has to be a picture that's taken with a white background with nothing else in the way and then maybe he'll spend some time photoshopping it or whatever so something that's not impossible but he can't produce in five minutes right okay and uh so i'm gonna send him a text now with the number it's funny he doesn't even remember the number but one week he was actually calling while we were on radio yeah and I don't want to lose him since everyone's anticipating this. So are we ready? Yeah, yeah. Have him call in. Okay. And it's so funny. All week, he's every day, all day long. It's, have you talked to Alvin? Has Alvin heard back? <laughs> have you talked to Alvin? Like he's asking me constantly, nonstop. Now, when are, is Alvin going to be ready? Yeah. Are, are you outside, by the way? I think I hear like crickets or something. I am outside. I had uh, to take the dog out real I fast. Knew it. Yeah. I didn't know there's crickets is it, there, by not, Is it too loud? Nah, just a little crickets in the background, kind of picturing like I'm on a camping trip and uh, we're, we're sitting by the campfire talking about Nigerian scammers. It's okay. That's funny. So, uh, Trederuski, you ready? You're going to be a part of this, little buddy. Trederuski? I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready, and I'm wondering if there's a way to get the picture of his assistant because this one's too clear. Or is it clear enough? Because I was going to say the thing around this picture is, you know, how you know what? you're trying to scan. You can tell him, like, you know, it will be okay. Tell him, like, to have his assistant, someone in his law office, to send their photo. And we'll see. If oh, that that's a good idea. So, right. So it gives him an out to send his own picture. Clear. 
Yeah. Right, because we're trying to, to scan this one in. It's just not accepting. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, okay, right. That, that, it, right, so it, okay. it, can be either him, it doesn't have to be him. It can be him or his assistant. The government just needs to see the picture of a recipient uh, up against a, like him, a white background, listen, like a wall. Listen, yes. Tell him this. He, he made up an assistant a while back named Tina that was texting me, but it was really him. Tell him that I'd mentioned to you about an assistant he has named Tina. Have him take a picture of Tina. Well, the problem though is Tina's okay, a female. See, but the, I want to take a picture of him. Yeah, though, that, yeah. Right? I think we. I think we should try to get a picture of him, and that's a good way but that he could never, be the assistant. But he's never going to go from a white guy to a black guy. Like no, but the, the black guy up. can be the assistant. Is the point? He can be a white guy, but right, the assistant can be black, who's really him. Okay. 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 All right. That's fine. Sure. Yeah, that's okay. a good, very good idea to get a picture of him. This way, we don't have to we don't have to say that we don't believe that's him, or he doesn't have to change his his appearance abruptly from a old white guy to a a, a black guy. Right. Let's also so you try, guys let's... say you guys say what's the problem, and I'm going to say, look, I've been trying to scan the you know the you know they the, they have this new scanning system. The picture's just not taking. We needed this a background. Even even your even if if your assistant or somebody in your office could just send us a picture. It just has to be clear with the white background. It should scan right in. I just did this for three other clients that, that branded some <laughs> money two, two weeks ago. Let's try to give him some good news, though, to get his hopes up. Let's try to make him think it's imminent that he has a possibility of getting this money. Let's not make it too difficult. Like, even if we give him bad news, he's still got to set a picture. But, like, let's make up some kind of good news that, oh, they're open on the weekends, 24 hours, that, you know, we should be able to get this done by tomorrow. Like, let's give him some good news, you know, and then, of course, you know, I'll just string them along and i'll try to i'll try to be able to set this up for next week to end it yeah okay so are you looking at the phone um yeah it's not coming in yeah there's been no calls no okay tell them tell them to call say we're waiting so you've gotten everybody together twice oh here we go here we go it's coming uh yes hello this is the office of alvin finkelstein are you there yeah i'm here i'm with you Okay, well, it's it's good to hear from you. This is Alvin Finkelstein, and uh, I have with me uh, w- Brandon, of course, who you've been speaking with the whole way. And uh, hey, I- Sharif, how you doing, buddy? Sharif, can I'm you hear me? Yeah. How's the malaria me? doing? Yeah. How's the malaria? How yeah. are you feeling? Yeah. I'm getting better now. Oh, you're getting cool. better. Okay, good. Yeah, that's good. good. We 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 didn't want you. Uh, having uh, health issues when we're trying to get the big deal done. So we have uh, we have our financial advisor, Trader Ruski, on here as well. So we have the whole group here to try to finally fix this situation so you can get the money that we've been trying to send you. We apologize for the uh, extra delay here, but... Uh, here's here's the problem we, we need you to help solve for us and and uh so we have some good news and bad news about the situation uh the good news is that we should be able to get to this a lot quicker because the uh the bitcoin atm at uh, at at uh we've been using at uh, dr fluffer's uh glory hole in crypto uh that atm is now open 24 hours a day seven days a week because they lifted uh covid restrictions in Las Vegas. So now we can go to that ATM anytime on the weekend, on the holidays, late at night, it doesn't matter. So there's no more restrictions on the time we can access the ATM. So all we need from you is uh, we're having an issue with the picture you sent of yourself. You know the picture you sent to me in email? Yeah. Yeah. 
that, so you sent me two pictures. The first one was very blurry. Yeah, so so I asked, can you send me a more right, clear... Listen, Finkelstein, Finkelstein, cut this shit here. I want to get this deal done. Okay, let, tell him what he okay. needs to do. I, I'm trying to... Hey, what am I paying you for? Brandon. Well, you know, you're not doing a great job. Brandon, you're not, you're not understanding job. the complexities involved here. Um, I'm trying to get this done. Um, it, this isn't as simple as you may think, and... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to make this happen here. Well, and I, I'm just going to have to give him more money now because he's been waiting and waiting, and this is just ridiculous. Now he has malaria. Sharif, okay, can, can Brandon, you hear me, my Brandon, friend? Wait, wait, wait. Brandon, hold on. You're yeah. spending way well, too much money. We just we, we said close to 100000 out last week. I mean, just, well, just, just slow down. Let's get this done. Like I said, we have to scan in the picture. And the scan's just not taking. It just it's it's just got to be a, a headshot with a white okay. background. F- Finkelstein. And, and it doesn't to even have to be him. him. It could be somebody from his office. Yeah. So 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 Sharif, um, what, like Trader Ruski was saying, I I gave the the pictures you sent to Trader Ruski, our financial advisor, to scan them, and unfortunately, the government rejected them. So it appears that the pictures you're sending are not working because the government does not like pictures with with backgrounds of things like books or other stuff in the background. They want to see a person standing in front of a white background or a solid background like a wall. They can't have someone with a bunch of stuff like books in the background. So um, what we need here is uh, either a picture of you or you have an assistant, right? Didn't you say you have an assistant, Sharif? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you have an assistant. Okay, so we we had an idea to speed this up. We thought maybe you could take a picture either of you in front of just a solid background, like a white background, or if this is difficult for you to come up with, that maybe you can have your assistant take a picture of themselves in front of a white background or or any kind of solid background and have them send their picture because the government doesn't care whose picture it is they just want the picture either of you or someone that works in your office so it doesn't have to be you it can be it can be an assistant of yours who can take a picture in front of a wall or something like that and that should be sufficient as well as long as it's someone who is really in your office there Sharif, are you following Sharif, it's very hard to hear you. Are you watching? Are you watching TV in Valencia? Is that what I hear? A noise in the background. Yeah, it sounds like you're watching Sharif, Alf or something. TV? Are you watching Alf? I think I hear Alf in the background. Well, in Spain, it's not called Alf, but I don't think there's even a translation. But uh, Sharif, can you hear us okay? Because I'm really getting. I'm. I'm not mad at you, my friend. But you know, I don't even know Finkelstein's telling me all this, and I'm paying him all this money. It, it, you know, he's here to help us, Sharif, not to fuck us up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Totally, John. Sharif. Okay. So yeah. So what we need is a better. So what we need, Sharif, is a better photo. Okay, just a clearer photo. Is that is that what you're saying, Alvin? Yes. And as I said, since since we're having problems with your photo, Sharif, I see what you look like, and it's fine. But the government's not accepting it. So, do you think maybe you can get an assistant to send their photo? Maybe someone who works with you, who who could stand in front of like a wall or something solid. And send their photo. So it doesn't have to be you. It could be anyone who works with you can send us their photo, and that will be good enough. Could, can you do that? Sharif? Uh, we lost Did him. We lose him? We lost him. I wonder what's going on with him. Maybe he does have malaria. He sounds like he sounds like there's a TV on. I think. I wonder if he's in, like in, in, a, in a center where there's a lot of scammers, and we're hearing them in the background. I'm not even kidding. Like a lot of times they, they get be. together in like a, a, a place where they all have internet access and they all work in like cubicles scamming people. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm yelling at him now. 
Sharif, this is important. You need a clear phone line. Call back. Okay. <laughs> that was, yeah, well, it was very hard to understand. Well, he, that's, why, that's why he needs his Rose iPhone, Brandon. That's true. Well, We're kind see, of in an endless is, loop here. This is, a, this, is, this is a thing. I never talked to him, but the first couple of times I, I did, he said, you know, you sounded okay, but he sounds like down in the dumps the last two weeks now. It's. I don't know. I guess it possibly is sick. I don't know. But you know, this is the being sick thing is a very common scheme that these uh, scam foreign scammers use, where you're sending them money for hospital bills. That's a very common one. In fact, the romance scammers right. love that. Okay, he says he's calling back. Okay, let me talk when he. Okay, I'll, I'll let I'll let you answer. Well, I'll tell you when it's coming yeah. in. It's not coming in yet. But okay. I, well, while we're waiting for the call, the romance scammers, they love the I'm in a hospital, my love. Can you please save me? I can't pay the bill. I'm going to die. Can you please send me $5,000 for my bills? Or they won't treat me. And then I love you so much. I just want to come be with you. And then the suckers open up the wallet. So you never know with these scammers when they say they're sick. It, it's uh, It's one of these things like the boy who cried wolf. Like when they really get sick, <laughs> you don't believe them. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hearing like Skype issues too, so I don't know if that's contributing to the to the fail of me not hearing them. Can well, you all hear me okay? Yeah, I hear. Well, I, it's. I'll tell you this: you're not a hundred percent clear. I hear a little cut out with you, but I heard Sharif very poorly. Like it was, I heard that yeah, same so background noise, and and it just wasn't a good connection. Plus, there it was noisy. It just the whole call wasn't good the, as far as the, yeah. the sound quality. Well, I mean, in all fairness, we are talking to someone in Nigeria, so <laughs> probably to be, and they're using, I'm sure he's using a free, you know, text app or something or other. So it's, yeah, that's true. He probably, is, that's probably exactly what he's doing is uh, because I, I even have those apps where you can make calls through uh, an app on your phone and you can make a certain number of minutes for free and it's, the call quality is very poor. So that's probably what's going yeah, on. Yeah. Oh, here we go. See, it's like he has okay. a few different numbers. Last time it was a two two four number. Now it's an eight four three number. All U.S. numbers, but they're all different area codes. Okay, let's answer it. Okay, right. okay, I'll talk. Uh, Sharif, are you there? Sharif, Sharif, are you there? Sharif, hello. Okay, yeah. I'm going to connect them back mm-hmm. on. I'm, Sharif, I need your help. I'm getting very frustrated here. I don't, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I have to take care of this soon. So I need your attention. Uh, I'm connecting you back with Alvin and Trader Ruski, so please help me here because I'm just very frustrated. I want I need to get this money to you. I'm even going to give you more now because I need I want this to be done, but I can't do it unless my attorney says that we're following the letter of the law. So hold on, let me connect him. Sharif, can you? Yeah, I can. I can hear you. Right can you now. hear me? I can. I can tell you what happened to me. Yeah, you understand what happened to me? No, I, well, um, you mentioned you have malaria. Yeah, I'm looking, is it the malaria? I'm looking, I'm looking right now. Yeah, okay, how did, how did you get the malaria? How did you get the malaria? Did you have some bad water, Sharif? Was it the water in Where Valencia? Did it give you the runs? Honestly, oh, tell me, you're still not feeling any better at all. I'm so sorry. Well, Sharif, what sh- what can I what can what can I do to help you, sweetheart? What can I do? What can I do for you? I, I don't like I hearing just, you like I just, this. You, I just listen up, listen up, listen up, brother. I don't mean to. Okay. I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be rude or anything. Okay. I mm-hmm. just want you to just send this thing and let's get it done once and for all. You know, you know, Elvin has been trying to tell me, okay, the pictures and that, you know, kind of stuff like that. And um, 
You know, I'm trying mm -hmm. to push myself to do other things. You understand? Yeah, but right? I you have to. Yeah, I can hear you. I know, but I have to follow what they tell me to do because I can't break the law. And I if they tell me I have to, I understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I understand. When I get home, when you, I get home, I'm gonna do every goddamn thing they need. Okay, but right now I'm gonna get to do all this kind of stuff. Do you think I should I'm fire really Alvin? Little. Because I have. Should I fire Alvin? I'm really. Do you yeah, you're well, sick. I, I can tell. Him, but I don't well, think, I, don't I have think another. Listen, I have another guy that advises me that does financial matters. He actually is from Scotland, and he's his name is Colonel Nigel Faversham. He may be able to help because he knows some shady people, and he can speed things up. He may be able even be able to get this done today. Should I get Nigel Faversham on? I mean, he he gets things done fast. No. Like you know what I mean? He's the kind no, of guy that if I need something done, you tell Nigel Fabersham, you don't ask questions, you know what I mean? And it's just he gets it done. And I don't ask it's like an it's almost like a don't ask, don't tell policy, like gays in the military. Okay, let me get him on here. Hold on, hold on, but, hold on. I want to connect him. But, but, he'll he'll get this done. Yeah, hold on, hold on. He'll he'll Sharif, he'll get this done. Okay. Uh hold on, I'm connecting you right. It's ringing. Hold on, let me just connect. Hey, Nigel, are you there, Colonel? Uh, yeah, hello, can Nigel Fabersham here? Um, is, is this Brandon calling me? Yes. Yeah, hey, what's up, buddy? Listen, I have a bit of a problem here in the States. Oh, okay, my. I have a, a, I, I'm sorry, I know. I have a business deal that I'm trying to just get through here, and we're running into some problems with the regulators. I'm trying to make a rather large purchase at a local Bitcoin ATM. Um, Sharif, what, what is 8,500? Is that fair? Because it was 7,500. Sharif, if, if I add 10,000 more to 8,500, would that satisfy you, Sharif? Well, Sharif? you've been up. I don't think Hello, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Brother, sound great. Brother, so, hold on, hold on, brother. Yes. Hold on, brother. Yeah. You've been, Say you've hi been to the colonel. Up. You've been adding, you've been, you've been adding this money up, and nothing is, nothing is going on. I don't get it. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get this done. I, as I mentioned, the, the colonel here can do things that other men can't. Okay. Yes, can yes indeed. Uh, he, that, that, yes, um, he, he's he's quite correct. And um, so, uh, Sharif, I don't quite know you, and and uh, I don't really need to. But uh, Brandon calls me when he needs to get things done, and um, sometimes he gets his knickers in a knot because uh, he has issues with uh, certain regulations that uh, must be um, followed in in his uh, line of work. And I say, Brandon, you must find other options to get things done. So this is when he calls me, and I make sure that um, things complete, if you must know what I'm saying. So um, the problem is trying exactly. to satisfy the government in the United States is like it's as useful as carrying calls to Newcastle. All right, so uh, what I'm trying to do here is um, Brandon's apparently contacting me to assist you in uh, some sort of transaction. Now, I don't know about this transaction yet, but I'm sure I can be of assistance. So, so Mr. Sharif, uh, would you like me to assist in speeding this matter up? Okay. Okay. So what do you need? So what do you need? All right. So, um, so, so I don't know. What, so right uh, now, no, see, no, I, I've, no, I've been telling Brandon I'm for the longest time. I've, I've told him for the longest time. He needs to get rid oh, of this. Also, uh, Colonel, Colonel, he also has a bad case of malaria. Oh, that's why he doesn't sound well. That's rather yeah. unfortunate. So yeah. It's hard to hear him because he's in a lot of pain. Oh, bollocks. All right. Let's get on with it. All right. Tally ho, pip, pip. All right. So listen, uh, I've been trying to tell Brandon for, for months now to, to – 
get rid of this person, to send him headed for the exits, this, um, this Alvin Finkelstein. To me, he, I, I feel he's incompetent. I don't think he does the job that he needs to do. Maybe for standard sort of transactions, but not, not what Brandon needs to do with his sort of work. It's just not the type of individual we need in the organization. All right? So he's calling me. Hello. Yes, um, will you please listen to me and stop interrupting? I'm trying to get this done here. All right, we're not going to get anywhere here unless you you want everyone gets on the train and follows. You know, it's uh, it's not like we're on Thomas the train here. You know, (laughs) Sharif, you have to listen to him. He's trying. This guy, you ever see Pulp Fiction, Sharif? He's he's like Mr. Winston Wolf. He's a fixer. He gets things done, so he can get this done. In 24 hours, right, so, so what? Bypass the regulators. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so what I need here is I I need first an address to send wherever you wish to send. If it's cryptocurrency, what I need it to be sent. You can send it to Brandon. He'll forward it to me, and um, then I will manage to get this done. Now, now, what what was Alvin asking for? Was he asking for some sort of silly form to be filled out with pictures and no, uh, other yep. nonsense? Uh, yep. He uh, bollocks. He wanted a, 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 yep. He wanted a photo with a form for the regulators. And it's just we we sent it, but the photo wasn't clear enough. Oh, see, so that's see, where we are now. See, all all yeah. this Alvin ever does is ask for forms. He, I think he spends his entire day. I think he dreams about forms at night. And so we can't have this. This this is this is rubbish. All right. So, um, um, Sharif, we need you to send. Are you looking for cryptocurrency? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, Sharif. All right, the yeah. cryptocurrency. Yeah. Now, which type of cryptocurrency is it? Uh, is that doggy coin? I keep hearing good things about that. Is that is that what you're looking for? This doggy coin? No, no, Bitcoin. A Bitcoin. All right, so and uh, that makes sense. You know, the, the, the doggy coin. It's got uh, it's got its issues. So, all right, we'll send you a good old fashioned Bitcoin. And um, so, when uh, can we when can we get this done? Because this has been going on so long, and Alvin's been giving me misinformation. Uh, I mean, could this be done relatively soon? You think? All right, so what we must do here is first, we've got, we've got to cut Alvin out of this whole thing. We've got to tell him that the matter's been dropped or something like that. Otherwise, he's never going to leave you alone. You know, him and that financial advisor are just going to, all they're going to do is just Hello, bog buddy. the whole thing down. All right? Hello, buddy. Yep, I know. So, I, know. So, I hear you. So, so what we must do here, if, if, what we must do is get this address. Do you have a Bitcoin address you can send to us, Sharif? Yes, I have it. All right. right yeah. All right. So you need you need to send the address to Brandon, and then um, I, I assume Brandon has your email address. I, I, I'm going to send you um, something here to um, speed up the process. Um, we're going to make it seem like this is a different sort of transaction than it actually is. We're going to make, um, believe it or not, there is actually an exception written into United States law for the export of women's lingerie, all right? So um, any transaction involving import and export of women's lingerie, where apparently there's a shortage in the United States, I don't know why, but uh, there is. Um, I heard there was an increase in cross-dresses for whatever reason. I don't know why, but uh, for some reason, the pandemic caused a lot of men to cross-dress. They they bought up the lingerie. It it, it was very difficult for women to actually receive it, so they've actually relaxed the restrictions, provided the transaction is one that involves purchase or selling women's lingerie. So we're, we're going to pretend that it's this sort of transaction. So what we're going to do is you're going to send a Bitcoin address and then I'm going to send you one thing to fill out. I won't require any silliness like Mr. Finkelstein did, all right? And it's going to be just certifying that um, you're going to be sending lingerie from uh, wherever you are to... Uh, oh, oh I, okay. 
So, so we're basically going to mask the purchase. Like yes, yes. We're going to pretend it's okay. a purchase of, of, of lingerie, which is temporarily made it but the, the government has made it so it's temporarily available to do excluded. without without a lot yeah, of red tape from the, yes there's no restrictions uh, on this and they, they don't they don't look at this very carefully all right i i actually learned this this trick from an individual who's um who was known as uh russ hamilton he was uh the expert at this and uh, i learned from him so um Got it. we're going to do that and um so we're going to send this to you by email you can fill this out you can disregard anything that alvin has sent you you can tell him to go uh to go Sounds jump in the okay. thames river all right and uh yeah and uh, then we'll get this done, and within a, within so, a very um, short time, yeah, you should have your cryptocurrency. Yes. I can hear you. I'm here. I'm here, so, buddy. I'm here, buddy. So, what do you what do you need to do right now? Because I get it. Okay, so he, he's going to send right you another. He's going to send you another form. You're going to email him back with you want with me, your. Do you big, want me? Do you want me to send a Bitcoin address? He's well. Listen, he's going to send you a small form. Okay, no picture, nothing like that. What we're okay, try to understand. What we're gonna do is we're gonna say that we're buying lingerie from you in exchange for the Bitcoin, and that circumvents the law. Do you understand? Like, so we're gonna buy some thongs and maybe a G string and just something sexy and pick something out for your wife. Okay. Uh, and then so you understand what we're saying. We're gonna mask it. I mean, we're not buying lingerie, but that's what we're gonna write on paper that you're selling us not lingerie from Valencia. And then in return, I'm going to send you 80, I'm going to, it's going to be 8,500 Colonel. Okay. 8,500 United States dollars in Bitcoin. So we're going to send you 8,500. 8, yeah. I'm going to add, because okay. Sharif, listen, you know, the money, thinking, it grows brother, on trees. Brother, I go to Bavada. I hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, brother? Oh, I can. Yeah, brother, buddy. I can, can hear you. Me. Great. Yes. I can hear you. You know, yes. you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, having, you know, I'm not having serious issues right here. I don't have a good phone. So I was thinking maybe you can say after the money. Then um, I won't get a good phone. Then be able to communicate with you very well. So I'll be able to snap other pictures and the phones, and I get it done. Do you understand that? Okay. Do you want me to mail a phone? Do you want me to have the colonel, the good colonel, send a phone? The Valencia? Yeah, it How shouldn't be. Like it it shouldn't be too expensive. Okay. Yes, we, we can send hello, you. A, hello, we can send hello, you a phone hello. to Valencia. That's that's, that's a splendid hello. idea. Hello. 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 Yeah. Can you hear me? Hello. Yeah, I can hear I'm you great now. Okay. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. I can hear yeah, you great. Tell me. Maybe, okay, listen up. You 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 sent you sent it five hundred, right? What? Uh, okay. Have you gone mad? I, I, I thought we were sending eighty five hundred. What's this about five hundred? No, you. No, I think he wants five hundred for a phone right now. Oh, all right. Well, I, I don't know why he doesn't want the whole well, shebang, but all right. Well, no, we could just Hello. we could get this yeah. done. To, yeah, we. I've been thinking. I can hear you. I've been thinking. Tell I've me what thinking. you're thinking. I've been thinking. Maybe uh -huh. you can just send half of the money. Then I got a good phone and take care of myself. Then we can go back to the farm. Then we fill it out. Then we can get all this done. Well, he's going to send you the form. He's going to send the form right now. And it's a, uh, Colonel, it's a it's a very simple form, I assume. Correct? There's no picture. Well, okay, I, no, no I, I understand what the what what the gentleman's saying. He's saying then uh, why not just cut it in half so it's less than the five thousand dollar limit? Just send him the cryptocurrency with no form, and then afterwards doing the form. Well, the the, the issue with this, this is a good idea. I'm glad you're thinking on your feet, Sharif. You're you're, you're a very um, astute gentleman. However. 
the the issue we have here is that if we were to send you um, four thousand dollars or so, even something less, and then later we would would to fill out the form and claim we're sending you f- for this lingerie, the government's not going to believe it because they're going to say, well, then what was the money before for? What? How come you're sending money first and then you're filling out the form for a second transaction? They're not going to believe it. They're going to know the whole thing's a sham. So for that reason, mm-hmm. it's better if we don't we do this in a single transaction for the entire eighty five hundred dollars. So this way, there's no question, and they just think we're getting a lot of lingerie that would satisfy um, every crossdresser from here to West Hollywood. No, Sharif, trust okay, me. Sharif, so what, so what, Sharif can you hear me? Hello, 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 Sharif. Yeah, I can hear you. I'm right here. Okay. Yeah. The colonel, the colonel can get things done, so we can get this done very fast. We're going to be done with Alvin. I'm not even going to include him in this anymore. So. Colonel, tell him what we would need from him to get this done within 24 to 48 hours. What do we need from him? Are we going to send him a bill of sale for the lingerie and then he just has to sign it back? Is that basically it? Colonel? Hello? Are you there? Colonel? Uh, hello, hello, Colonel? hello, hello, hello. You there? Can you hear me? Hello, Colonel. Hello. Are you there? Hello, hello. Are you there? Yeah. Colonel. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Colonel, are you okay. there? Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm here. Yes, okay. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Is, is it, what, what do we need? to get this done very, very fast. We just need a bill of sale for the laundry. Yes, we need a bill of sale. Exactly, exactly. We, we need to send, that's spot on, we need to send the bill of sale to Sharif. He needs to send us a signed bill of sale, which we will send to him and he'll send it back. Plus, he has to send us a Bitcoin address, not a doggy coin address, so we'll send it to the wrong place, it'll disappear. Okay. okay. He needs to send a Bitcoin address to us as well okay. as the so signed form, and then we will have it to him lickety split. Email, Sharif. Email. Gonna, we can't do it. Email. Hello? Are you there? Hello? 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 Yeah, I'm sorry. We lost you for a second. <laughs> Sharif, it's all going to be done via email. All of it. So it'll be fast. Okay. He can have this sent to you within the hour. And do you understand what we're saying, Sharif? I don't know if you're following because of the malaria. It's going to be a lingerie yeah, sale. So so we're, we're going to pretend that we're buying lingerie from you. But instead, we're really just sending you the the Bitcoin. Okay? And, and no, okay. obviously, you don't need to send us no lingerie. But that's what you need to sign, okay. just acknowledging you're selling us. So basically, Sharif, this is what you need to yeah. do. Yeah, I Sharif, understand. Do you know, okay, do you know okay. what lingerie is? Lingerie is like women's underwear. So send us, you send a bill, okay, to us. You're going to send me like 20 G-strings, maybe even a couple stripper poles, some fongs, uh, some negligee, and then make it total $8,500. So do you understand? Like you have to send me a bill for $8,500, but for women's lingerie and list everything. Like this underwear is $800, this bra is $1,200, this, you know, this... Right. So even toys like you put in a put in a dildo or a vibrator and then just make it all equal, equal eighty five hundred. Then immediately I will have I'll have the colonel file that with with the regulation regulatory body. And then we could get your Bitcoin address and we're done. That's it. So eighty five hundred dollars. Send me a bill. And obviously you have to say what each thing's for. Like You have to itemize it so I can show what I'm buying from you and then file it. And I send you the money and we're, we're good. And then. How long will it take again for me to get my 1.3 million? Like if I can get this done today or maybe tomorrow at the latest by, Braden, by the end of this week. Braden, I yeah. told you already. I told you already. It's a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. So but yeah. I, it's very important. Listen, it's very imp- it's very important that you understand what we need from I you understand. now. So you're you need to I send understand. me a bill. So, 
and you need to itemize all the uh, underwear and the the, the toys well, yeah. and the what have you. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Are you there? I'm Hello. Set, I'm gonna get it said to be by email. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. E Yes, can I can me? hear you. Yes, yes, you can okay. send it by email I'll to him. It's it. it's quite all right. Okay. Go go ahead and do that way. Yes. Kind of going to send it him, right? You're going to send me a bill for the lingerie, okay. and then once I have it, the the good colonel is going to file it with the regulatory body, and then we're going to send. You're going to just send me next the Bitcoin address once it's filed, and it has to be the same amount for the receipt that you send me. You understand? So whatever receipt you send me, yeah, the amount you'll get will match it completely. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, I, listen, listen to me. This is the most important thing. When you send me the bill of sale, you have to itemize all the different lingerie pieces with the dollar amounts. And when you add it all up, it has to be $8,500 or whatever I'm going to send you. Okay, like $8,400. Yeah, so that's yeah, most, yeah. That's it's it's quite important. important. Yeah, it, it's so, very true. In fact, you know, the, the problem is the U.S. government—they're not a bunch of babes from Birmingham. You know, they 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 do examine these things and in order to make the sale look real we do need the itemizations you can't just say brandon here's a bill for 8500 that's not going to fly they're, they're, right. they're not going to believe it they're going to get the knickers all in a twist and not allow the transaction so they need to see a list okay. of every they item need, you're selling need you need price. to get a surprises right what was that um, they need the surprises of the things they need the prices yeah, and, they, and you need, need to it needs to be okay, listed Colonel, I need to list Colonel, each one. Colonel, yes, give Colonel, give him some examples of different lingerie that he can list uh, in the bill of sale. Because uh, you know he's a married man, he may not know about some of the more risque things that are available in today's women's marketplace. So give him some ideas of some certain things he can write in the receipt for us. You know what I mean? You know, underwear, maybe chocolate panties. Uh, you know, just some kind of fetish, okay. kind of women's lingerie. Give oh. him some examples, Colonel. <laughs> I get it. Like a D like a Oh, okay. You want to understand? Stuff like that. Yes, like a Dito. Yes, a Dito. Yes, yes, yes that, that, that's quite a right. Yes, right, no something, problem. something along those lines. I'm glad I didn't have to list this. You know, I'm not into that sort of thing. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, um, I, I'm rather plain vanilla in that sort of way. So, I, you know, it's, it's not things I would know off the top of my head. But, um, yes, if if you could put together a list and and put together a, a phony invoice that adds up to eighty five hundred United States dollars. Uh, make sure it's not British pounds. Okay. Make sure it's uh, U.S. dollars. And um, if this looks okay. realistic enough, then we can present this to the government. I'll, I'll do the necessary paperwork, and then it will make this appear like it's a transaction to purchase lingerie, and we will avoid all the uh, other restrictions this way, and then the deal will be done. Tally-ho, okay. pip-pip, and we'll get on with it. Perfect. Now, okay. all, now, let me tell you something, Sharif. Right now, as I'm sure you can tell, uh, the colonel is in Scotland. He's in Glasgow right now. So all of us are in different time zones and different, you know, continents and countries and what have you. So we're going to have to do our best to communicate hello. so we can get this done hello. fast. Do, are you? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Can you hear me? Here. Hello. Are you there? I can hear you loud and clear. You your malaria sounds. Your malaria sounds much better. Oh, I hear you loud and clear. Yeah. I'm here. Can you? Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Can you so hear Sharif. Yeah, Sharif, do you understand what we need to do here? Are we on the same page? Yeah, correctly. Okay, when can I expect this bill of sale from you so I can have it forwarded to the good colonel? How long? When can you send me the email? Like an hour. Okay. Per well, listen, please, Sharif, please, I'm begging you here. Make sure that the bill 
the receipt looks professionally done and it looks correct. Okay, don't half-ass it. Put but, some effort but, into but, it. But, but, yeah. but I'll just do that. I'll just do that. No, just on a computer. Make it up just on yeah, on a computer. Just on a computer. Yeah. Type it up. Okay, 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 okay. I get it. I get it. Something like an email. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. You know, you can do this on uh, do, do you have Microsoft Word? We we used to have an associate no. who used to do documents no, okay. he used to do phony right. documents on Microsoft yeah. Word and he said he put things on Microsoft Word lockdown whenever he was doing a lot of work. Yeah. So okay. yeah. Yeah. Sharif. Sharif an yeah, invoice. That's exactly what but understand, Sharif, when you write the invoice okay, on a computer, you have yeah, to itemize it. Like, don't just make one thing 8,500, write like 24 pairs of bras and panties. Like, and then when you're done, add it. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, Sharif, you have malaria. Different items. Yes, different items. Oh, see? Okay, different items. Okay. Perfect. And then once you do that, right. we're going to pretend that I'm buying that from you. I'm going to be paying you with the Bitcoin. We're going to file it with the regulatory body, and then we're good. We're done. This is all over, and we'll finally get this deal sealed. And I'm done with that son of a bitch, Finkelstein, that, that, that fairy, that fuck that I, I told you when we were texting I was going to let him have it, Sharif. And you know what? After this deal, Sharif, I think I'm done with Alvin. I don't think I'm even going to use him because it just took too, way too long. Way too long. Yeah, everything drags out with him. He he never he never actually makes it happen. He all he does is give you excuses as to why he didn't complete the work rather than actually completing it. And I said, Brandon, you need to have someone like myself on your staff full time who can get these things done lickety split right away. No excuses. Now also, now also, uh, Colonel Sharif had asked me earlier uh, to get some gift cards for his wife because he's been in Valencia now for several months. And is there a way I could, uh, Sharif? What what were the gift cards you wanted me to get you? Uh, I think you said eBay was it, and and uh, Zappos yeah, shoes. What were, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, because the colonel can get me these literally off the black market, uh, no pun intended. But, but really good prices. Tell me again, what which gift cards does your wife like? eBay and what else? eBay. What other or, gift uh, cards? One vanilla, uh, a vanilla gift card. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, I've a heard of vanilla. vanilla. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so... I miss my family, you know. I miss them. All right, you know, I think we can procure that. I think we can, uh, especially the vanilla. The, the, I actually have an associate who has a lot of vanilla gift cards. I don't quite know where he got them, but um, he has a lot of them. Let me just say that, and I might be able to get him to... Um, Give some I to don't me. even know what that is. What is a vanilla gift card? Um, it's something you can use to um, spend money on the internet. Let's just say that. And um, yeah, it's it's okay. it's got a lot yeah, of uses to it. It's kind of like a, a prepaid credit card. So um, yes, I, I I think I might be able to come up with one and uh, send it your way. Okay. Okay. Now, real so fast before we go, I, I really, I really, hello, brother. Can you hear me? I really need, yeah, I need I, to do this to do that fast. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Yeah, is, is your really, wife having really, trouble? I really, I really miss my family. I really miss my family and I miss my son. So I just understand something. I guess yeah, you understand, I understand that. Yeah, I do. Well, yeah. Al, or, or the colonel has a son. I mean, he's grown up and he's much older, but we all are family men here. Um, okay, so let me yeah, ask you before we hang up, before we hang up, uh, Sharif, are you taking any medicine for the malaria right now? Are you on well, any I'm kind of medicine or me. anything? Okay. Yeah. Are they? Have you uh, seen a doctor in Valencia, or are you treating yourself right now? 
Have you seen a doctor in Valencia? Well, I'm getting self-medication. Self, yeah, that's the, yeah, a lot of people in this country self-medicate too. Well, okay, uh, Colonel, do we need anything else? I, so we're going to wait, he said, within an hour. But again, Sharif, I can't emphasize this. You have to make the invoice look very good. Make it look professional. Okay. Make it look just like a normal invoice that it doesn't stand out, that it draws no attention. You know, just do a really good job with the invoice. And let's okay. do this. Let's meet, let's meet back up uh, within 24 hours. Uh, Colonel, what is it? You're in the military. What, what is a, uh, how does the military time work in Scotland? Um, well, military time, it, you use a, um, a format of a 24-hour clock. So, for example, you don't say anything p.m. or a.m. It's just like 10 p.m. would be 2,200 hours is the way you refer to it. So, um, um, but I, I have one other thing I wish to say. Um, since you want these okay. vanilla gift cards, um, while you're speaking with Brandon, I was sending a text message over to uh, my associate because it's, it's, it's after noon here. Is it, yeah, it's afternoon where you are as well in Valencia. So um, I, I was speaking with my associate and he said he says he has the vanilla gift cards. And I, I'm a bit ashamed to admit this, but um, we're, all, um, we're all men who have a few secrets of our own. So uh, I'll, I'll confess that my associate... He obtained these gift cards illegally. In fact, um, I'm rather ashamed to say this, but he, he actually tricked young children into giving out these cards, which they got as gifts for Easter. He, um, he actually tricked them into giving them through a game called Roblox. He actually tricked them in the chat to give away their, their card numbers. So I do have a few what of these What is Roblox? Roblox, oh, it's, Roblox. It's, 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 it's a game online that the children all like love. I, I don't know that much about it, but the point is here that we actually have some gift cards that were stolen from children around 10 years old, and um, we, we... Well, I don't care. Well, you know, so, none so, of us are saints. Well, exactly. I, 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 this doesn't bother me no, if it doesn't bother it, you, it, but uh, I'm go- I, I can send him one. Oh, hold on, hold on. Sharif, right Sharif is talking. Hello. Yes, Sharif, I'm here. I don't, want any, yeah. I, don't, I, don't want any, I don't want anything illegal. All right, all right. So okay. if you don't want to, that's, okay. that's fine. I, I just thought maybe you wanted a vanilla gift card that was... Um, that no, was stolen from ten year olds. If you don't want it, I, I can keep it myself. Sharif, you have to. I don't Sharif, want, you I don't have want to understand. I don't want anything illegal. Yeah. Sharif, you so have to understand you from what I. If you can't, mm-hmm. but if you can't, if, if he can't help me with that, then fine. Sure. Okay. So Sharif, you right have now. to. You have to understand, as I told you, unless you want me to call back Alvin Finkelstein, the Colonel is somebody that gets things done, and I don't ask questions where it comes from. Right. Do you understand what I mean? No. Camilo's okay. He's okay. He's a good guy. I can tell. So maybe if you don't want to know the answers, then you know what they say. Don't ask the questions. But okay. So you know what, Colonel, get him some, not you know illegal. All right. All right. Uh, so 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 if if he must, if 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 this is important to him, I can get him some legally obtained vanilla gift cards that are not illegal, and I can send at least one of them to him for now. And um, maybe maybe after we receive the invoice as a thank you, I will send him a vanilla gift card in return before um, we send him the, um, the cryptocurrency. Does that sound good? Hello. 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 Yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, you can just can you send a gift card right now? Well, we wish to receive the form first. I'm trying to incentivize sending the form. So if you send the if you send the invoice to Brandon and it looks good, we will send you the gift card right away. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Fair. That's a fair deal. That's a f- and so listen, Sharif, I got to be honest with you. I worked 15 hours today. You know that. I'm very tired. I'm doing all this yeah, the best I can to help you. Yeah. So you I need to get some I need 
time. Yeah. I need to get some rest, Sharif. And I, and so do you. You have malaria. Right. You're not feeling well. So let's do this. Uh, let's convene. Uh, Colonel, Colonel, what what would be the time that we all can – how can we figure out a time that, you know, we're in three different countries here. How do we do this so we can meet up tomorrow at this time Hello, and just finalize I'm the deal? I'm going to get back to you. I'm, I'm, uh, you understand? So I'm going to. Well, I'm going to be asleep, Sharif. I'm going to be. I'm going to be asleep very soon. It's very late in the night here, Sharif. I'm. I'm very tired. And Sharif, you have to work on that invoice. It has to look good. Itemize. Okay. okay so whenever I send it, you're going to see it. Right. Okay. I know. I'll I will. Yep. I will. You're right. You're email. right. So put in I'll like say, the dildo and then. The, the, okay. Through email. Okay. All right, Colonel. Uh, what do you think tomorrow? Uh, Twenty-two hundred. Well, well, UTC, we'll all meet back up, Colonel? Yes, oh, yes, so that's, that's quite Hello? all right. Yes, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, thank right, you. No Sharif, do you have, any, Sharif, right, do you have any other questions for me or the Colonel? No, it's all right. It's all right. It's okay, Sharif, stay on the phone. I'm, yeah, I'm going to hang up I'm gonna hang up with the Colonel and just hold on one second, Sharif. I want to talk to you privately. All right, okay. tally-ho, uh, pip-pip, okay. let's get on with it. Okay. Bye, bye, Colonel. Thank, you. Colonel. Uh, send me an email, and I'll get you. I'll forward it to you when I get it from Sharif. Okay. All right. Colonel? I shall. I shall. Okay. Bye, bye. Okay. Bye, bye. Okay. Sharif, it's just me and you now. Can you hear me? Okay. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. Sh- Sharif, yeah. I just want to say to you. I want to say to you. Uh, between two men with families, uh, we've been through a lot, but I feel like our bond has grown grown even stronger throughout all this. And I want to tell you, I consider you now almost like family. I want you to know that from the bottom of my heart that I hope that you and I are lifelong friends, business partners, comrades, yeah. brothers even. You know, uh, do you feel the same way I feel right now? About the closeness? Yeah, I've, I've, and, been, and just... I've been my brother for a very long time. You shouldn't know that. You know, I laugh okay. about you. I, um, actually, I feel actually feel you know what you eat. You know, just kind of things like that. Yeah, okay. I've noticed. Cool. So you, cool. Yeah, you tell me to get rest. You ask me not to work too hard. Yeah. I've noticed that you've taken yeah. a, a big caring to me, and I want you to feel know that I yeah. I feel the same way. And if you ever need anything from me in the future, I will always be there to help you out like a brother. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. if we have, right. if, I had a, if I had a best friend charm right now, I'd mail it to you just so you'd have a piece All of right. me with you always, like the woman on the Titanic with the, with the, with the what have you. Okay, so listen, I'm gonna get some rest. I'm gonna make a little, uh, a little something to eat from that I got from the store. Okay. And you, you work very hard. Please send me the best invoice you've ever sent in your life. Okay, you make it look right. so right. good that it gets past those regulators, and it's not an issue. And and I can hopefully get this. Bitcoin from the colonel to very soon, and we can be done with this and move on to the next deal. But, okay, brother, my friend, brother, my brother. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you hear me? Can you, I can, can hear you. you just send me a sample? Can you send me a sample so I can edit? Can you just edit oh. a sample? Then um, send okay. back to you. Okay, I'll can text you, you. How about this? Okay, how about this? When I'm done eating, I'll send you okay. a basic format of what I need from you. And then you can send it back okay. to me. I'll give you an idea to, to get you exactly. going. And, and yeah. Exactly. Okay, would that help? Exactly. Okay. You have right. to understand, right. Sharif, I've been working since 6 o'clock in the morning. I am just exhausted. I'm so hungry. So I'm going to go eat I right know. now. No, you eat. You'll eat. 
you can get some drinks, okay? And I'll be okay, ready. I will. Thank you for caring about me. It's just it's hard to find right. people that really care, and I know that you care, and you have my best interest in in mind. So thank you, thank you, thank Sharif. You. I love you like a brother. Right. I love you. I love you like a brother. Uh, you I, love you. I love you like a brother. Okay. All right. I'll I'll text you. Right. I'll text you when I'm done eating, and I'll help you out with this invoice. Okay, my friend. Okay. Right, no problem. Okay. No problem. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. I love you, buddy. Okay. All right. Tell me you love me. Okay. Bye bye. Yeah, I love you too, bro. Bye. Okay. Right, I hear you. I'll guy. talk to you soon. Thank you. I am a funny guy. All right. I'll bye. talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Okay. Hello. Bye-bye. Hello. 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 <laughs> I think that was the best one yet. You know, I don't know if he cleared the scammer room, but it went from like barely hearing him to mumbling to like talking better than some people I even know that lived in America. Well, I wonder what, uh, I wonder if there's a difference between this 224 number he called with at first, which was terrible, and this 843 number he called back with, which we've gotten messages and calls from him before from this 843 number. I wonder if that's like the better phone that they only use when necessary. Maybe it's a phone that uh, is like one where they're actually paying per minute. And the funny thing is, since all this started from day one, he's consistently always texts me with a 585. Now, this is, but I'll say that with, with this, okay? Since this has started, there's been, um, what do you, some spinoff phone calls or spinoff texts that I've gotten, <laughs> okay, from people pretending they know me, you know, to both of them are women, which I know are just Nigerian as well. But he's definitely given other people my number or they've said, let me take a shot at him. So I've gotten two women that call me that are like, let, you know, hey, this is Cynthia from Instagram. Like, I'm like, I don't know, no, Cynthia. Yes, you do. We've chatted. So then I just think, oh, yeah. And then it's the same thing where, you know what I mean? They start off not with the same scam, but something different, you know, like where one of them is, you know, I'm a babysitter. And because of COVID, I can't work. Help me out. And you know, so but anyhow, and I know I have too much time on my hands. So, so are these actual phone calls you get, like real women calling you? No, 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 no. They're texts. I mean, they're definitely um, well. Okay, this is a funny thing. One of them was definitely is a Nigerian female because one of them I made call, and they called me just like I'm talking to Sharif, and it was a woman that sounded with the same dialect, definitely Nigerian, but it was a woman, and she was pretending to be. This is hilarious. A babysitter that lived in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, <laughs> and like. And, like, we only talked for a minute because her English was way, way worse than than Sharif's was. But it was definitely a woman. Um, I don't know if she's the one texting me. But, anyhow, a thousand percent, they got my, my number from uh, Sharif. And, you know, the only concern I may have after all this is said and done, I may need to change my phone number. Because, I mean, I, I've had this number for 20 years. I don't want to change it. But I don't know if it'll ever leave me alone after this because I've strung them along so long. That they may just badger me forever. Well, no, they, they, they may actually leave you alone. It may be the opposite. Once it gets around that you're screwing with them, they may just uh, forget the whole thing. I made him. I got him to say "I love you" to me, though. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wants a sample invoice for the, the lingerie. He doesn't know how to do it. Okay, so this is the thing. I'm not. I'm obviously not going to reply tonight. So that will buy us one day. And then whenever I do reply and, and give him the form, you know, we'll find something wrong. It 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 likely is going to be hard to string this along to another Friday. So what we may have to do, if if you know, and this is on you because it would be, require your time and and your technical uh, knowledge. Maybe by right after the weekend, Monday or maybe Tuesday, we could wrap this up with one final call and just record it and play for the listeners how it ends. 
Because um, I don't know if I can keep him around for another week. I, yeah, I know it might ex- be hard. It's not even that I'm running around with excuses, but at some point he's just going to realize this is never going to end. Like it's just going to be, you know, I mean, he didn't even realize we went from Alvin to you. So anyhow, um, I talked to uh, Sharif and he needs some help. He doesn't fully understand. And he's an accomplished lawyer, as you know. He doesn't fully understand what a lingerie invoice should look like. So he wants me to <laughs> send him an example on text so he can send it back to me. And you know I'm going to have some fun with this. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, as soon as I get it back, and I'm, gonna, I'm not doing this tonight. I'm going to eat. I'm going to go back and lay down by another day for the radio listeners. And I'll send it to you, and then you can post it on the forum, the invoice. Yeah, yeah, that's and good. What do you think? If, well, if and, I and like- Brandon, well, could, could another stalling tactic be that your wife saw the invoice, you're in a big fight, <laughs> a couple of days out of the week or something? Yeah. She I thought mean, you had another like, girlfriend or something. See, see, the problem is that I started this with him about a month before I brought it to radio. Uh, so I was having my own fun. I mean, I know you can say I'm a sick fuck. I have too much time on my hands, I, whatever you want to call it. But I started this already a month prior. So that's why I feel like at some point soon, he's just going to be like, I mean, he's wasted a lot of time. Like he'll, I mean, well, when I tell you, I don't know, I don't know when he sleeps because he texts me every other, like especially this week, every other hour at the at the most. You know, have you heard from Alvin? Have you heard from Alvin? What's going on? And then he's like, he, he's telling the truth. He's asking me, am I eating enough? Are you, you know, you should be working less. Are you getting enough sleep? <laughs> like he's like he's literally every day peppering me with questions. Like he really does care about my well being. Like you know, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. You know you, and he even texts that. Like he texts my name three times, like in a row. Like it's a phone call. It's like Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. He doesn't say hello. Hello, can hello, hello. Can like, you hear me? Hello. You, yeah. He's like, are you eating? Or it's, I don't know if you heard, but when you're talking, when the colonel was talking, Alvin, he just tries cutting you off to get me. He's like, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> right when, <laughs> but anyhow, so that's that's the one dilemma. Like you know, it's gone on so long, so. My question to you is if I feel like if I don't feel like this is going to last until next Friday, do you want to do something off the clock and, you know, kind of record it and wrap it up? And and yeah, I mean, I mean, if if you're getting that impression that he's not going to wait a few more days, because, yeah, uh, it is true that you can't really give very complex reasons to him. Uh, He just kind of understands the very basic point of all this and uh, and he, you did hear him say this week that you keep raising the amount but I don't get anything so he's kind of getting the idea yeah, I know. I know. that uh, sure. that maybe he's never going to get anything and no matter how high the amount you claim you're going to send if you never send him anything it does him no good which is true so maybe he's starting so, to realize it may okay, never so come. this is so this is the thing I want it's almost like PFA radio homework when all of us go to sleep tonight or today or whenever we're just daydreaming let's think of independently of each other some exit strategies and i'll start like a group text and we'll just you know in a day maybe tomorrow or sunday monday we'll throw some around and i'm thinking right now this is just my initial instinct is i'm thinking something along the lines of like the colonel calls him up or i guess alvin and i've been arrested for fraud okay and then i just stop responding to him and then we ask him if he can help with my bail money and ask him for money and we send him my bitcoin address Okay, something along. The, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to just do the fuck you. Like we know you're a scammer. Like I want to just make something crazier that isn't as painful. Because and I know like yeah, he's a scammer. I mean, and he's stupid. He's a bad scammer. Like to think I'm going to get 1.3 million. Like how, how many people really fall for that? But at the same time, like I do recognize he's obviously very poor and 
Like, you know, uh, he's not living the life that any of us are. So I don't want to be a complete dick about it. I mean, you I guess don't, I you don't right know that. He could, he could have another well, 10 old ladies on the line that I'll send him cash. Well, Fuck okay. him. But the, well, you know, you know what? And, and, and look, and I think, and by the way, I think that would buy a couple days drop. You could make some receipt with that address showing it was sent. We could have a couple of days as Brandon's like, here's the receipt. It was sent. You well, know, no, but he's looking for the cryptocurrency. He, pr- he probably you, knows that it's whether the cryptocurrency is coming because you can see on these uh, whatever wallet he's using, pending. you can see if it's coming. It's, if it's pending. pending. Yeah. So that's yeah. that would only last would a few hours. If I got arrested, I got arrested, and then we end up asking him to help me get <laughs> some money to get me out of jail. <laughs> that would you know, be that's, great. That would be like great. Because, you know, because have you guys ever gotten a collect call from somebody in jail? Yes. I have, sure. Right. So you know how they have that recording drop. I'll bet you could make this, some recording with while we're on the call. It's Brandon calling collect. <laughs> this is a call from an inmate in a detention facility <laughs> to accept press one. But but anyhow, I think that would be exactly. great because I because listen, how awesome would it be? Even if it's only five bucks, if we got him to send some money to bail me out, like that would be just. A, I mean, who's ever claimed they've gotten money from a Nigerian scammer? So I don't know. I think that's perfect because then he'll just text me and he'll think I'm in jail. He won't, you know, and then we can maybe even pick this up sometime uh, in the fall, or maybe even the early winter and resume. <laughs> you know, I only got sentenced to six months. You know, I, I uh, you know, <laughs> Brandon, 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 Brandon. <laughs> hello. Hello. Can you hear me? But anytime you're talking, he's almost like he's like a puppy that only wants, you know, me. Every time anyone else is talking, you just hear him under your breath going, Brandon, 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 can you hear me? Hello. He's totally ignoring what everyone else is saying. But whoever said, uh, I think you said it was someone who texted you that we should make a best of. I mean, some of his lines are pretty funny. Like he's when he actually started calling you the colonel, like it's pretty, he's like the colonel knows what he's talking about. Like I can see, like, there's some good, there's some gold in there. So, but anyhow, unless I hear better from either you guys or the forum in the official radio thread, I think. The exit strategy, I'm thinking, I like the whole, I'm, I got arrested. I think I like that for some kind of uh, fraud. Like, you know, that, that that the lingerie receipt was not up to specifications. They saw right through it, and I was detained. And I think that's perfect. Like, what can he, how can he prove it otherwise? He couldn't. And then, like, like, we're not, like, the gig isn't up, you know, so, I mean, you know, he doesn't think I didn't do it. And then, you know, the colonel's calling him and, you know, we could tell him that, you know, you need money for me and, and, you know, that we can give him updates on my court case. And it could be funny. It could be funny. It could work. Yeah, that yeah. is a good idea. Yeah, the, it the could maybe, fake maybe arrest. something like your girl saw the receipt and then she dropped the dime on you and turned you in. Oh, like something like that. Sure. She yeah. found out I was doing something with women's lingerie. She kicked me out exactly. of the house and I got arrested the police. I got arrested for domestic violence. I mean, there are many things we can we can spin this off into. We can create many sequels and, and, and but the best part is he's so he's so communicative enough to make sure that he's ready when I'm ready on a radio for yes. He waits all day for this. It's hilarious. <laughs> that is true. It he's is funny waiting. to think about that. He's always ready for us on radio. That even at no matter what time it is or what day it is, he's always he's always available to take this call. Well, this is the thing. This so this started tonight at around eight o'clock. Like what time? What time? And I'm just I'm like oh I'm at work. Like he literally has been hanging on since since nine hours ago, waiting for this, like waiting to talk. So 
And the funny thing is, I think, I, I, I believe from the way he acted, he understands what we're doing. Like that we're going to get a fake receipt to buy something from him and then pretend like we're paying for something we're not getting. Now, what was this that he didn't want? That, that why didn't he want a, a stolen vanilla card? That was surprising. Was that to give an air of legitimacy to what he's doing? I don't quite understand. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it had to be. It had to be because he's pretending to be an attorney and he doesn't want any. I mean, of course. I mean, he deals in illegalities, of course. Yeah, and, well, yeah, well the the uh, the vanilla card, the reason I was saying it was stolen, one just to be funny that I stole it from a 10-year-old, but the second thing was I was going to – the plan was to send him a bogus vanilla card with a totally fake number on there I just make up and then have it not work and say, oh, they must have figured out it was stolen, that that was going to be a stalling tactic of why the vanilla cards don't work. Right. I'm sure that's what it was since I think he's a lawyer and he's doing – you know. But it's just hilarious that I would that he even thinks I'd believe he's a lawyer. Like when he doesn't even know what an invoice, it's and he claims he's American. It's, it, he's a bad scammer. Let's be honest. If he had to literally support his village on scamming alone, I don't see how he would make a living. Like, well, I don't. You tell me. You run a fraud site. Do you think this guy's a good scammer? I no, don't. no, he's he's terrible. And and, and now it's true. So none of these none of these Nigerian scammers are all that convincing, but. This guy is one of the lower end ones. Like, like even that one that was dealing with us, that fake female that was chatting with us on Facebook. She was better. Or he, I guess it was probably a he, but whatever. The, whatever person was behind that account was better at this than he was. But you know what? I think it's almost like fishing. You know, they just throw out so many nets and so many lines that all it takes is one. You know what I mean? Like that. That's the only thing I can think of. Well, that is like, what happens. You know, they they send out tons if of these. You attempt- yeah. Right. If you attempt hundreds or thousands over the course of time, you know, eventually you'll get one person like that. Just I don't know. So, um, well, anyhow, it's every uh, typical sales job, they're just going to make you know however many calls they make, they're going to get one out of every X. Yeah. So, do we have anything else to cover? Because no, no, that's it. Uh, no, for a no, while, should Sharif was on for eight hours. Yeah, I've been around huh? for a while. Yeah. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? <laughs> you know, I know, I know Brandon, you have a lot of things Brandon? on your on your plate, but you should make a mixtape of of some of those things he says because it's pretty funny. Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear? Well, me? And, yeah, Colonel, and then you Colonel. can send it to him with a grade, with maybe a poker fraud alert grade, like they do at the restaurants. You know, we could send him like a recap, and then we we'll say he's a C plus scammer or something. Uh, funny. Poor Sharif. He he happens to run into the. A show that wants to make a joke out of him. All the, all the everybody else is either falls for it or just like temporarily messes with him and gives up. Here he has to run into something like this. Bad luck. And again, remember, I did this for a month without anyone. Yeah. Even, I didn't even do it thinking I would get it on the radio. Like you know, before it was just like when I'm you know having idle time when I'm you know whatever or just sitting around. I'd look at the phone. I'd respond. Like it, it just you know. <laughs> Pretty funny stuff. So, well, anyhow, guys, no matter what, I will uh, will update you all, the listener, on on how this ends. And I promise, if I feel like this is really falling apart, I'll try to get at least one call and wrap it up. And as of right now, I still think the arrest is the perfect exit strategy, only because it, it gives a plausible reason why I don't respond to him anymore, and then it gives us hope in the future if we want to, you know, restart it. Um, so. I'll get with Druff, and if I feel that's happening, maybe we can all do a, a call uh, to, you know, we can, you do that sometimes, right? I mean, you record things off there, and you can just play it, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And I'll tell you the other thing, not that this has anything to do with it, 
uh, I've noticed that this trend with Bitcoin is really strange. Have you guys been watching Bitcoin the last uh, two weeks or so? Yeah, it's well since that big crash has kind of been hanging between uh, like thirty three thousand and forty thousand, kind of yo yoing between there. It won't. It hasn't. It hasn't. It hasn't cracked forty again. It gets close, and then it, like right now, it's lost three twenty five hundred dollars since we've been on the air. It just goes down, and then it kind of creeps back up, then goes down again. So I, I just wonder what's going to happen with China. And did you? I don't know if you read about this in Iran. They banned Bitcoin mining because did you read why they banned it no, in Iran? No, I didn't see that. There was a big announcement. Now that literally that that people that are caught could potentially face a death penalty. They banned Bitcoin mining in Iran last week because apparently the infrastructure in Iran is so poor that the Bitcoin mining was causing a. a electricity to you know it was causing electric outages all throughout the country wow like all throughout the country every day because of the energy being used so they had no choice even though i'm sure they want that money and this is the other thing that was crazy almost a third of all bitcoin miners in the entire this is according to bitcoin magazine a third of all bitcoin miners in the entire world are based in iran which is nuts i, had oh, no I didn't idea. know that i thought they were mostly in china that. That's that's what the Bitcoin article said. Uh, you know, you, you briefly know. mentioned this, but somehow we got distracted about the Bitcoin 2021 convention or whatever that is in yeah. Miami. Uh, so Daly was going there. Something I was curious about. I don't know if he answered. I asked in the thread. But I was wondering from his observation, and you could take a guess at this too. I don't know what the answer is. But what is the single male to single female ratio there? That is, when I say single, I mean just they're by themselves, not with a partner. So like a, how many females are there that are not with a guy compared to how many males are there not with a girl? And I, I have to guess it's at least like 99 to one. Well, I was going to say it's about 20 to one, but maybe, uh, yeah, I guess. Cause there, there's, I could picture women being there just to be with their husband or boyfriend who's going anyway or uh, or just because they got an interest in it because they're or they want a trip or they want a trip to Miami. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like they, they they're going yeah. there together. But like how many females just on their own went there uh, compared to dudes? I'm not saying there's none. There's obviously some there. But I, I bet with it's something like ridiculous, like ninety nine to one. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. We can ask Daly. Yeah. Does he listen to radio? Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, it's a good question. I did see this morning that there was like a mile long line they were claiming and it was all disorganized. I don't, I assume it got resolved, but yeah, that's a good question. I can't imagine there are a lot of females there. Yeah. Like there's females who are interested in crypto, but the ones who are interested enough to go to something like this, it, it seems like it's almost all dudes unless they're bringing the female along. It's kind of like, uh, hello, 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 hello. Can you hear me? <laughs> He it's kind of like says that. It's so funny. The the, uh, the World Series main event is very very male. It's got like ninety seven percent male usually, sometimes even more. And the one year, I forgot what year it was. A few years ago, the ten k limit hold'em had actually zero females in it, which was surprising because at Commerce there's actually a, a fair number of female high limit uh, limit hold'em players. So I was surprised that none yeah. of them played the World Series of Poker. But that, were, uh, that poker Snoopy that Millie Shue never played, huh? Right. That year she wasn't playing. It's like people like her. Right. So it's not that there aren't females in Limit Hold'em that, are, that play high stakes. There's plenty of them, especially at Commerce. But for some reason, that year, there were actually zero females registered in that event. 
Whatever happened to her, Poker Snoopy? I see her around occasionally. I see her occasionally at the Bellagio. I don't know how often she plays. She lives in Northern California. Uh, I know she got a... I think she got a divorce. Uh, She was married to another player who... uh, He he was vegan boy on Poker Stars. Remember him? Yeah. With with the Cartman picture? Yeah, he was married to Poker Snoopy. And I think they got a divorce. But uh, I don't know what poker snoopy's doing the one thing i will tell you about poker snoopy is that she was at the last time i think i saw her i was at commerce and she wanted to go to las vegas but she was exhausted so she wanted to get someone to drive her to las vegas i don't know what she's gonna do about a car when she got there but she wanted someone to drive her to las vegas and she didn't want to trust a stranger because she was afraid of falling asleep in the car with some weirdo who, who would do something bad to her. So I was actually one of the people that she said she trusted, and she asked me, she offered to pay me something, I forgot what it was, to drive her to Las Vegas and back. I think like $1,200 or something. That's funny. And, and I said, no, I'm just as tired as you are, so I can't even consider it. But uh, yeah, I was, yeah. she asked me, oh, you want to do it? Uh, yeah, I trust you to drive you to Vegas. So she, she just wanted to go with someone that like, had been around a while that she knew wasn't going to do anything bad. She doesn't know me super well, but she knows I've been in the community and that uh, she kind of got to know me well enough to think that I wasn't going to be someone who would uh, be dangerous to fall asleep around in the car, which is true. But uh, Now, if I was not tired, I wouldn't do it anyway for $1,200 unless I was going to go to Vegas soon anyway or would have, like, had a reason to go there anyway. Like, like if, if I could have made a trip out of it then I would have done it, but to make just a trip and drive back, I wouldn't have done it for twelve hundred. It's just too much driving. It's ten hours yeah. of driving. It's, it would have been too much. But uh, uh, it, w- it would have been convenient if I happened to be driving to Vegas that day anyway, and I could have just uh, had Poker Snoopy sleep in the car and get twelve hundred bucks out of it. That would have been nice. Yeah. Well, since this is a poker based show, and I'm really getting tired, so this will be the last thing I say. So I guess I should say this because it is interesting to some degree. Uh, as we've talked about prior on the fraud show, there is a tournament series that's been underway at the win, which has actually gotten really, really good numbers, um, both mixed games and no limit. And today was the the horse tournament. It was a five hundred fifty dollar horse tournament, and uh, they hear a number of people uh, tell me or type up their trip reports, which I've been reading on Facebook all day. Uh, it kind of became a fiasco. Uh, I didn't play this today. My friend Jeannie did. This is a Facebook post from Ron Ware. Do you know who Ron Ware is? Yes. Todd? Yes, I do. Do you know his nickname? No. Uh, his nickname, everyone calls him Grumpy. Uh, no, okay. That makes so it anyhow, actually it actually uh, makes sense. Yeah. I, I know, knowing what he looks yeah. like, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So this is exactly from his. Uh, report of the horse tournament today and this is in a uh, private I guess semi-private facebook group called mix game poker in las vegas odd happenings at the win horse tournament today apparently 20 dealers called in sick causing a shortage we are accumulating alternates for this event my problem is they're playing seven-handed by the way horse and this is me talking horses usually played eight-handed because a core group of players requested that the tournament be seven-handed who in this group is willing to admit that to being in that core group? And please explain to me why seven-handed is better for horse than the normal eight-handed. It is also confusing to me 
when it was obvious they were going to be short dealers, why not make it the normal eight-handed to ease the problem a bit? By being here 20 minutes late, I am an alternate. And I talk to most regular mixed tourney players, and none of them think seven-handed makes sense. So I'm curious who they consider core players. Okay, so there were other people in the same group that posted that they literally were there within 10 to 20 minutes late, and there were someone posted a picture of them being the 37th alternate. And they also said that when they bought in, they weren't told they'd be an alternate. And after they only had bought in, they were informed by the floor. Uh, then uh, someone else chimed in who claimed to be a dealer that just retired, she claimed like a day or two ago, and said that it's not a coincidence that 20 dealers happen to call in sick. It's because they didn't want to deal the mixed game. The mixed game. They're, they didn't want to deal horse because they feel that dealers in general get berated, that mixed game players tend to be much more ruder than no limit players, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that is kind of strange. Seven head horse tournament. And they got yeah, 170 yeah. people. That that is so, strange, so. and and I can see. So I can see the dealer's point that it's harder to deal mix because number one, your your brain has to constantly be on about what you're dealing. It's not like dealing hold'em where it's it's you can just do it on automatic. And then probably a side effect of this is that because the dealers are more likely to make mistakes dealing uh, mix games than they are dealing hold'em, that there will be more mistakes and therefore the players will be more likely to complain with mistakes more likely to occur and probably the players have lesser tolerance for mistakes because they see them more often. So I think that's all kind of together. Uh, As far as calling in sick, I mean, uh, I've never heard of this happening before just to avoid dealing mix, but maybe some of them got together and just said, screw it, we don't want to do it. You want to call in sick? Yeah, I'll do it too. Yeah, I'll do it too. And yeah, the seven-handed thing definitely shouldn't be occurring if they're short dealers, that doesn't make any sense. And I, I know why these players probably want seven-handed, and that is if it's shorter-handed, that gives more of an advantage to the better players. Sure. Aggression pays off. It requires just it, it requires more post-flop play. It, just, it, it, it makes it harder to wait for more premium hands dealt to you. And then you're you're stuck sure. playing things that are less premium and a little harder to do post-flop. So this, this benefits the better players. And uh, so I see why they preferred seven-handed over eight-handed, the, quote, core group who are probably good players. But I see why Ron Ware is pissed off about this, that when there are short dealers, why don't you have the maximum at each table? And I agree with him. Yeah, I do too. So anyhow, that is all I have. Uh, Todd, you must be exhausted because I'm tired. And uh, I think I'm done. Unless we have a, Do we have anything else? No, no, no. Anything this is we it. Wanna... We're done. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I will. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll let you do the uh, the goodbyes and all that since I won't hear you anyhow. And I assume uh, next Friday is that are we still sticking to Friday for this foreseeable future. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do is uh, every Friday, and that's the way it should be for a while. Okay, good. Trader Ruski, I'll talk with you later today, buddy. You have a great weekend, and thank you for coming on this morning. I'm. I'm walking out the door to drive to San Francisco right now. Oh, wow. So I'll be in the yeah. car for uh, a while. Oh, I yeah, can. that's right. That was uh, today's the day. You're going up there for – you're coming back You're coming back today, right? Just a yeah, one day. I'm just, I'm just same... going up, coming back. Wait, oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're driving to San Francisco and coming back the same day? I know you're further north than I am, so it's shorter, but still, that's uh... – It's about a three and a half hour. Each okay, I, I guess that's not as bad. Away. Take yes. care of some business, and uh, you know, and I, I got a thing I'll do on the car, so I planned it this way. 
Okay, well, uh, have a good drive there back and forth, and uh, thank you for coming on here. And th- Brandon, thank you for coming here. It's a funny call with uh, Sharif as usual, and we'll, I guess. And my Vegas news. And the Vegas news, which uh, you brought a lot of it. Very good. That's and drop, awesome. drop. I have some business to talk to, so call me when you get a minute, or okay. I'll text you later. Okay, very good. Okay, everybody, so okay, thanks, we, will, we will be back next week. Thank you, Trader Ruski and Brandon. Yo, buddy. <laughs> Yo, buddy. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go. So you guys uh, take care. Have a great weekend. All right. Drop, I'll talk to you, you soon. You too, Brandon. Trader Ruski, it's good to talk to you soon. Good night, guys. Good night. All right. I've been counting on Brandon recently for this Vegas news. I'll be honest, I have not even made an attempt recently to really research Vegas news for the show, knowing he's going to pop on here around 2 in the morning, sometimes earlier, like tonight, and give us Vegas news. So he's been doing that work. Makes it a bit easier to prepare. I don't know if you guys know this, there's more time that goes into this show than might appear. You may think, well, okay, it's a very long show, and that I take... Yeah, seven hours or whatever it is each week to do the show, which is a substantial amount of time. But I have to do all the time preparing for the show and researching the topics to talk about, looking for topics to talk about. It's not just researching the ones I have, but I have to find topics to talk about and go through all the different news. But without having to do the Vegas stuff, it's shortened that a little bit because I know Brandon will bring it to the table. Then after the show, and usually later on, because I don't have the energy to do it right after the show, I edit the show and make it easier to listen to. And usually I don't edit out content. Usually I just make it more listenable, taking out pauses, taking out non-entertaining technical fail, whatever needs to be done. So this way the whole thing flows a lot better. And that takes a good deal of time because the show's so long. I don't listen to every minute of it again, but I kind of skip through it quickly and edit what I need to edit. So a good deal of time goes into this for something that doesn't actually make any money. Well, that's it. I will talk to you guys next week, next scheduled show, Friday June 11th, which would usually be kind of right in the heart of the World Series of Poker, but not this year. But I do plan to go there in the fall, unless something changes. That is all for this week. Good night, good morning, and shalom.